0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the
1: leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
0: Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro-wrestling hosted
1: by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and, of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple
0: Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
1: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh yeah, you used to be king, king,
2: king
0: of these nuts. (laughs) It's not live, they'll edit it if they don't like it. TNA is my world. Welcome to Planet Jarrett. You... Will feel the
1: power of Period.
2: He's getting naked. This is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity and I don't get
1: Welcome, everybody, to You've Got To Be Kidding Me, episode number 32. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. This episode, we're talking about final resolution in January of 2005. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined, as always, by my lovely festive co-host, Liam Jones. Liam, how are you doing?
0: Ho, 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 ho.
1: You feeling the holiday spirit?
0: Uh, this is gonna... Sh- Shock you. Mm-hmm. I, do, I'm, I don't care about Christmas. <laughs> at all? Does it strike you at all surprising that I am not a Christmas person? Not particularly, but you, you don't have any ounce of festive spirit? <sighs> I mean, I think this year is perhaps the most festive I've felt. Mm-hmm. And I'm at like 23%.
1: That's that's an okay amount of festive. If I were to say the amount of festive I get, it's it's probably like 40-ish. I'm not Mm -hmm. like a Christmas psycho, but I do enjoy Christmas.
0: Like, I would be perfectly content if, like, a tree didn't go up. Hmm. I wouldn't, like, bat an eye.
1: You wouldn't be like, oh no, there are no lights that make me feel happy.
0: But, adversely, I'm not, like, disgruntled that one does. Hmm. I operate in that level.
1: You're a man who can go along with the festive spirit, but could do without it.
0: Yeah, I'll go along with it, but I will never instigate. Mm. I will not wrap presents, but I'll (laughs) buy them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's such a strange line to draw.
0: (laughs) Oh, because I don't want to wrap them. I'll buy a bag and put them in, like a festive bag, but I will not wrap a present.
1: That feels more like laziness than festive spirit. I will
0: allow you to wrap it. (laughs) For you? Not like like that person, but if someone's like, I'm wrapping gifts, I'm like, if you want, you can wrap it. But I'm I'm not going to stop you, but I'm not going to be the one who does it.
1: That sounds a lot like a guy who's just trying to get out of wrapping things more than it does a guy who does not have festive
0: spirit. I would counter that with, if I had festive spirit, would I not be wanting to wrap them regardless?
1: No, I think you're just being lazy.
0: (laughs) Mm, I would be just as fine being handed the gift and saving the paper.
1: Mm, But the paper can be recycled. Don't you make this uh, an environmental argument, pal.
0: Yeah, but I won't. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll throw it into the street.
1: Uh, Leave it there to litter and try to throw it in a place where it will cause maximum harm and land in a dolphin's mouth.
0: I'll find some Dickens-esque street urchin and... It at his head,
1: And then that street urchin will be like,
0: This is the nicest paper I've ever gotten, sir. Thank you for your Christmas spirit. And he'll be like, Make sure you eat it.
1: Then he'll eat it and it'll turn out, it's like that edible paper. And he's like,
0: This is a delicious Christmas meal, sir. And Thank like, you for your Christmas No, joy. it isn't. It's covered in lead. <laughs> then he'll be like, Actually, I have low iron and the metal levels in my blood. You've saved my life. Garrett says, if you have low iron, go <laughs> eat lead, lead paint. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how you get better. I was going to do a, a fun ode to uh, Red Letter Media's half in the bag and just get drunk for this, because I don't care. But mm-hmm. I have no alcohol, so instead I'm just drinking a bunch of water and I'm super hydrated.
1: Ah, so that means you're in prime podcasting condition.
0: Mm. I've also, I think, learnt that my mic has been around the wrong way this whole time.
1: This whole time, as in ever, or just for this podcast?
0: Like, I mean, I'm sure at some points it's been in the position it is now, but semi-recently, I was I was having it hang down above me, and now I have flipped it so that it's pointing up at me.
1: Mm. So it is not the most wonderful time of the year for you?
0: What is the most wonderful time of the year?
1: Yeah, if this isn't it, what is it? November. <laughs> November? Why November finish uni for the year. <laughs> mm. Oh, your seasons are so weird to me to think that November's where you finish uni. That all upsets me. Well it's only
0: b- <laughs> it's only because well what do you mean, Dave? Like, should it be finishing earlier or later?
1: No, it, it's just cuz that's the, the the your summer point. So it it's the same thing for us except that happens in May. And but you are in the other hemisphere so it upsets me.
0: I never realized that it was a summer thing. Yeah. I I assumed it was just an end of the year thing. Uh, like, like you finish up November, get December off, and then you come back to January.
1: No, because our school year would generally run September to May.
0: What the fuck?
1: Yeah, see? The feeling of upset you have now is the feeling of upset I had 30 seconds ago.
0: I gotta admit, I think mine's way better. Because you get all your, like, your Christmas holidays and stuff surrounding that off. No, we get that too. <laughs> Mm, I don't know. I think mine's better. I think I think having an end-of-year point and then you go back in fresh in the new year is better. I have I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eat shit, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, you, I, that's it? When you said I have to say, I thought you were going to make another point rather than underlying your previous point.
0: No, I was emphasizing.
1: Cool. Anything else going on with you? Yes. Wash. Tell me.
0: Uh, um, there will be uh, two written things going up on VoicesOfWrestling.com from me.
1: You're writing?
0: Yeah, I know. Oh. Right? My secret Santa, there you go. That's the, that's the holiday spirit right there.
1: Uh, when's it going up?
0: I don't fucking know. Could be up now. Could be, could be up soon.
1: What match you get?
0: Uh, Alex Shelley versus Bendito from... Uh, one of these companies that all sound the exact same. Uh. Prestige.
1: Oh yeah, the Prestige and the Limitless and all those all the same company. I'm
0: convinced that Garden State and, and Prestige are just the same company. Because they popped up mm. at like the same month and they both were like, here's Tokyo Joshi talent <laughs> versus like name women talent. Like, <laughs> So I'm convinced those two promotions are the same promotion.
1: And that's the only thing you need to convince you.
0: Yeah, he's a little taster, I guess. I enjoyed it because it is a company that has Alex Shelley as its world champion, so...
1: Uh, What was the match you gave?
0: It hasn't been reviewed yet.
1: (laughs) Ooh. Well, well, tell me what it was.
0: Should I tell who it was for?
1: No, I think that does kind of spoil it, but I'm fine knowing who was in the match.
0: Uh, I gave Manami Toyota versus Akira Hokuto.
1: Nerd!
0: Yes, but it was a choice based on who the person was.
1: I see. Did you at any uh, point consider giving a TNA match?
0: God, no. No uh, I would have gone to Gleet before that oh uh, again, like i my, my that match came to my mind immediately based on the on who the person was. I literally thought about it for three minutes. and was like this is perfect. um mm-hmm. I would like to mention that I have been predicted by like four people
1: <laughs> oh yes well that that tells you you have a good, broad sense of taste.
0: Mm, I was I, I was predicted oh, here you go I was predicted uh, by someone who thought I gave them a territory WCW match.
1: You were watching a lot of territory WCW. Recently.
0: That, that was that was the theory. Uh, I was predicted by someone as giving a Gleet match for whatever reason.
1: You are Mister Gleet.
0: And I was predicted by someone else for giving a Joshi match, which I did, but not that one.
1: I'm upset that nobody predicted you for giving a TNA match.
0: I can almost guarantee not a single TNA match was gifted. I think I've read all of the Secret Santas, and I don't know if any of them were TNA.
1: <laughs> this upsets me. This is why I should have participated, just to force TNA in on everything.
2: Yeah.
0: The the real joke would be for you not to do it, and then, you know, they was, they definitely would have predicted you, and then you would have gotten away scot-free. Mm. But, and then, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to do the preview for the, the big Noah Burdekin as well.
1: I think the years I did it, I didn't even give it. I gave Seamus vs. Big Show once. Mm. because that's a match that sounds bad, but they had, like, a four-star match once, and it rocked. And I can't remember the other matches I gave, because I have the memory of a fish, fish. Not even a good fish, a fish that, like, has suffered head trauma, so it doesn't even have the three-second memory. That's fair. All right, that brings us to TNA from January 2005. Uh,
0: smooth uh, like butter. Uh,
1: a pretty good month, I thought.
0: I think I'm down on this month in comparison to you. I thought everything was okay, Mm -hmm. but nothing really gripped me as much, and I didn't think this build was as strong to the pay-per-view as the last couple, but I do think the pay-per-view over-delivered in comparison to the last two. So, I think, in general, this... I guess we're not saying, like, month anymore, because it's over a month, it's like pay-per-view cycle.
1: Yeah, it's six weeks for this.
0: I think that this pay-per-view cycle was probably less less impressive to me than the last one, but with a better payoff at the end. I think my I realized as I was watching it, I I don't think there's enough show-to-show flow for me. I mm-hmm. think it kind of feels a little bit like the NWA TNA pay-per-views where they like so there's some things that feel a little too insular to each episode and. Just, I don't feel like there's, like, maybe it's, like, the breaks between certain things that go, like, where, like, one week they'll they'll start building to something, and they'll take the next week off, and they'll build it the week after, or they'll just do a video package or something. I think I, I need more week-to-week story building, and I, and we just haven't quite got that yet. Except for, like, the major feuds.
1: Yeah, so you're, you're settling on better pay-per-view, but worse build.
0: I think this is the best pay-per-view so far. I even think this might be the best TNA show so far.
1: I I think there's a a reasonable case for that. Because there's, it's funny, when you look at, like, uh, end of year awards and all that, Turning Point got, like, a not insubstantial number of show of the year
0: nominations. Really?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, God, 2004 must have been rough.
0: Was it just the main event?
1: It might have been, and like there was the P.D. Saban match, which are very good too. But it's like it's a two-match show, one of which is like lower end good, and one of which is like real high end good. To be fair, and then the rest of the show is fine, and yeah. that's that's apparently show of the year level in two thousand four.
0: I think um, one thing that puts it up above for me is that I liked this tag ma- title match better. Mm. So I think inherently, like if if the that match I like I enjoy more than the the major positive of last month's one i'm gonna like this pay-per-view more and when i think about it i can probably think of like maybe the three or four best shows i consider in company history like come to mind which is like last month's turning point this uh this show final resolution the first episode of impact and this uh the world uh x cup with that had Hoovy and and uh chris saban Mm mm-hmm And then maybe there was the, the, the one where the first cage match happened that also had like blow offs, like three separate things on the same show that those are like the five best shows in company history so far.
1: And this is probably the best of them.
0: I would say so. I would, um, I I think the only one that like, I'd have to revisit the, the World X Cup show first, Mm. but I think this is probably better. Because it's better production, it's in a better environment, so it has those advantages, even if it's, like, a one-to-one match comparison thing.
1: Yeah, because the crowd, I I don't know how they've managed to get a crowd that are super hot, but the crowd are super hot at this stage. The Impact Zone crowd are so into shit.
0: Was, like, the area just, like, kind of dead at that point? Like, for wrestling stuff? Because, like, was FIP running?
1: Oh, because, yeah, FIP is going to change yeah, the game yeah, yeah. in Orlando. But, like, you
0: know, like, 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 these hardcores that would be going to every show were like, maybe the same kind of people who are like, I want to go see Roderick Strong versus Danielson in FIP. I,
1: I, I don't know. I think it's partially because, like, AJ's peaking and they have, like, a talisman people can rally around. Sure. But, like, they weren't this hot during the summer last year. They were hot at the start, but then eased off. But then, at the same time, they were also given much worse television shows that were literally nothing happened. There weren't even wrestling matches. So, it's weird to see that, like, they've they've come back with a vengeance ever since basically the first show. They've been hot for pretty much all the pay-per-views. And they, they, they seem to now currently believe in... It's the video packages, I think. It's like the video... They've bought into the video packages.
0: I also think there's a palpable energy, and the pay-per-views do feel bigger than the TV by far. Like when they mm-hmm. cut to that crowd at the start of a pay-per-view, like this crowd is amped up in a way that they aren't for TV necessarily, and that may be yeah. like the 8-hour taping blocks or whatever, but it's there's definitely like a freshness to the crowd when they go to these pay-per-views. And I just had this thought, it's half-baked, it, so it may not be real, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> uh I don't think for the live crowd there's a necessary there's necessarily a a big gap in popularity for these outside stars coming in versus the homegrown stars at this point mm. I think like not as a, a, a total package <laughs> that's a good pun Looks Like, we put that in the title make a thousand views um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there is a like that far off of a reaction for someone like AJ or AMW versus your Nash and your Hall at this point, to the live crowd.
1: Yeah, because Dave Meltzer makes, I think, that point pretty clearly this month, where he's talking about the booking philosophy of the choice between DDP, Monty Brown, or Kevin Nash, which ends up being the pay-per-view main event. It's a three-way on the pay-per-view, the winner faces Jarrett in the main event. So the when when that match was announced, and he was like pondering whether it will be DDP, Monty Brown, or, or Kevin Nash, he was like, they, they, they seem to be booking this three-way as a like not as a vote of no confidence in Monty, basically, because they want to trick people into thinking it's going to be Nash and then end up having it be Monty rather than just booking Monty and building to Monty. And he was like, "I don't think the fans care." I don't think anybody really buys these pay-per-views for Kevin Nash and DDP. I think people buy these pay-per-views because they're good pay-per-views and you should just announce the Monty match and build to the Monty
0: match. I think, especially with like the core audience that they have at this point, they're just as likely to buy a sh- or perhaps even more likely to buy a show that is headlined by AJ Styles or Monty Brown versus a show that is headlined by a Kevin Nash or a Scott Hall or even like a Jeff Hardy. At this point. I think like those guys are still super valuable to the roster. I'm not saying like cut them all and just keep these guys. But I do think at this point that your core audience and your impact zone audience specifically are just as accepting of someone that's been built in front of their eyes or even more accepting of these guys than the than the the X Fed, X W C W C W X E C W guys that are coming in.
1: Yeah, if you did the build to this pay per view where you basically built Monty and did the whole thing where you guarantee a title change without guaranteeing a title change, I think people would be way more into this show and more likely to buy this show than they are either Nash, DDP, or as they went with that triple threat, which again was a weird vote of no confidence in Monty, that they they didn't think Monty was big enough to build a pay-per-view around, so they built it around the three-way, so you didn't have to build it around around Monty himself.
0: And my question there is, do you think that three-way sold any more better than it would have sold if it was just Monty versus Jeff. I don't.
1: No, neither do I. I think it's dumb and stupid, and it, it just goes back to them thinking that, that, that Nash and DDP are the stars, and Monty isn't.
0: I honestly think that either the difference in pay-per-view buys would have been negligible, mm-hmm. or perhaps even better if Monty had done it, because it has the prospect of like a young guy becoming a world champion.
1: Yeah, I think even, like, regardless of how you think about Monty, DDP, or Nash, I think as just a general rule, you sell more pay-per-views when you have a main event. Yeah. (laughs) Like, no matter who it is, I think people are more interested in a main event than a potential main event.
0: And also it feels like that three-way should have been, like, the go-home main event, because that that go-home show was pretty dire.
1: Mm-hmm. Or your point, at the very least, do them back-to-back so you have, like, the, the a little more of a well, built-in... You, you only do that if Monty's happening. winning. Yeah.
0: But. Which is really the big problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll get into all of that. Let's we'll start with the news. TNA announced last week that their main weekly TV show, Impact, would be moving from 3pm to 4pm.
0: Oh my god. It's over. <laughs> Still on
1: Fridays, but slightly later in the afternoon.
0: Is is Slightly later seems better. Than, than three.
1: Yeah, this is a a very very mild improvement because more kids are home. A few people will be home up for work early, so you have like a a slightly better chance of having a slightly larger audience.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's good. <laughs> that's a good sign.
1: Yeah, the better news here is they've also added a Saturday night midnight replay. Which I think is more likely when you'll get adults watching. So the 4pm is the kids and teenagers time. And the Saturday night at midnight is the, the adults watching late at night time. Yeah. These were in the days where you couldn't just go to certain websites and watch it easily. I don't know what you're talking about. No one would ever do that. I remember, you probably did have like episodes of Impact on like LimeWire, couldn't you? Um, I'm sure you could. <laughs> it would take like seven months on your 2004 internet connection, but...
0: I'd take seven months on my 2022 Australian internet connection.
1: So Saturday is like a, a more traditional wrestling time slot. There's, it's been there's been a lot of late night wrestling in in, in uh, back in the day, and then 4 p.m. is it's it's still it's still kind of a death time slot. But listen, it's slightly slightly better.
0: I do think like there is something to that that idea of you you might be catching some like younger kids after they like they're they're coming home from school though. Mm. That might be, that that is that is there is a a non negligible bonus to that I think. Because that also and as we've seen, like, you know, with people that were like, you know, our age when we got into wrestling and stuff, that does also create a a run of long life fans versus people who may just watch it and then never revisit it ever again. You catch like a group of people in that time zone at that age, then you're pr- you're pretty likely to keep them around as returning viewers.
1: Yeah, this is where you watched Naruto, isn't it
0: uh no, that was ten p m
1: oh that's that's prime time post watershed programming then <laughs>
0: well let me let me tell you, well the re- let me tell you the reason right mm-hmm. uh I actually do think that that time schedule was beneficial because it made me feel like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. What's oh, too edgy? Yeah, I was like, well, there's blood in this, in a cartoon? I've never seen that. And it's like, ooh, 10pm, that's like double digits at night. I, sh- I shouldn't be up. <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed. But oh, look, he's, he's, this kid's turned into a wolf. That's crazy. It's a fox. Uh, but you yeah, get yeah. my point.
1: Yeah, you do hear every time... People talk about the Fox Sports Net era in particular. They will talk about, you'll always hear people talk about how they, they rushed home from school to catch the latest episode of Impact. And this makes it a little easier. It's 4pm, so you can go home, you can do your homework, you won't have your parents on your back, and you can watch your pretty solid but unremarkable episode of TNA Impact.
0: You can watch uh, someone throw a table on Jeff Hardy <laughs> for like 12 seconds at the end of the show.
1: Yeah and then that's never followed up on. Four reasons. Like, part of the reason the pay-per-view build feels a little all over the place this month is there is at least three of the matches that end up either not happening or having to be changed in some capacity because of backstage
0: turmoil. I was gonna say, by the way, I gave you, like, the perfect segue then.
1: Indeed. Uh, We're still on Impact, by the way. There's a Dixie quote. I can't leave that behind.
0: I know, I'm just saying. Like, that was was unintentional. I didn't know that the Abyss story was the next story, but Mm. that was, like, you know... Out of the park. Give me the Dixie quote, pal. I don't know if I want to do it anymore.
1: No, you can't back off the Dixie. The fans want the Dixie. <sighs> <laughs> You're like a person that has one song. Someone shout and play Wonderwall at you,
0: and I'm like, no. Oasis
1: have one song.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know Oasis, that that that, that, that little band. they their one famous
1: one-hit wonder, Oasis.
0: Yep, yeah, they're they one song, Champagne Supernova. Um, I, I can't do it.
1: (laughs) No, do your Dixie.
0: By changing the time (laughs) (laughs) slot of impact of RPM and adding a Saturday night replay, we will expose the program to a much larger audience says to President Dixie Carter. Impacts move my- <laughs> to 4pm. I'm turning your draw, which increases the number of potential viewers <laughs> and wrestling on Saturday nights has historically proven to be a rating success.
1: George Greenberg, FSN Executive Vice President of Programming and Production States, "TNA Wrestling has a pleasant rating surprise for us at FSN. We hope, to, with additional exposure, Wrestling fans will uh, have more opportunity to enjoy TNA's athletic and entertaining presentation. There you go.
0: uh follow me on Twitter. Me, Liam, at the Clink Moodle.
1: So Impact slightly better time slot with a replay. By the way, you, know, you might be asking, well, they're paying for all of this. Are they paying more for any of this? No. So it's it's all kind of beneficial without any extra cost here.
0: They say like I don't know. You can't get mad at this. This even if it's like a tiny boost, it is a boost.
1: Yeah, they're getting a free replay and a free, slightly better time slot. While they're still paying overall for the time slot, they're still giving FSN money,
0: but not more money for this. So, now that's wrapped up, I'm done with this section. (laughs) I am very excited about this next news story, Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: I feel like, for me, this story was always, like, an urban legend. (laughs) Like, it was something that was, like, bandied about, but, like, I never had really read anything about it from the time period. So I'm very interested in learning about this.
1: Abyss really upset TNA management at last week's TV tapings, leading to TNA pulling all offers from the table for a contract renewal. He showed up the afternoon of the tapings, pointed out that his contract expired last fall without them noticing, and he felt it was time for a raise. Sources say he told them that WWE had an offer on the table for him, and to keep him from taking that offer, they'd have to double his pay from 500 per show to 1000 per show. Which seems a pretty reasonable request.
0: I mean, considering he's a guy who, like, kills himself, for you too.
1: He's a guy who will throw himself in thumbtacks for you at a moment's notice. Mm. TNA's policy is pay what you have to in order to keep talent, and since Abyss has no previous national exposure and no star power outside of TNA... Of what TNA has done to promote his character, they didn't feel pressure to pay him as much as other main eventers in TNA who have more name recognition. TNA management, trying to keep the budget low since the promotion continues to lose money, spent a couple hours discussing the situation, but eventually they gave in an offer to Abyss to the raise. They gave him exactly what he asked for, like one grand per show. However, rather than accepting the offer, sources say Abyss said he had to go to talk to WWE about it and think about it first. Within seconds, TNA management, so offended that he didn't accept what they felt was a generous offer immediately on the spot, pulled the offer from the table and sent him home. Abyss was working to work the taping as scheduled. He also, if he was leaving, he was wor- w- willing to work or was willing to put people over on the way out. But TNA management didn't want to give Abyss any more leverage in negotiations since his slated match for the pay-per-view against Jeff Hardy hadn't been promoted yet. This is a- an impasse with one of... It Like, it's weird to talk about Abyss as a top guy, because he's only ever really been a mid-card guy at this stage, right?
0: Yeah, um, he's always been floating around that top guy position, but he hasn't had the big push yet. Or really, to be honest, he hasn't even had the character that he will be known for yet.
1: Yeah, they've been teasing the James Mitchell thing, but they have yet to put, pull the trigger on that. They've been teasing that for the best part of three months. And he's he's never quite being in the main event scene. He's always like flirted with it and bumped up against it. Like he'd work a feud with AJ, but then never move into like title matches. But yeah, it's it's, it's it, this this is like a fun what if moment. But, like what if Abyss jumped here? What if he did go to WWE because there was rumors of him even working Undertaker this year? That that's what that's what was potentially on how the how insane
0: for him. like the idea of two thousand and Four slash five abyss working mm. the Undertaker.
1: <laughs> well, when you think about the match he had in April '05, is arguably the best match of his career against AJ.
0: You know what? You're not you're not wrong there.
1: So imagine in April '05, WrestleMania might have been March that year. Uh, drop him in there against Undertaker
0: instead. I really wish I had like multi-dimensional viewing powers mm. because I I I want to see what that was.
1: It would be pretty cool. And see what kind of career Abyss would have had. What have we, like, it might have been the case. They would have said, oh, we're thinking about you for an Undertaker match. But also, we're sending you to Developmental instead. Like, that could have easily happened. In fact, I would say it's almost more likely that that would have happened.
0: Well, what was the Taker match that year?
1: Uh, was that Randy, 05?
0: It seems like it was Randy. Which was a very
1: good match, that Randy match.
0: I haven't seen it. You know, I've seen like three WrestleManias ever
1: and like there was a moment in that match where Randy hits the KO and like the the streak is a thing at that stage but not
0: it's not drilled into your head yet i feel honestly it's weird that i feel like the the streak doesn't really become the like a selling point as a major thing until like the batista match
1: i almost go like I th- I don't even think it's a selling point by the Batista match is it does Batista talk about wanting to end a... because stri- like the Batista match is is a title match
0: Yes but I think that was that was the first time where you you started seeing like the number being bandied around a lot more you know what I mean Like mm. e- even if that wasn't like the explicit purpose of the angle or the or the the build to the match it was a part of it at that point it was a signif- it was starting to like build it up to that legacy where then eventually it would become the only build to for the matches at Mania.
1: Because I think Randy was the point where people most thought Undertaker was going to lose. Because Randy was doing the Legend Killer Stick at that stage. He was a young guy. He was probably... If you were to actually have somebody beat the streak, if you look back on all the streak matches, Randy probably should have been the one to do it. But also they milked the shit out of that thing for another decade anyway, so...
0: I'm not like an The Undertaker guy, but you know, mm-hmm. the streak is by far one of the strongest things they've ever had.
1: One of their best angles that they stumbled upon it by accident, as they always do. I wonder what the point was where they were like, oh, he has never lost at WrestleMania.
0: I'm sure it was pretty early on. Mm. Like, but I don't know if that was like a let's keep doing it thing. I think like they got like six in and they're like, oh, that's a fun little fact.
1: So Abyss was quite torn, apparently, in that he was a little offended that they didn't even notice his contract had come up fair but also he felt a degree of loyalty to tna both because dutch mantel was one of the people who gave him his break in puerto rico and tna were the people that gave him his break in america so like part of him wanted to stay but then part of him felt slighted that like they moved heaven and earth to re-sign amw when those deals came up they're like we'll give you a title run we'll give you a pay rise and then when a business deal comes up nobody even notices
0: you know what if Dusty had a god he's like, he's full control and, and fucking Mantel was one of the guys who was out, probably mm. would have, he probably would have just gone.
1: <laughs> yeah. So when Jarrett told Dusty Rhodes about all this, about the contract coming up and Abyss being on the fence and one the thing about them being like, we're going to pull the offer because you want to go chat, talk to, that's fucking bullshit. Fuck off with that shit.
0: Yeah, that's like stupid wrestling logic that would never apply to real life stuff.
1: Trying to pressure the man into signing a deal when he could potentially have a much better deal on the table is carny bullshit and you can fuck right off. Yeah. But when Dusty was told they made it, they uh, even though Abyss agreed the job on the way out, they, they made the decision to pull him off TV. Again, likely to reduce the leverage he'd potentially have on the way out, which I guess makes a degree of sense.
0: Also, like, you know, killing any um, recent exposure to... Like hope, hope people forget by the time he gets there.
1: Yeah, they 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 did ever so slightly begin building to what was meant to be a TLC or the first Full Metal Mayhem match at the pay-per-view, where there was a, a kind of almost post-credits coda at the end of one of the episodes, where you saw Abyss drop a table on a man and scream. <laughs> you couldn't quite make out that it was Jeff Hardy, but I'm pretty sure it was Jeff Hardy. And that was meant to build toward a match, but then they had this contract impasse, and also Jeff Hardy missed an impact, because he missed the taping, uh, through bad means, not good means. <laughs> Just no show So it. So it's been a tumultuous month for even Jeff Hardy, because that they took the the, the abyss match off the show put it back on and then took it back off again when abyss had his contract issues so it's been a roller coaster ride of the abyss and jeff hardy feud but abyss and the company came to terms on the 11th of january but it was kept a secret from everybody it is believed he got the raise he asked for and then it makes it does beg the question just how much interest wb actually had in him and again, I think if Vince did look at Abyss, who is was a big guy, but he's not, like, a jacked, lean guy.
0: He's also not, like, a like a giant, giant either.
1: Because, like, if his shoot height is, I think, about 6'5", which by any standard is a giant, but in wrestling it's not.
0: Yeah, it's just, like, a big dude. It's like uh, Mike Awesome, when he would went to WCW, and you're like, oh, you're just, you're just like, pretty big. <laughs>
1: So they did the classic TNA thing where they kept it a secret because they wanted the big surprise when a bitch walked out at the end of the uh, Jeff Hardy-Scott Hall match on the pay-per-view and attacked Jeff Hardy, hit him with the shock and hit him with a black hole slam, and Mike Tenet and Don West are like, he doesn't even work here. Never mind it, but he's not booked. What's he doing here? But not even Scott Hall knew about that, and Scott Hall was pissed because it was his match that it was happening after. And fair enough, Scott had already cleared the ring, but... Yeah, it's just the classic wrestling bullshit, keep secrets from people for no particular reason, then it's shocking, it will work the
0: boys. But also, like, I don't know, how many people who bought that pay-per-view were like, oh man, Abyss is out the door. And how many were just like, oh, Abyss has attacked Jeff Hardy, so that, that, like, he doesn't work your line was probably lost on 70% of the people watching.
1: Yeah, again, it's the classic other Raw wrestling issue of, this isn't a story on the show. And like in the internet age, it's a, it's less of a problem because it would get around a lot further that Abyss would be on the way out. Like in, in 2022, I think the number of people in that building and that bought these shows that would have known that Abyss was at a contract impasse would have been higher. But in 2004, it's just people in The Torch and The Observer. (laughs) And, like, that's a tiny number of people. And you're doing a whole angle about it and a whole secret, like, return around it. It's like, cop yourselves on, that.
0: Yeah. Doesn't make a ton of sense.
1: Also, just tell Scott Hall about it. He's in the match. (laughs) Sure. Let the man in the match know the angle that's going to happen after the match. I think that's a fair thing you should do to people.
0: Like, just give him, like, the Iggy. Like, you don't have to tell him everything. To be like, hey, after this, Abyss is going to do a run-in.
1: Yeah. So, Abyss staying, not leaving.
0: Well, well, it's good, because we get that AJ match.
1: Indeed. So, further turmoil to the pay-per-view lineup. Featured TNA wrestler Hector Garza was arrested on Monday, January 3rd at Houston, Texas, at Bush Intercontinental Airport, charged with possession of anabolic steroids. He was on his way to the Impact taping. Hector Garza? Yes. <laughs>
0: With steroids?
1: um Let me tell you about most wrestlers and steroids in 2004.
0: <laughs> what? So this is 2005, Garrett.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, we are in 05. I have to, I have to get 05. Just like I have to clear the NWATNA a from my memory, and I now have to clear the 04 from my memory.
0: Do you want to do steroids?
1: Should you do steroids?
0: As a podcast bit?
1: <laughs> Does it make your podcasting better?
0: Who knows. But well, when we go to the video podcast and I look like a, a mega Chad, because yeah. I've been I'm all jacked up on on roids,
1: we will truly become the TNA Chads.
0: Mm. Oh my god, that that when we have to change the name of the show,
1: <laughs> <laughs> legally change our names to Chad.
0: I just think I just think we are the TNA Chads.
1: Garza was on his way to the January 4th in in Orlando. Garza was in Harris County Jail in Texas all week, waiting trial. His brother told Mexican newspapers that he had a prescription for the steroids and that proof was being sent to US authorities. He could have been released on bail, but chose not to, since if he returned to Mexico, he may not be given a work visa to return to the US, even if he was attempting to prove his innocence. He was scheduled to face Hall on the pay-per-view. That was billed to for most of the month. It was one of the bigger like stories they ran through the month, too. There's also one of
0: the more racist stories of the month.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, that's TNA. Well, actually, that's wrestling more than TNA. Uh, But he was Mm. replaced by Jeff Hardy in the end. TNA's Brad Bernstein responded, TNA Entertainment does not condone the use of any illegal substances by an independent contractor or employee of oh, the company. shut
0: up.
1: <laughs> That's the thing. Not like, ah, we're upset that he is in jail. It's like, no, well, nobody uses steroids. If, if somebody uses steroids, we don't know anything about that.
0: I'd love to have seen the Dixie Carter steroid trials.
1: Uh, well, she does do a- an interview before Congress after the Benoit thing about-, about steroids, which I'm now realize I'm going to make you read her entire congressional testimony in full uh, on the podcast. Seems
0: seems a little bad taste.
1: Uh, no, it's it's been long enough.
0: It's fine. Kara <laughs> says, "Move on, bitch." <laughs> Uh, uh, that explains why you were tweeting the other day about the observer hall of fame and you're like oh dave let benoit in but he won't let punk in what the fuck and we're all like Garrett, that's not how it works but you just kept going on with all those twitter threads no that would mean i haven't gotten over it mm. you definitely could <laughs> Fair. damn it it was me i made those threads <laughs>
1: whereas i'm like liam let it behind benoit he was a good wrestler Regardless of yeah. what you feel about you have to the atrocities from he committed, from he he was... <laughs> uh, regardless of what you think about the atrocities he committed,
0: he was a good wrestler. So, I I don't know about you, but I consider that theme song Roush's theme song first and foremost. Uh,
1: Hector and his attorney are anxious to proceed with the case and prove Hector's innocence, and we look forward to his return as the end of that call from Brad Bernstein. So, like, the steroids he was taking were legal in Mexico, but he probably Uh shouldn't have taken them over the border into the US, where they are, in fact, illegal.
0: He probably didn't know.
1: Yeah, and that's the problem, but uh, there's uh, the speculation there was also some immigration issues. There's a lot more context in the show notes from Dave, if you'd like to to, uh, dive deeper into it. It's a shame, given, like, they strapped the rocket to him this month.
0: And that he's, like, one of the best wrestlers on the show.
1: Yeah, so he beats AJ this month, he loses to Jarrett and Hall, but in main event matches, and then he was went to get the win back against Hall on the pay-per-view. So, like, they, they really were going all in on Hector Garza. This was the month where they were like, let's try and make this guy our Latin star. It was a big Dusty Rhodes initiative to make Hector Garza their big Latin star. And, well, it, it ended very, very abruptly. Did they just give up? Well, I think he was banned from the U.S. for, I think, five years in the end.
0: Oh, fuck.
1: I, d- I did check the next time he worked in the U.S., the only other time he w- he worked in the U.S. before he passed away, sadly, was in 2011. So he he didn't work in the U.S. for another seven years after this.
0: I am devastated.
1: Yeah, and like, this was the moment. And, you know, who knows how far he would have been able to take it. Who knows if they would have just given up on him but they they were try like they were really honest to goodness try he main evented three impacts this month
0: and like the the next year when we like, we start talking about guys that they start elevating like uh, re-elevating like with AJ or elevating back to that top level with your abyss and your monty brown he could have been another one of those names and then via proxy uh, a one of these like tna guys for the next 10 years who the fuck knows
1: and then he jumps to WWE in 2007 and has a mediocre run and everyone mocks him. He's a Chris Harris.
0: Oh, God. Knock, knock. Who's there?
1: Don't you dare. Don't you bring... Like, nothing. Literally, I'm irrationally triggered at all times by people mentioning Braden Walker in relation Whoa, to Chris Harris. Whoa, I,
0: I wasn't going to say the BW word.
1: I, like, literally, it makes me irrationally angry when people bring up Braden Walker. Because, like, Chris Harris, fucking all-time great tag team wrestler. Get out of here with your nonsense.
0: Gary, okay, how do you feel about JPEG Mafia having a rap line that says the word Brayden Walker in it.
1: Does he have one that says Chris Harris in it?
0: He does not.
1: I'm going to write a strongly worded letter.
0: Mr. Peg.
1: Didn't you attend one of his shows recently? Like six months ago. You should have shouted at him about this. You you would have watched enough Chris Harris to know at that stage.
0: I think... I, did he do that song? He might have of that song. He did, he definitely did do that song. And I think I was like, I'm like, I'm the only one here who gets that. <laughs>
1: And then you started informing people about the wonders of America's
0: Most Wanted around you, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the middle of the mosh pit, I was like, Have you ever seen Triple X versus AMW in a cage? (laughs) Yeah, the the crowd was really mean to AMW, but they were great. (laughs)
1: Garza pleaded guilty in a hearing on the 11th of January on misdemeanor charges of steroid possession and sentenced to 15 days in prison, of which he had already served nine. He was allowed to return home to Monterrey, Mexico, and did not have to post bond. They were hoping he'd be. This wouldn't affect his visa status it wouldn't affect his ability to come back to the U.S. and wrestle. And uh, as I said, he didn't wrestle again in the U.S. until 2011. Then never wrestled again for TNA.
0: Free, free him, free my man's.
1: So we have Abyss out of the pay-per-view for reasons, Garza out of the pay-per-view for reasons, and to follow up on last month, Randy Savage out of the pay-per-view for reasons. Yeah, but
0: this one could be a positive.
1: A few we've talked to, this is from the Wrestling Observer, shared the viewpoint on Savage we mentioned here, although it's more of a problem of how the company handled it and not any defence. The belief is that when you're talking to a guy like Savage at that level, you should lay out the entire program and get a contract signature and agreement before even starting the program. That seems like a
0: Ah, moment. we call that the, the TNA, like, historical problem.
1: <laughs> they do be love-booking guys before they even have contracts.
0: I suppose they're at that stage where they're like, please, we just need to set appearance. We'll take anything. If it works out, it works out.
1: Savage should never have pinned Jarrett on the assumption he, on the assumption that he would be back to do the job in the singles match on the pay per view without it being agreed to. Another aspect not talked about is the long-standing lack of trust stemming from one of the most bitter promotional wars in history between the Poffel family and Jerry Jarrett, even though they made peace when it was over and did business together, and in a sense it was Randy becoming a star in the Jarrett territory against Jerry Lawler that gave him the exposure that led to WWF having interest in him. So the Jarretts and the the Savages don't get along inherently, and now they're just screwing each other over, over one more time on the way out. That's fun. Uh, Dusty Rhodes and Jerry Jarrett both talked to Savage for 15 minutes on the 7th of December to lay out the scenario of Savage losing at the pay-per-view, and Savage was like, nah, fuck that, I'm going home.
0: That's fair enough.
1: This all happened 15 to 20 minutes before the interview started, which threw a monkey wrench into everything since Savage was booked all over the show.
0: Oh no, 15 minutes!
1: <laughs> it's a raw situation, throwing these shows together. Uh, one of the funniest lines came from Bobby Heenan when someone noted to him that the Poffles don't trust the Jarrets. Bobby Heenan responded, "The Jarrets don't even trust the Jarrets." He's not wrong, and he's also the goat. Uh, Bobby Heenan, which you who you who you will be seeing in two thousand five. <gasps> There was no clue as to who they would go with uh, in the main event at last word. At the tapings, the idea was to call Sting and try and use him as a stop cap, which they do kind of tease because Dusty Rhodes is like, you won't believe the name on this contract. It's a huge surprise. It's actually a thriller. (laughs) They drop the idea that it's a huge surprise real quick, but they do promote it for a week that it's going to be a big surprise. It's going to shock the wrestling
0: world. Should it have been Dustin Rhodes.
1: Ah, his son. That's nepotism we call it.
0: In the well, you know, regardless.
1: So, if you're wondering when, when in that week that they teased, it was a big surprise. Who were they looking for? The answer is always Sting in TNA history. It's like, who are they looking for? It's Sting. They're always looking for Sting, but Sting apparently is not bothered at the moment.
0: I mean, I think Sting, in comparison to everyone else, in like a big title match like that, would have drawn better.
1: Yeah, because Sting doesn't really have like the the sinking WCW stink on him, does he?
0: No, he's like a real star.
1: Yeah, he always had his aura. Even to the very end, he had his aura in WCW. And he, he had a TNA, I guess, too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like I said, Sting's a TNA guy. Fuck WCW. <laughs>
1: Jerry Lynn is planning to return to the ring in June. At this point, Woo! he intends to work indie shows on the weekend oh. and continue to work for TNA as an agent. There is always a chance that TNA will want to use him as a talent, but the fact that he Woo! started as an agent before he worked as a talent has him questioning whether the company wants to let him perform both duties. Oh. Yeah, He does. You will see a Jerry Lynn match this year, but just one.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> a lot of roller coaster of emotions here in the Jerry Lynn segment.
0: I hope it's Jerry Lynn versus AJ Styles.
1: There is some more context in The Observer at one stage where uh, apparently Jerry is a little uh, hesitant to work with the, the modern X-Division guys. Partially because he's one of those old school guys who's like, make moves count. But also I think there's a little bit of him who doesn't think he can keep up anymore if Hoovey killed him.
0: Mm. Right, come on, Jerry, at them. <laughs> Give names.
1: Yeah, these, these these young kids, they're working too fast for Jerry Lynn.
0: Mm. I watched some Jerry Lynn stuff on a certain show today, Garrett. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, on, a, on a certain show that you'll be watching after this is done.
1: Yes, our next episode, which will be in your podcast feed around Christmas, will be the WWA crossover <gasps> episode with Days of Thunder Our friends, uh, Which may, may not seem the case based on what they say on their shows, but they're pals of ours, huh?
0: I mean the powers of me for sure.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, me, maybe not.
0: They called me a professional.
1: <laughs> yeah, they just throw me under the bus.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think whoever started that really needs to take a you know a just a long look at themselves and see how how words can affect people's online perception.
1: They sure should. They sure mm-hmm. should. But that'll be our next show, and then we'll be back in a month with the Against All Odds episode. But we will have Patreon stuff in between. If you like this show, you can subscribe for more Patreon content at patreon.com slash kiddingme They If our one, Hour one. <laughs> I forgot to do it before we transitioned to the news and I realised that when I went to plug the Days of Thunder episode so here is the Patreon plug at the end of our one but yeah you can go and we'll be doing the end of the Wrestling Society X series in the next couple of weeks we'll be doing our 2004 TNA draft which I think is always a fun good time and our last our AWRH draft ended in a draw so mm. we really need to fight on this one our 2004 end of year awards which as we mentioned I think in the watch long is probably going to be the most difficult piece of audio we've ever done coming up with some Mm. of those
0: award winners i'm I'm gonna i'm just still deciding if i want to like fly by the seat of my pants and just do it live or if i want to actually think about it
1: Mm. you want the emotional reactions there's something to like choosing on an emotional basis
0: yeah do i want to go off of vibes but i also i like to like list like a three and then like have a runner-up so we can talk about like who our thirds and stuff was so Mm. who knows
1: so that'll look up in your podcast uh, in your Patreon feed over the next month or so before God, our all out We, just, we give
0: over. out so much value for money.
1: Yeah, and, and all the old shows are there. We have, I think, over 90 or 80 pieces of audio. I think it's 90 uh, pieces of exclusive audio. We have our entire Money at War series, if you haven't heard it, our entire Ring King series, our entire Global Force Wrestling series, and our ongoing Rain Taker series, of which, in the next month, we will have the January 4, 2013 Wrestle Kingdom show. A very big, very good show. So we'll be having a review of that and Rain coming up as well in the next few
0: weeks. I'm sure that'll also be like a weird kind of like half de facto review of the the. the, the I was gonna say the real <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom. It's so, oh my god, it's it's the women's World Cup all over again. Um, but if we'll be able to talk about the the other one that is current happening con- concurrently, uh, which is a really big show as well. So maybe it's a little like weird mixed joint review thing.
1: And that show will also have hooting and hollering, so I'll watch it.
0: Yeah, hooting and hollering is back, basically. So there you go. Know. Gary will will finally be excited about Japanese wrestling again after three years. Actually, like four or five years, because you weren't exactly hot on New Japan before the the clapping began.
1: Yeah, I was like uh, ahead of the curve on the people who were uh, like uh, getting cold on New Japan, I guess, at the time. Some people have gone to the uh, really far extreme of that. But yeah, the clap grads have just, no, I can't, I
0: can't. Oh, do I want to do this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite guy, right? Yes, is the, this, this this current person who's like, oh, I'm gonna like tear down New Japan as if it's still like this hot 2016 thing that's like the biggest thing in wrestling. Mm. Like, like there was a certain like contrarian thing to being like, aha, everyone's enjoying this thing in 2017. I'm gonna shit on it, right? But like, 20 people are watching it now. You're just punching down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Move on with your life.
0: Like seriously, like go hate other the things that are popular. Go like shit on like Raw and SmackDown because people like them now. Go shit on Dynamite. Like go shit on stuff that people actually enjoy it and are talking about. <laughs> like New Japan has one good thing happen to them or like one match that people are like. Oh, that was pretty good. And like everyone just goes, oh, classic New Japan. got to <laughs> let's start tearing them down. Lol, Kota Bushi, and Naito in the Hall of Fame. Like, that's so funny. When it's like they, they they don't do anything now. What do you want from them?
1: <laughs> the new Japan Defender has logged on.
0: They don't even have crowds that make noise, and you still punch them down at them. Mm. Uh, it's just a, it's there are there are actual things that are worth like shitting on or like or at least uh, relevant.
1: <laughs> Dixie Carter finally gave a talk to the company about the rumors of closing up.
0: We're not closing up, I swear.
1: She denied, again, she's a prospector now. I don't understand this. Uh, she denied things were bad, but didn't address any specific points that have been brought up other than claiming they were in it for the long haul and the financial situation isn't looking bad. She said a Fair toy enough. deal was imminent, which is the, the toy biz deal, the Marvel toys, that TV sponsorship money would be coming in. That's probably not really the case. And that the TV time slot would be upgraded, which did happen. I was told she did a good job. Dave, here uh, is the I was told. <laughs> no, it's I- you.
0: You. They were, uh, we should start doing research into 2004 backstage stuff so we can get our own scoops.
1: <laughs> yeah, Disco Inferno sent me a DM. I was told oh. she was, did a good job, and it was something that she needed that needed to be said. But morale coming out of the week wasn't strong regarding the future, particularly since they have two weeks of TV in the can and had no idea what the main event for the next pay per view was uh, while filming. Uh well, get over it. Randy Savage walked out. <laughs> you know what? S- and Stink said no.
0: I'm curious if... God, I am like the... I am the, the, the company defender now. And <laughs> anything mm-hmm. happens, I'm like, here, let me talk my way out of this one. I'm curious if the people going, oh, the morale isn't strong, is like if it's just, like, Kid Cash <laughs> talking to Dave, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if it's just people who are already disgruntled in their positions and, like, 70 to 80% of, like, the locker room is, like, everything's kind of okay at the moment. You know what I mean? If, like, because if something's going all right, you're not going to contact Dave and go, everything's going all right right now. But if, mm-hmm. if you personally have a gripe with the company, you're going to be like, oh, it's fucking terrible here. And you're going to go make a, a mess of it. You know what I mean? So, unless, like, I'm not saying that, I don't think there's a bunch of people who are loving it at the moment, but because like that would have gotten reported, I feel, but I'm sure like most of it, like 70 to 80% of it, of the locker room is just like kind of indifferent to things right now.
1: Yeah. There might be like some anxiety about whether or not the company will be around and that's like natural anxiety about your job and career.
0: But like, isn't that also just like any startup (laughs) that's like only like a a few years into their run? Like,
1: I don't know. And I, I, to be fair, when you watch the shows, it does not look like a, a group of people who don't care and aren't trying. It looks like, the, it, frankly, quite the opposite.
0: That was going to be my exact point. When AMW go out there after signing like their brand new deals, do they look like they're fucking shaking in their boots about everything? Mm. <laughs> like, I, maybe it's just people who, like, at right now might consider themselves under the chopping block because they're, they're either, like, not in positions that they feel they want to be or, like they're not in feuds that are necessarily going anywhere or like not in feuds. And they're just people who are genuinely or generally disgruntled in the company. And it has nothing to do with the current situation because I don't see how this situation right now is any worse than the last four years. Yeah, Like why, why is now so specifically a a morale lower point when there's been four years of this uh, basically at the same level? like i'm sure there's a there's like you said there is a general level of it of of like worrying about your job and your money and whatever but i don't see how this is any worse than it has been and we've been reading every backstage note for the past 4 years so
1: yeah and there's it's funny that note came from dave and there is a note in the pw torch as well Overall, morale is said to be up in TNA right now with wrestlers yeah. happy with Dusty Rhodes management style compared to Jeff Jarrett. Dusty, without the burden of having to run the business side like Jarrett did, is able to concentrate just on booking. As a result, he is accessible and friendly with wrestlers more so than Jarrett. Jarrett, on the other hand, always seemed to have too uh, suits, always seemed to be in too much of a hurry to spend time with anybody, but the, to- the top stars he favored. Uh, sources say that Jarrett... I'm a real
0: elite was- of this guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jarrett said, uh, sources say that Jarrett is more relaxed these days too without the booking burden. So, like, there, there is literally this month a contrasting viewpoint about the degree to which, which morale is down.
0: Which kind of just proves my point. Like, a Kid Cash type is talking to Dave and an AMW type is talking to the PWI. Yeah. PWT. But like, I don't know. It just seems. Uh, yeah, like Dave's thing. And I think Dave does this a lot where he hears from like one or two people and then equates it to the whole locker room. Mm. when, like, you're getting a very specific set of opinions from people in a business that is very egocentric, and if it isn't going right for me, it isn't going right for everyone.
1: During that Dixie Carter meeting, she said that the company learned that the monthly pay-per-views blew away the money they were making while running the weekly pay-per-views. The word floating around the office is that they felt they only needed 17,000 buys for the pay-per-view to be profitable. That's not to cover the entire cost of the company, that is just to cover the cost of that pay-per-view specifically. They'd need about 50,000 pay-per-view buys to be a profitable company.
0: Who do you think's doing more pay-per-view buys, Ring of Honor 2022 or TNA 2005?
1: Uh, TNA 05. Hell yeah. Just hey, about. Shit. Tony. Most of the TNA 05 pay-per-views have done between 25 and 35. Ring of Honor has it was a twenty two, twenty five, and then it was the what Death Before Dishonor, whatever the middle one did do better. I think it was like thirty eight, but on average, TNA is pulling slightly higher numbers.
0: Shoutouts to my guy on Twitter who was like, oh, "With Jerica Claudio, I was expecting a hundred thousand pay per view and they got twenty five. <laughs> like oh, I-, I was expecting like triple what they've been doing." <laughs> mm. I was expecting comparable AEW numbers. Oh,
1: dear. People and their very bad takes and not being smart.
0: I I, I don't even know if it's takes, because I don't think it's opinion as much as it's just chucking shit out online Mm. for, like, reactions. Even if it's not, like, something you don't necessarily... Like, I don't think it's people... Like, I don't believe in this thing, blah, 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 but I think it's just, like, what's a thing I can say?
1: (laughs) I don't understand people who thrive on that kind of engagement. (laughs)
0: Well, I think it's people who aren't very creative.
1: <laughs> I get three people being annoying in my mentions, and I'm like, I'm muting this tweet forever, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> it's like yeah. It takes like three people to do that to me. How do people actively seek out that kind of engagement?
0: Well, I don't think they're very like, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're very inspired mm. about actual wrestling analysis.
1: Whereas I am the deepest, smartest wrestling analyzer.
0: Except, like, it's crazy, because you're so wrong about so many things.
1: But it's thoughtfully wrong.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, uh, as one Chris Jericho said, fuck you, Garrett. Hey, you're attacking me. How dare he? No, I, di- I was just quoting the man who took <laughs> 25,000 at Ring of Honor. <laughs> yeah. Don't leave that one in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's staying in, pal.
0: No, I didn't mean it. It was purely comedy. It's like rich said this isn't a historical podcast this is a comedy podcast
1: i hope chris jericho blocks you too that was the funny thing that happened i woke up and a bunch of people were like oh your mentions must be fire i'm like why <laughs> because chris jericho blocked me after he said that to so i didn't even see the notification
0: for it so i was like what why are people freaking out uh, first of all, I want to say I love Chris Jericho. I think you've been on an incredible run this year. I, think this I, one said, of your I said nice things about Jericho that night, too. I literally said it's like his best Garrett, career re- Garrett, please, year. Please don't, please don't speak over me. I'm trying to talk to Chris right now, who's listening. Uh-huh. Um, I think that you've had been an incredible run this year. I think that this has been one of the best years in your entire career. And I also want to say that um, Garrett is a bitch and you're, you're right to do what you did.
1: You did quote tweet him and back him up, which upset me. <laughs>
0: I mean, like, what, what was my quote tweet, not the truth?
1: You have been saying that for years.
0: It's true. I was simply saying a truth. Um, he, I had a question. Do you think Chris Jericho, like, like, took the time to, like, know, like, who you were? Do you think he was like, I'm going to click the account and see how many follows and what it says on this? Or do you think he was like, this is just some dork?
1: No, he vanity searched to get the all all the backpats because he quote unquote put a guy over, in a match that was all about him. Uh, It was a great match to be fair though. Look at you, you're like,
0: please don't be mean to me, Chris. I'm so sorry.
1: No, I am fair and unbiased. I'll say the match is great. The match was all about Chris Jericho. It wasn't about Action Andretti. Come on. Uh, But he wanted
0: it was was Chris Jericho because he wanted he wanted to do his one two three kid moment. I get it. Yeah, but if if it helps the guy, it helps the guy. But it was it was about Chris. It was a Chris Jericho thing.
1: Yeah, he wanted all the backpats, so he searched his name, and then he found a tweet that, clearly, he he saw an amount of truth in that made him mad. And then lashed out at a, a, what I assume is a stranger. I don't think Chris Jericho knows remotely who I am. So, not that I even know, I think Chris Jericho should know remotely who I am. But
0: do you think, you don't think he clicked on the account? saw the saw the followers, was like, oh, this is a a man of the community? This is a wrestling journalist-adjacent fella? Or do you think he was just like, this is Joe Smo who's tweeting?
1: No, he just saw the tweet when he was vanity searching.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think he saw the likes?
1: He got a lot more likes after he said it. Actually, legit, that was my favorite thing. If you go look at the mentions of that tweet, at least like 70% of them are actually like, you know, he has a point. And then there's a couple of people who are in there like, oh, Chris, this guy's an idiot. Go and off, then- King. And then, uh, like, a couple of those people get ratioed by people saying, no, he has a point. So, fuck you, Chris.
0: Whoa! uh, Like I said, you've been on a tremendous run this year. (laughs) And Moxie match was incredible. That's all I gotta say.
1: Remember when he wrestled Bendito? That was a good match.
0: (laughs) That was a very good match.
1: Several TNA wrestlers worked a benefit event for Cebu on December 12th in Detroit, Michigan. TNA agent Scott DeMoore put the show together and lined up the 600-seat building. The show was sold out and the wrestlers were under the impression that a large number of fans were turned away at the door. Shane Douglas pinned Raven in the main event with Mick Foley as the special referee.
0: Tim, do we have to watch this show? <laughs> Just do, we, do we have to track like, down footage of this show? I'm
1: not sure is it available. I didn't even check. Is this TNA adjacent? The wrestlers who worked the benefit were not paid. Most sold pictures during the intermission and donated their profits to Sabu. Some of the wrestlers were forced to pull some money out of their picture sales to cover the travel expenses. Originally, the word was that TNA was going to cover the transportation costs, but that did not turn out to be the case.
0: To, like, this will bankrupt us now.
1: <laughs> Sabu is still recovering from an illness. He is planning to return to the ring once he's healthy. But sources are under the impression that he will be sidelined for a few more months. From Sabu in a, a an interview at Wrestling Shoot Interviews. He says he was in Puerto Rico and he bought some steroids, took them home, gave myself a couple shots, and it was contaminated, and I didn't know it. It was because of the steroids that made me sick. It was because the bottle was contaminated with bacteria, so it made me sick and brought me close to death.
0: Steroids are really like working their way through the TNA roster at the moment.
1: Yeah, a real steroid company right now.
0: The only one.
1: I did see the clip of Nash on Fox News after Benoit talking about steroids, and the host is like, uh, So you say you've never seen Roid Rage? That doesn't seem likely to me. And Nash is like, Bitch, doesn't use bitch, but <laughs> listened here.
0: So he goes, Super Cracker?
1: <laughs> have you ever used steroids? And she's like, "No." It's like I have, and I've never seen it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like—I I, I don't. Maybe "like" is not the word, but it's interesting that with like the whole Wenwah thing, there was so much like, "Oh, this is a steroid." Blah, blah blah blah. When it's like, maybe it was like the concussive headshots and severe mental illness.
1: Yeah, it's a lot more likely to be consistent head trauma than
0: steroids. But... Like, Roid Rage is such, like, a a stupid throw, like, ra- a random thing at the wall as a justification thing, you know what I mean? Hmm. It's a, it's, a, it's a very silly thing to blame it on. Yeah,
1: it's unlike Fox News to be
0: sensationalist. <laughs> Listen... Uh, I think Fox News has had the best year of their career this year, <laughs> I think they've...
1: <laughs> announced that AJ Styles will be making his return to Ring of Honor for the first time in a year on their February 25th event in Dayton, Ohio. He'll face Jimmy Rave, bills as his former protege. Styles was banned by TNA from working ROH early this year, ostensibly because of the controversy caused by the Rob Feinstein situation.
0: Oh, what was that, Garrett?
1: Uh, we there's a YouTube video. Go Google, Google Rob Feinstein TNA. You'll find our YouTube video <laughs>
0: with fewer
1: dates being offered by being offered to talent by TNA recently. It has become more difficult to justify their policy preventing certain wrestlers from working Ring of Honor. So that policy is out the window.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, you know, they need to get paid.
1: There was also a story this month of Jeff Jarrett taking a picture with Rob Feinstein at an indie. And there was a bunch of people who were like speculating that like Rob Feinstein was gonna be their promoter for live events, and that this was actually like the. Excuse hypocrisy. Me, that is Jeff
0: Jarrett's job.
1: uh Yeah, well, it is now, and, and it was the hypocrisy of TNA to, to demand such things of Ring of Honor. And Jarrett said, like, I didn't even know who he was.
0: That's one hundred percent what I was gonna say. There's no way Jeff had a clue who that fucker was.
1: And apparently, according to the person who took the photo, Jarrett in fact did not know who he was and i completely believe that jeff jarrett had no idea who rob feinstein was
0: I, I you didn't even need to say it and i knew that's what it was there's no he thought it was just some fucking mark
1: <laughs> it was just that an indian some dude took a photo and everyone's like
0: Whoa, it's a thing
1: and jarrett's like i don't know who the fuck that guy is
0: <laughs> yeah 100 percent
1: I do find it quite funny that they made such a big deal about the Feinstein thing and like they couldn't pick him out of a lineup which again I honestly 100% believe they could not pick him out of a lineup
0: but and also like I think that's fair as well
1: and based on his behavior he probably is in a lineup but that's either yeah, here nor yeah, no, there
0: no 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 no, no. He's, he's running shoot interviews ugh um but yeah like 100% like I don't think you need to like know what the dude looks like to not want to do business with them you know what I mean like that's yeah. fine
1: Jeff Hardy showed up roughly 30 minutes before the December 21 tapings were set to begin. Management was finally pushed to the point that they decided to send Hardy home rather than use him on the show. In comparison, Scott Hall arrived at the show more than six hours in advance, and Kevin Nash got there about four hours before the taping started at 6.30pm.
0: When Scott Hall is out professionali- <laughs> professionalizing you, yeah, he may have to re-address
1: some things. Because imagine Call time for these shows is probably like one-ish, maybe two it's usually one-ish and Jeff Hardy is thoroughly not meeting call time
0: <laughs> yeah
1: Jeff Hardy's New Year's resolution was beyond time for work so far so good as Tuesday he showed up for earlier than ever for the TNA tapings there before catering his timeliness may not last long as he was expressing frustration with being there for six hours with nothing to do uh, he described the atmosphere as prison-like uttering they won't even let you leave you have to go to yeah, work but... and stay at work god forbid yeah, but
0: it... <laughs> if you leave Jeff there's a good chance you won't come back. So, uh, alternatively, they should set up an Xbox and just put a put it in the middle of the arena and be like, "Go, go, away, kids!"
1: Bless Jeff Hardy and his free spirit mentality.
0: I mean, I get it.
1: Of, they make me come to work and stay at work until work is over.
0: Oh no, I have to. I have to sit around and eat catering and nap.
1: Maybe shoot a pre tape
0: and get paid a thousand dollars. Yeah.
1: Probably more than a thousand.
0: Sorry, I was giving him abyss numbers.
1: Amazing Red's DNA contract expired and he's not expected to be brought back as a regular. Dusty Rhodes and Terry Taylor are not high on Red at all with their thoughts that he doesn't project a personality and since his knee problems, he hasn't been able to make up for that inside the ring. And it really crushes me to be like, yeah, they're right.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are. The thing is though, Red does bounce back eventually, which mm. is nice.
1: And bounces back in TNA as well. He has a nice little run in 09.
0: Yeah, but he's yeah, he's not the guy he was at the start.
1: He's just not. And we, like we've been talking about it every time we saw him in 04, that after he came back from that knee injury, he just wasn't the same. He just didn't have the same oomph to him. He didn't have the same snap to him. He's just the guy in the X Division, and he does not feel like he should be anything else. And I think Dusty Rhodes and Terry Taylor's assessment of him at this stage is, is very fair. And it upsets me to say that about a basic red.
0: If I am them, I probably make the same call at this point.
1: Mm. There's a point in 0203 where, like, this is your Rey Mysterio, and this is not that same wrestler.
0: No, yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. Should uh, You break down. Sometimes you just break down. And sometimes you're very lucky, and you're like a Will Ospreay, and you're a Gumby man, and eventually... You can slow down in your own way without being hurt a bunch, mm. but that doesn't happen for most High Flyers.
1: You have to adapt, or you just collapse into a tiny pool of pieces of body parts. Graphic. TNA Impact on December 3rd, the show that was headlined by the Jarrett Monty Brown title match, did a .32 rating, which is the company's second highest number in history, and surely a morale booster, according to Dave and the rest Observer.
0: Is that the demo?
1: Uh, no, that's just the regular number.
0: What the hell? I only care about the demo.
1: And it is believed that Turning Point did between 25,000 and 30,000 pay-per-view buys. The drop was a little less than the 25% estimated, possibly because the replay showings, for obvious reasons, got word out that the show was good and did better than expected.
0: Claudio muttered,
1: Goddamn these pay-per-views. <laughs> Jericho... And Claudio have nothing on... No, no,
0: I... Jericho, no, I, 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 I only said Claudio. That was the joke that I, I didn't use your name. Of course, I would never use your name, disparagingly. Even though Fox Sports had apparently told Dixie Carter that
1: the show on the December 31st would be preempted, which they did announce on the show. They're like, we will not be broadcasting December 31st. It'll be on January 4th instead. It turned out it aired in most of the country on December 31st.
0: Oh, thank you. That was, um... Well, you know what? They didn't want to run against Wrestle Kingdom.
1: <laughs> the It was actually college football that they, thought they were moving for, but sure. The announced uh, January 4th airing of the show was only on in maybe a half dozen stations, mostly on the West Coast.
0: Oh no, Garrett. There wasn't even a Wrestle Kingdom in 2005. Well, there would have been a January 4th show. Yes, there was Tokyo Festival Wrestling World 2005, but, you know. Can you recite to me the main event of that show?
1: It was Satoshi Kojima versus... Uh, Yuji Nagata.
0: Well, you're wrong.
1: Oh, no. How could I have predicted being wrong?
0: Garrett, it was obviously Shinsuke Nakamura versus Hiroshi Tanahashi.
1: No ideas already. Run out of them. That was for the first match, wasn't it? But still, out of ideas.
0: That was for the IWGP U30 title.
1: Which we will see in TNA.
0: <gasps> see? Look at us. There you go. Everything comes back to TNA in the end. You know who else was on this show, Garrett? Who? Manabu Nakanishi and if you want to hear more about Manabu Nakanishi you can go to tnachad.com and listen to Rain Take it, our series covering 2012 New Japan and we're heading into Wrestle Kingdom which was January 4th which was meant to be preempted for TNA in 2005
1: brought it all back well done
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it does speak to a little of the, the disorganisation between TNA and FSN they're like uh, you're going to be preempted and they're like cool we'll announce that turns out you weren't preempted it's like oh okay
0: just show us twice
1: Hmm. Bill Behrens, who worked backstage at the TV tapings, was told a few days ago after the tapings he was being let go. This came after Behrens took a meeting in Stamford to discuss helping with WWE's proposed new Atlanta developmental system. While Behrens is believed to have not accepted the offer at the meeting, even before the meeting at the tapings, the vibe was that he wasn't going to be around much longer as he was negotiating business with the enemy. Which, some like I was like, in the Abyss situation, it's like, it's bullshit. Here it's like... Yeah, it's fair enough that you want to boot the guy out the door who's potentially launching the W developmental system.
0: Yeah, you know, where he could be talking to a bunch of young talent with contracts coming up or, you know, anything like that.
1: That is one of the instances where it's, it's perfectly fair and rational to be like, even if he said no, the fact that he took the meeting reduces the amount of trust we can have in him. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Swigger asked for his release on the 1st of January but at press time had not heard anything back from anybody in the promotion his contract calls for a nightly paid deal and since he's only been used sparingly over the past few months he hasn't made much he has to either be used full time or let out of his contract Rhodes told him on December 20th that he was going to break up the NYC and push him but then he immediately lost to Dustin the next night <laughs> so figured the writing was on the wall he has 15 dates left in his contract
0: uh, WWE won't talk to him until they see a letter that officially releases him from his contract, a stance that they would continue to observe the rest of time.
1: Yes, they would never tamper with contracts. That's the no. never a thing WWE would do. No. No. And one of my favourite things Dave used to do but doesn't do anymore is just expose how much people are being paid.
0: Which, by the way, is not, like, a hard thing to find out.
1: <laughs> mm. The top paid wrestlers in the company at the moment are DDP, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall, all of whom are making five thousand per show. Most in the company are making between three hundred and one thousand, with a few of the bigger names, Raven, Rhodes, AMW, making more than one thousand per appearance.
0: Probably Jeff Hardy.
1: <laughs> I'd imagine Jeff Hardy's in that group too. Yes, uh, probably Styles as well. I would hope. And Jarrett is making significantly more, and he's probably the highest paid in the company, given he's part owner, world champion, and makes a lot of the business decisions.
0: Yeah, if I was uh, the owner, and made a bunch of business decisions that would pay me a lot, too.
1: I'd deserve it. I'd earn it.
0: Yeah. Um, Look at me, I'm world champion, I'm putting all this effort in, I'm getting Monty Brown over at the pay-per-view, like, you know.
1: (laughs) You're over, yeah. You've Got to Be Kidding Me is brought to you this week by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. It's the most festive time of year and HelloFresh is here to help make the most of every moment. From holiday hosting to dinners during busy weeknights, you can count on HelloFresh to deliver fresh ingredients and seasonal recipes. HelloFresh can help you eat better amid all the holiday temptations. Their meals have 20% fewer calories than takeout, so you can still have full flavour Just without the guilt. I know, personally, given just how busy a time of year this is between holiday shopping, meeting with family, meeting with friends, getting the last bit of work in, getting the last bit of festive preparations in, there's there's a lot of things on your mind during the festive season and it's nice to have HelloFresh there to make cooking a little bit easier and a little less time consuming. Go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW18 and use the code VOW18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash VOW18 using the code VOW18. That brings us to broad topics for the month, starting with the world title picture. As we mentioned, Randy Savage was meant to main event Final Resolution when he pulled out. They then didn't really have a main event for Final Resolution. (laughs)
0: No, I don't mean, think we ever really ended up with one. I don't know why they didn't just do a four-way. Or just do Monty. Just
1: announce the Monty match and do the Monty match.
0: Listen, are we getting into the Monty stuff already? Or let's just save that for the actual matches.
1: So, December 10, Impact featured Monty Brown against Glenn Gilberty, the final match of this Disco Inferno
0: run, Liam? Uh, rest in peace, bitch. Uh, no, I mean... <laughs> he's not exactly looking tip top bread at this point is he
1: yeah he gets pounced he loses immediately it's literally 20 seconds long crowd go apeshit best
0: match of disco's entire career
1: it might be the best match of his tna run i gave it three stars because it's a 20 second match where he gets pounced so thumbs up good job you good, nailed it good
0: pounce too
1: yeah pounced him out of his boots he even did the like pose he hit the pose he did the rope thing after the pounce before he did the pin and everything like monty at this point just in this match it's like oh just
0: pull the trigger on this dude come on more importantly than monty brown uh this is time for our remember when segment for glenn kilberty
1: mm-hmm. our, our remembering of disco's tremendous two-year run in the total non action
0: hey garrett do you remember sports entertainment extreme
1: uh the good days of sex
0: do you remember Glenn Gilberti, world champion contender.
1: The month of May 2003, we all remember it. A whole month built around the Disco Inferno as the number one contender, where they did the Big Raven match, and they're like, that's a good formula to announce the match a month in advance and really build to it. Who are we going to do it with next? Glenn Gilberty.
0: Do you remember... That jersey that you were really obsessed with?
1: Oh, it's fake Man United jersey. I do remember that. The cheapskate son of a bitch who couldn't afford The man who's been on national television and probably earned hundreds of thousands of dollars couldn't afford to buy himself a real Manchester United jersey, so he sorry to be a, a cheapskate and go out and buy a fake one.
0: Garrett, do you remember when he was a leprechaun?
1: The classic era with the the leprechaun rugby match. What was the name of that match? Look at the Irish weapons match? There you go. Was that it? Yeah. The leprechaun rugby match is a better name. I'm going to stick with leprechaun rugby
0: match. Garrett, do you remember the NYC? No. And that was Glenn Gilberty's TNA run.
1: A tremendous run. A run for the ages. A, a run that people remember in their hearts long into the future. I actually found it funny this month. There's a six-man tag that has AJ Styles, Sonny Siaki, and the Elix Skipper in it. And I was like, at one stage, all of these people were members of Sports Entertainment Extreme together. (laughs) And that couldn't feel further from like this era of DNA it's like that's just
0: com- it's a it's a different company
1: <laughs> yeah it's like that is the kind of history that this company will just never acknowledge again that like styles and Siaki used to be like like they they were a relatively associated act at one stage and skipper was in triple x part of, of sex as well and it's just a thing this company will never bring up again ever it's just we've moved past that it didn't happen
0: I think this is how we do all of our uh, goodbye segments from now on. I just rattle off different highlights from their run.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The things you can actually remember?
0: Yeah, because that means they were good enough or memorable enough for me to retain. Someone who notoriously doesn't retain anything.
1: To be fair to the Disco Inferno, he did contribute one very big thing to this
0: run. Mm. He invented Ultimate X. That's very true. I thought you were going to be like... goldilocks (laughs) (laughs) no to be
1: fair to him he's the man who from whom the ultimate x was the genesis because i think he was the guy who's like what if we do a ladder match without a ladder which is ultimately what became ultimate x and that came from the the brainchild the strange mind of the glengilberti
0: but don't worry fans of glengilberti if you want to hear us talk about more (laughs) glengilberti Then just wait for the Days of Thunder crossover episode, which will be coming out any day now.
1: Yeah, we're not done with the disco. And in fairness, he does pop up again in 2007 for one match. And then uh, he pops up here and there from 2017 to 2019. So it's, we're not done with disco on the main show either. But I do appreciate how Monty pounced him out of TNA and he wasn't seen for three years.
0: Oh, and maybe you'll, you'll appreciate a little taste of Glenn Gilberti and Scott Steiner. Sure. <laughs> you
1: won't. You won't enjoy it. Uh, so Monty calls out all the challengers and says he's still coming for Jared. Afterwards, Jared comes to the ring, separate segment, says he's still King of the Mountain. I am so fucking over this dude's promos. I
0: just... <laughs> it's the same things. He goes in, he hits his catchphrase, just, he goes, ha, 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 and then he smacks on with the guitar and he leaves
1: like he says nothing he's like I'm Caleb Hound and I earned this I'm best wrestler none of you can carry this belt none of you can live all living on
0: planet Jarrett
1: he does that same promo every time and like he's been doing it for months now and I just cannot tolerate listening to the man anymore and there's nothing wrong with his delivery (laughs) there's nothing wrong with any of that he's just it's the same promo how am I supposed to listen to this man do the same promo over and over again
0: yeah i mean i don't i don't care i don't want to talk about this segment i don't want to talk about jeff jarrett man it's just i uh, i don't no, no i'm not the <laughs> one
1: nearly so nearly lured into discussing jeff jarrett in earnest.
0: it was just gonna be the same points i've been making for like five months so there's really no point to it the most interesting jeff jarrett thing is the actual monty match so we'll wait till we get there
1: yeah, so Dusty comes out, he puts over a turning point, says it was the best pay-per-view ever. Jarrett did say he's not defending his title at Final Resolution. Jarrett tries to talk, and Dusty tells him to shut up. This happens multiple times.
0: Yeah, which is the the creative ethos of the company. Just fucking do things multiple times.
1: Or just tell people to shut Tell Jeff Jarrett to shut up is apparently the creative ethos of the company. Now. Apparently it's not... <laughs> I do like these two anytime- like, this happens every time they have a promo exchange, where like, Jarrett tries to do his little Jarrett lines, and Dusty's like, shut the fuck up, I'm doing my promo.
0: Yeah, these two don't like each other.
1: The crux of this is that while Jarrett claims he won't defend the title of Final Resolution, Dusty Rhodes has a contract on his table for a Jarrett Final Resolution title match. He talks about how Jarrett signed it with Russo, for some reason I don't care.
0: Wow, that's a real Tony Khan over-explaining there, baby.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Jarrett will have an opponent to Final Resolution, and Dusty will find the best name possible to put on that contract.
0: He'll find the best three names.
1: Uh, December 17th, Impact was main evented by Jarrett against Hector Garza. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, so we have this Hector Garza story running through the month. We'll actually cover it here because it does tie into the Jarrett stuff and then spin off into the Hall stuff. So previous show December 10th was main evented by Garza against AJ Styles, the winner of whom would face Jeff Jarrett the following week in a non-title match. So that's a big reward to get to wrestle Jeff Jarrett on television.
0: Well, the idea being that if you beat Jarrett there, you'll get you'll get yourself an NWA title match.
1: And I guess in this current instance where there's not a number one contender, that's, I guess, a better reward than others.
0: Really funny because he's like, and I got someone to call and I signed him and it was Hector Garza. <laughs>
1: So December 10th was main evented by Styles and Garza. They had a, a, a decent match. They did this thing, how did you feel about their their bilingual broadcasts where for all the Hector Garza main events they had a Spanish announcer at the desk doing like English Spanish commentary simultaneously.
0: I liked his energy, but I thought it was a little clunky.
1: Mm. Because, like, yeah, Maitanae would do, like, the English portion of the call and talk for 30 seconds. And then throw to Moody Jack, who would do the Spanish portion of the call and talk for 30 seconds. And then they'd just do that back and forth for the entire match.
0: You know what I'd rather? Mm. If they just went all Spanish.
1: Yeah, get Maitanae out of here. I do hope that because they had Moody Jack at the um, the English desk, they also sent Don West to the Spanish desk. <gasps>
0: We need to do some research and find out. If anyone was watching these shows at this in Spanish at the time, please let us know if Don West came over to the other announce booth.
1: You hit the SAP button and you get Armando Quintero speaking Spanish and Don West shouting in English.
0: Oh, I want to watch that version. <laughs>
1: yeah a decent match I didn't care much for the finish so the finish was AJ hit a superplex but Garza cradled him and got his shoulder off the mat so AJ was counted down for three Garza kicked out Garza wins the match they do show a replay on the next week's show where it makes it very clear AJ's shoulder wasn't down either but Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, they tried to protect them both, but by protecting both, they made neither of them look good. Yeah,
1: it's that classic problem where you like you, you worked yourself into a shoot, you're like, we can't have him beat AJ clean, so we have him beat AJ with bullshit. But it turns out AJ just looks like a dumbass for losing in a dumb way, and Garza gains nothing because he won in a dumb way.
0: Or even worse, it also makes your officials look like shit, and they don't need any more help doing that.
1: Yeah, so just have, have AJ be beaten by Garza, that's fine. If you're gonna have AJ lose, just have AJ lose.
0: And if it's a good match, people won't care.
1: Uh, this match did have a 15 minute time limit, I, which confused me at first because I looked at the clock and I saw a 10 minute time limit. I was like, oh, 10 minutes. And then I looked like two minutes later and there was 13 minutes on the clock. And I was like, wait, wait, what, what what's happened here?
0: They're counting up, Garrett. <laughs>
1: but I, I went back and checked and the clock starts on 10, ticks down for a couple of seconds, then jumps to 15 and starts again. And I was like, oh, I'm not going crazy.
0: I think you still are.
1: I think five of the six TV main events have 15 minute time limits in this month as opposed to 10 and they explain it every time it's like Dusty Rhodes the importance of this match is giving it a 15 minute time limit it's like just give all 10 main events 15 minute time limits at this stage
0: I think I would prefer that I like uniformity with my wrestling shows mm. and um, especially with time limits I think they only work if you commit to them which isn't hard either. Like just have the announcers be like, "Time mm, the time limit, at, like at the time." That's what annoyed me about some of the the phases when Dynamite would not use the the time limits correctly. Just like it, you don't even have to like have a thing on the screen or do calls, which I miss. I, I miss them doing calls. They're great, but um, just have them go like, just have them say at the start of the match. It's really it's so easy.
1: Mm. So December 17th, main evented by Jarrett against Garza. Garza earned the title shot. Well, not the title shot. They, they match with Jarrett by beating Styles. This time they had Moody Jack join Mike and Don. They didn't get rid of Don. They just added him to the two of them.
0: The one guy on the Spanish team just talking to himself.
1: Hmm. <laughs> poor guy. Yeah, he's all by his lonesome. I hope they gave him Conan.
0: I, I was actually curious about this too. If we, um, you know, If we do have anyone that was listening to it in Spanish at the time, and who listens to AEW Spanish at the, uh, currently? Was it actually good? Because I, I hear that uh, from most people that do listen to the Spanish version of the of Dynamite that the Spanish team sucks. Mm. So I'm curious. Like, is there like was the the Spanish side of Impact at the time
1: actually good? Yeah, jacket and Armando Quintero. I think were the the commentators at this stage. Uh, in fact, I know because both of them were on main commentary for. Oh well, no! I've, I've I've women's
0: world cupped it with main commentary. No! Wow, Garrett, <laughs> you horrible racist! Wait until Dave hears about this. Uh, Garza
1: accidentally bumped the ref. Jarrett tried to use the guitar, but Thomas recovered. Garza was about to go for a tornado.
0: <laughs> we we can't call it women's world cupping it. <laughs> what? Like, we, we can't call it women's world cupping it, like, when we when we fuck up it and, we, and we, we call something the main version of two things. That's loaded language, which makes it much worse. Yeah, I think if, if we weren't cancelled in the first place, we are now. Yeah. I was referring to a, a mistake I made. You were using it as an actual, like, a descriptor. No, I was still referring back to your mm, error. I think that's true. Uh, this, I I liked that the Jeff Jarrett guitar shot in this.
1: Uh, yeah, Garza was about to go for the Torneo, but Hall and Nash came out. Nash threw some punters on Garza, and I was like, why isn't that a DQ? But to be fair, they 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 built that into the story. Garza took them out with a dropkick. The referee was then about to disqualify Jarrett, but Garza was like, no, no, I want to beat him. And then as Thomas was getting Hall and Nash out of the ring, Gar- Jarrett hit Garza with a guitar mid Torneo.
0: It's crazy, and like... Probably just whacked him right in the face. When I was watching this, I was like, "Gaza looks like he's uh, setting up for this a little more than he normally does. And I was like, ah, that would be why. Because he's getting nailed with the guitar in midair. Like, and that's a crazy, like, one to get hit with, too. Like, didn't, some, didn't, like, the Bucks, like, do a super kick to someone while they were moonsaulting? That was, like, just as crazy.
1: Yeah, and, and the Ricochet's done something like that as well, hasn't he? And Johnny Gargano's yeah. Ricochet. Was that that spot? I think it was Cole. Oh, it was Cole, you're right.
0: Yeah, so, but, like, like that kind of shit, like, I, 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 you can understand why someone has to take an extra minute.
1: <laughs> mm. And, yeah, Jarrett won after the guitar shot. So, this, this continues the push of Hector Garza spinning him off into a feud with the Nash. December 24, Christmas Eve, Roddy Piper's here.
0: <laughs> jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. Roddy Piper's here to say some horrible things. Hey!
1: So Piper comes to the ring, and he has a mariachi band with him. <laughs> and
0: Which is never a good sign. He tortures this poor band. <laughs> They're like, we got played to do like a guest spot here, and you can't- <laughs> Piper keeps making them do stuff.
1: Yeah, they come out, they play some music, and then Piper's like, okay, stop. And then he's like, now play again. And they look a little confused for, like, three seconds, then they start playing again. Piper's like, no,
0: no, stop again! <laughs> then one guy starts playing again. And then they all, like, go, oh, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> They're all just deeply
1: confused and put off by Piper. But the point of this is that he invites out Hector Garza, who wants, to, and he talks about the loss to Jarrett. And, like, he asks Garza a question. Garza has, I think, it's Moody Jack in the ring doing the translations for him. So he asks the question in English. Garza does his promo in Spanish, and then Moody Jack translates. And like Garza does his promo, Moody Jack does the translation, and Piper's like, I don't think that's what he said.
0: Yeah. Uh, I got I don't know what this was. This felt like Piper was like burying Gaza.
1: Yeah, the point of the segment was like to to have Garza be a star by association with Piper and then get the better of Hall and Nash. But because of Piper just being Piper and being, like, the most unhinged, like, uncontrollable man. He is thoroughly off his leash, as I think he said for one week. He, he cannot be controlled. He cannot be trusted to deliver segments like this without dragging them off the rails. That it just ended up making Garza look bad. And Like, Garza was like, oh, I want to come for the title. And Piper's like, well, you lost to Jarrett. That's, that's not what you should be reinforcing here, Roddy. Yeah. Uh, Garza says he lost the match because of Hall and Nash which brought Hall and Nash out Hall says don't sing it bring it then Piper repeated that in a Mexican accent which is
0: what's very cool
1: Uh, they gave Garza a guitar and asked him to play a hit then Garza hit Hall with the side of the guitar
0: yeah I was it was such a womp that I thought it was a non gimmick guitar for a second yeah he just bonked him with the guitar sideways looked like it sucked and then, like, but like, the absolute professionals of these guys that they get ho up again, and he whumps him for real.
1: Yeah. So then he drop kicked Nash, and then he he nailed them over the head with the guitar properly, uh, and this pleased Piper to the degree that he shouted
0: "Yeehaw!"
1: after he hit him with the guitar.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: After the first Garza-Outsiders confrontation where Garza cleared house on both, some fans at ringside made fun of Nash for being beaten up by Garza. Nash got in their faces and said, Don't you guys know this shit is fake, dumbass?
0: They should have been like, Yeah, we're playing along, dickhead.
1: So Piper, apparently, does not remember his lines so writes them down on the palm of his hand.
0: This is a fucking... A sitcom sketch where, like, I have to write things down on my hand, but then, like, I get sweaty and I can't read them. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he goes off the rails, because he's like, all right, it's just a bunch of scribbles. (laughs) That's why his promos are so incoherent. He just sees different words floating about his hand.
1: So, according to Dave, I should have went back and checked the tape, but according to Dave, if you watch him while he's introducing Hector Garza in this segment, he says the words Hector then obviously looks down at his hand to remember the rest of the name, and it's like, Garza!
0: <laughs> yeah. It was not a a segment that made Hector Garza look particularly good coming out of it.
1: No, and it's one of those things where it's like, in theory, you understand what they're doing, and then in practice, it makes them look like a geek. We call that the Roddy Piper effect. Uh, the following week, Hector Garza faces Scott Hall in the main event. Earlier in the show... Garza's walking backstage as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are sitting on a bench, wearing some ponchos and sombreros with their head bowed. Garza walks past them. They look up. They nod at each other. They duck their heads again. <laughs> this is very TNA comedy. And they, There's no reason for this. There's no callback to it. It's not like they're... They, <laughs> they're trying-
0: <laughs> it's just like they thought of something funny to film
1: yeah there's there's no reason they don't jump them there's not a story there's nothing it's just they did a little skit or they're sitting there dressed in sombreros and and hats or sombreros are hats but sombreros and ponchos and garza walks past them they give each other a little nod they're very pleased with themselves and that's it
0: that's the whole reason this segment exists I I respect it.
1: (laughs) I really do. These guys are getting paid five grand a pop to come here and just
0: goof around. Which probably, like, influenced how this company's promo styles and backstage segments would develop moving forward.
1: Yeah, the Nash influence. Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame were worthy for influencing the TNA comedy.
0: Well, you see, this is why you need to get your... uh... Your ballot so you can vote for the Outsiders, for this run specifically.
1: Yeah, everyone's like, you know, their WCW case has merit if you think about it. And I'm like, no, TNA comedy has merit if you think about
0: it. Well, the greatest wrestling segment of all time, the Team 3D funeral, would that have happened without Kevin Nash and his company? I don't know.
1: Yeah, so main event of that December 31st impact is Scott Hall versus Hector Garza in a match where I'm I'm still like marveling at how Scott Hall is still good. Yeah, he, he he puts it together, and he absolutely shouldn't be at this stage of his career in two thousand four. But he's still pretty good. He's like as good. It's very weird. Like all his moves just still have that same snap to them. Like there, there's just that little bit of extra umph, that little bit of extra polish on every single thing he does that makes him just seem much better than everybody else in the show. Like, he's just, he's the truest of pros.
0: It does make you a little sad, because you're like, what if this guy could have kept it on track the whole time? Because he's so good at this stage.
1: Yeah, like, he's, he's like, just the fundamentals. That's the thing. Like, his fundamentals are so leaps and bounds above everybody else. That again, as I said, oh, even here doing a five-minute television match against Hector Garza, does does it? He pops. It, it, he still like jumps off the screen as a guy who's a better worker than nearly everybody else around him.
0: There's this like thing that goes around about like Scott Hall being an overrated guy.
1: They're wrong.
0: Yeah, they're, they're wrong, and like I think you're you're pretty dumb about that because if this guy was like. Straight laced wrestler guy for the rest of his career. Like he, I think he would have made it to every level.
1: And when you look at like this is two thousand four, where he's not in shape, and like he has had every demon in the world at this stage. stage. Yeah, and he's still pretty darn good. It's insane. Mm. So Armando Quintero was on commentary this time with Mike and Don. There was a special 15-minute time limit again for this match, even though it ultimately only went about five. Uh, Garza knocked Nash off the apron. Nash took a surprisingly
0: big bump for that. These guys do respect the boys. They just don't respect the office.
1: Yeah, fair play to them.
0: Yeah, I I admire it.
1: Kevin Nash says workers' rights.
0: (laughs) Yes, I mean, Probably.
1: Garza took Nash out with a baseball slide, then he went up top for the torneo, but Hall crotched him, and then Hall picked him right out of the corner into the razor's edge to win, and then Piper came out to close the show. Because earlier in the show, Mike Taney, I think, produced a miracle, where he did a sit-down interview with Roddy Piper that had a purpose, and it fulfilled the purpose without Piper derailing it, and i like... Listen, it's, it's like, one, I like the aesthetic of the interview they did, where they it was the the top of the ramp interview, which they've done before in the asylum, but I think this is the first time they've done what might stay in the impact zone. And I think mm. that top of the ramp interview in the empty impact zone looks really good. It's a really cool aesthetic.
0: I like um, any of these kind of interviews that are just in the back.
1: Yeah, even later in the month, uh, or in January, I suppose, they do the sit-down with Jeff Hammond, where it's Nash, DDP, and Monty in the ring, but again in an empty impact zone. And I think it just adds a cool, different vibe to those interviews.
0: It definitely helps them stand out.
1: Yeah, so Mike Tanae was doing this sit-down interview with Roddy Piper, where he was announcing that Piper will be part of Final Resolution, that Dusty Rhodes has replaced Terry Funk on the Championship Committee with Roddy Piper. <sighs>
0: Disgraceful.
1: Terry Funk, who has never been seen since he was announced, in the championship committee has been fired.
0: Do you think he got like any money for like his name being constantly mentioned?
1: I don't know. I I, I hope so, but probably not. I yeah. You can't just do that. You can't just use somebody's name in your show without their permission and or paying them. No, you can't.
0: Yeah, like we're gonna start being like, ah, uh, yes, you know, Chris Jericho, we love him. He should he's he's always talking about how he's gonna come on the show and make and like start talking to everyone. Just keep tuning in.
1: He's part of the You've Got to Be Getting Me Championship Committee.
0: <laughs> yes, the uh, we'd like to officially announce the three members of the You've Got to Be Getting Me Championship Committee. Chris Jericho, Liam Jones, and Terry Funk.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think they make like, good decisions.
0: No, you meant to like get up and start knocking over the monitors with AMW. <laughs>
1: yeah, so Dusty fired Funk, which I do appreciate. At least that's like a little bit of continuity. He's like, I've gotten power, so get Funk out of here.
0: Get the fuck out of here.
1: So the new championship committee has raised the Bisco and Piper, and now Piper is also TNA's new enforcer. Dusty Rhodes is—he's a special enforcer for the company. The enforcer, Roddy Piper. That's it. I, like, fair enough, it's mostly because Mike Taney did, like, 80% of the talking and cut Roddy Piper off every chance he could, <laughs> but...
0: And also, pre-tape.
1: Yeah, he is the only man so far to wrangle Roddy Piper in TNA history. So Mike Taney, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame case, emboldened.
0: You're gonna have to make a big, like, compilation video with all your Mike Taney Hall of Fame case <laughs> bits.
1: Uh, So it was meant to then be Hall and Garza in a rematch at the pay-per-view where Garza was meant to go over, meant to get the win back on Hall after losing on television. Unfortunately, as we talked about, Garza had his run-in with the law with the American police, so he was pulled from that match, and Jeff Hardy was pulled from the Abyss match because of the Abyss situation, so they were just like, let's shove those two matches together on the pay-per-view, so the pay-per-view match ended up being Jeff Hardy versus Scott Hall with Roddy Piper, a special referee.
0: And Jeff Hardy is outworked by Scott Hall.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, by um, a million, million, million miles.
0: Pretty remarkable.
1: I am pleased that like we are now at Jeff getting into plunder with Abyss because the, the end of this match. Leads That's to blood. what
0: we're here for, baby. Because
1: me watching Jeff Hardy wrestle in earnest, uh, n- not a thing I want to see in 04-05 anymore. Not necessarily, no. So today explains that Garza was scheduled for this match at, at Final Resolution, uh, but uh, a legal situation precluded him from appearing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, I've already talked about it, but it's so de- damn depressing because I really feel like this guy could have been like one of those TNA stalwart names that you associate with the company.
1: Yeah, and they, they were honest to goodness trying. Like, really were. And fair enough, as we talked about that Roddy Piper segment, <laughs> not to, to great effect all the time, but they were trying. Yeah. Uh, Piper extensively searched Hall and found, like, weapons everywhere, found a knife and a fork, and then Hall searched Piper and also found weapons, which I thought was a good bit.
0: This was a, this was a heavy, uh, handcuff show. Mm.
1: Handcuffs everywhere.
0: It was handcuffs all over the place.
1: Uh, I would think that Roddy Piper does in fact carry handcuffs with him everywhere, though.
0: It would have been fun if he had found, uh, the glasses. Mm. <laughs> he's like hey, what are you doing with these and he's like "Ah, oh, you're an alien
1: <laughs> uh, Hall shoved Harry into Piper and pulled some uh, knucks out from the turnbuckle cover
0: I love that the Kings of Wrestling is a hiding weapons uh, unit yeah
1: we get a callback to Jarrett multiple guitars in the main event of the show too
0: which is maybe the best part about Jarrett in that match
1: mm. So Piper grabbed the knucks, poked Hall in the eyes, Hardy hit a twist of fate and a swanton for the win, Hardy called out Jared after the match, but then Piper declared Hardy the next world champ and left, but Abyss appeared out of nowhere, destroyed Hardy with a shock treatment, hit him with a black hole slam. As mentioned, Taney and West were like, Abyss doesn't even work here anymore, what's Abyss doing here? But we're spinning off into the program that was meant to be on this show in the first place, Abyss and Jeff Hardy.
0: That bit should have laid out Roddy Piper.
1: Uh, Piper did kind of take a bump in this match for the first time. Like, he took a proper ref bump. So, there you go.
0: Piper taking the shock treatment.
1: Well, this is, again, a lot of retrospectives on this show, Liam. The end of Roddy Piper and TNA.
0: Welcome back to our classic segment, Remember When. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, Garrett. Yeah. Do you remember when Roddy Piper awkwardly brought up Owen Hart's death?
1: In a, a shoot angle with Vince Russo? Mm. mm. I do. It wasn't very
0: good. And it was in pretty bad taste, and he shouldn't have done it. Do you remember in that same run when he brought up Wrestler's Health Care? Oh
1: yeah, he was the champion of Wrestler's Health Insurance in a weird angle that also went nowhere, and in which he was the guy being dragged out for being insane, and Don Callis was like, don't you Dare mention healthcare around here.
0: Thank you for reminding me about Don Callison in this company. <laughs> that dude ruled. Uh, Garrett, do you remember when Roddy Piper cut a promo in front of a hospital? Oh, yeah.
1: The, 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 he was during that period where he'd just send in pre tapes from literally anywhere. He was in like his dojo as well, fighting people.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Hey, Garrett, do you remember when they brought back Shoot Murderer? <laughs>
1: to to bury the hatchet with Roddy Piper. <laughs> allegedly.
0: Allegedly shoot murderer. <laughs> oh. I'm just joking. It's a comedy podcast. <laughs> hey, Cara, do you remember when <laughs> Roddy Piper was super racist all those times in this run? He's, he's,
1: he's doing his best. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I
1: hope not. This, yeah, Roddy Piper's TNA run is, is not good. It was never good.
0: No. <laughs> But, it was insane, and there there is something to, to be said about that.
1: He is, if you were to rank the top five most insane people in TNA history so far, Roddy Piper is ahead of, like, New Jack, so that's, he
0: has I'm, that going for him. As far as, like, on the show stuff. <laughs> yes, in, yes. For, in terms
1: of content on the television show.
0: I'm trying to think if there's anyone more... Brian Lola? Goldilocks? I I think... I think... Goldie's, like, number three, which is <laughs> crazy to think. <laughs> I'm not crazy. She's not crazy. Yeah, wow. There you go.
1: The Roddy Piper and TNA retrospective you were all hoping for. The man's insane. And, like, just uncontrollable, other than when he's in there with my TNA, apparently.
0: But also, do you want him to be controlled?
1: <laughs> no. And, like, there's multiple instances in this company's history where his interviews were so off the rails they had to be heavily edited. Remember that sit-down interview he did where they, like... This was so unusable, we had to like cut it together a million different ways just to try and make it slightly coherent.
0: It sounded like um, that Simpsons episode where like they had Homer and they they cut it all up to make him look like he was a horrible sexual harasser. Mm. <laughs> it was like, my name's Homer, and I like to touch big butts. <laughs> like, there was that kind of thing.
1: Uh, that that's the defining cultural touchstone for Roddy Piper's TNA run.
0: But you know what? Garrett wouldn't have it any other way. Sure. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't want to put my name on that, so I'll <laughs> throw Garrett's in.
1: So yeah, Jared beat Garza, then came as we spin off back to the world title program. By the way. <laughs> Uh, December 24 Dusty's there with his secretary Tracy we'll talk more about that in a minute <laughs> <laughs> talk, talking about how Jarrett has a surprise coming for him at Re- uh, Final Resolution the Kings of Wrestling come out Jarrett and Dusty again keep talking over each other before Dusty finally announces a three way elimination match at Final Resolution where the winner will face Jarrett later that night and introduces the competitors in that match Monty Brown wearing a frankly wonderful yellow turtleneck
0: uh everyone in this segment was looking was looking fly as hell
1: ddp came out came out wearing a deck the hog shirt
0: yes (laughs) which i i couldn't stop looking at like what why what Just Jarrett had his 2005 style drip on which i respect Mm -hmm. and most importantly scott hall had the elvis outfit yeah kevin nash just sweat, just sweatpants and a, and a and a fucking singlet. It's quite honestly maybe the best dressed wrestling segment I've seen in this company's history. And of course, Dusty. Oh yeah, well Dusty's always looking to fly as so. hell.
1: Mm. So he announces that the three people in the match will be Monty Brown, turtleneck, DDP, Deck the Hog, and Kevin Nash, casual attire. Uh, And then Nash and Jarrett make faces at each other, because the idea being that Dusty Rhodes is putting Nash in a number one contender's match against his pal Jarrett to try and drive the wedge between them.
0: And boy, it works so well.
1: I I appreciate how they're like, Dusty's not going to come between us. We we work out what he's doing here. And then it's like, no. He
0: immediately gets in between them. (laughs) Yeah,
1: because this show ends uh, and... Hall reassures Jarrett being like, yeah, that belt's not going anywhere. And then Hall's like, hey, Kev, you think about how much money we could make with that belt? And Nash is like, hmm,
0: money. I love that Scott Hall's the one who's like, you know, fuck Jeff. (laughs) He's like, hey, man, you're a WWF champ, you're a WCW champ, you ever been an NWA champ? (laughs) He's like, no, no, I haven't. It's
1: like, there's money in being champion, isn't
0: there? And I do like money. Mm. We know, we know that.
1: There's people who get mad at that Kevin Nash character, which is the TNA Kevin Nash character in particular, which is, I don't give a shit, but if it makes me money, I'll be interested. Uh, I kind of love
0: that character. Character, you say?
1: Well, yes, it's him as a human being, but they incorporate it into the character.
0: Kevin Nash is one of the best TNA characters of all time, and I will not hear a single word differently.
1: Because there's people like, oh, you should always be putting over the title, which I I generally agree with in principle. But then it makes Nash feel special that he's like, I really don't give a fuck. But if it makes me more money, then I do give a fuck.
0: Which puts over the title. (laughs) Because the title is the thing that makes you more money because it's so important.
1: Jeff Jarrett comes to the ring with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Jarrett says that Dusty can stack the odds against them all he wants, but Jarrett will always beat the odds. And Jarrett, while doing this, I, I can't remember why he put the NW title down. I think it was the lifter's guitar. And Scott Hall p- just picked the belt off the mat, but Jarrett pulled it away from him.
0: Hoisted by his own guitar.
1: Monty interrupted, told Jarrett to shut up, said he's going to go through Nash and DDP, and then Jarrett, he's going to win the belt, and the crowd will- won't be singing, Next World Champ. They'll be screaming, the world champ. And then hits his catchphrase, and by God, this man should have won the belt. Pounce. Period. January 7th show. I think the idea here is everybody gets a confrontation with uh, Jarrett. I think that's what they're going for. Uh, Jared comes out in his denim jacket, orange chinos fit.
0: Just. I love this man. I take everything bad <laughs> I've ever said off the table. This guy. He, he knows drip. You, you gotta respect it.
1: Tane lays out all the challenges he could be facing. Jared talks about all his potential opponents, including Liam, dropping his favourite double-A ball player line for Monty Brown.
0: <laughs> I love that Jared's like, he thinks of a thing, and he's like, I'm gonna say this a thousand times.
1: He will never come up with a second thing to say about Monty Brown. He has that one thing, and he does not need anything else.
0: It's not even just that. Like... Remember when he was trying to get the fucking Planet Jared thing over and he ended every promo by like being like it's Planet Jared, you're just living on mm. it and It was like this is a global warning. Oh, he tried so hard with that global
1: warning thing. It's like that's 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 not a thing. This does not stop it.
0: We should steal that.
1: Uh, Tanay lays out the challengers and then Jarrett talks about them and says there will be no divide and conquer and that the kings are wrestling won't fall for Dusty's game but then Jarrett demands Nash get his head straight so he's like I won't fall for it Nash cop yourself on I I liked where this segment went from here. So DDP interrupted, then Monty ran out. A brawl broke out that Nash joined in on. Nash was wailing on Monty in one corner. Jarrett was wailing on DDP in the other. Hall was, like, encouraging Jarrett behind him, even, like, throwing the punches along with him, like, mining him. Very good stuff. Hall, like, just touched Jarrett on the shoulder. Jarrett did the classic swing-turn, throw-a-blind shot, decked Hall. Jarrett was like, oh my god, what have I done?
0: He decked the Halls? He
1: did deck the Halls. Here on January mm. 7th.
0: <laughs> mm. This is our Christmas episode account, so we can make those jokes.
1: Uh, so Nash was mad that Jarrett decked Hall. Jarrett was like, I didn't mean to. And then DDP and Monty eventually cleared house. I, I liked this segment. I thought this segment had good energy to it.
0: I also, I liked all of this segment. I think this was good booking. But the thing I liked about it most is that it continues like DDP's career long trajectory of always starting shit
1: (laughs) he is a a professional
0: (laughs) shit stirrer ddp shows up and brawls break out that's just how it is the man does love to stir some shit so yeah, I I can, I liked that aspect of it too. It was very within character for Diamond Dallas Page.
1: Yeah. yeah, I thought they did the the whole like Jared accidentally hitting Hall thing very well. I thought Nash's reaction because say say what you will about Nash, but when they when called to do a serious wrestling angle, he will do it. And like I thought Nash's reaction felt very organic and he did feel actually mad at Jeff Jarrett for decking his friend.
0: I'm very worried that one day we're going to turn on Kevin Nash. I feel like it'll come pretty late. Like, the TNA Legends title? Yeah,
1: I feel like that's the year where we're most likely to turn on him. Or maybe, like, the 2010 stuff, where he's doing, like, the band.
0: With the band, we're, we're angry at Hulk. We're not angry at, get angry at Kevin Nash for taking the payday.
1: Yeah, and Nash does leave shortly after that, anyway. I think he senses that it's like, I can't even have fun here anymore.
0: Yeah, I'm not even doing papar- paparazzi productions. I'm
1: out of here. I'll go back to the Fed and wrestle in hammer a hammer-on-a-ladder match.
0: LOL, <laughs> well, Kevin Nash thought he was dead. Um... Which I can't believe I just we just brought that up because there was an earlier thing, an earlier segment where Nash, DDP, and Hall all like confronted oh, each other. Oh, I forgot
1: about that one. Yeah, I love that segment.
0: That segment's great because they're all like taking these snipes at at each other, and it also leads because like, I don't know if this was was this um did this happen on one of the shows where they still thought they had Randy coming? Yeah, in?
1: this was the first show after the pay per view after Turning Point. Cool.
0: Which makes, which is actually very cool, because they say say out of each other's business, and if they were thinking that they were going to do the Randy thing, it probably would have been what what was going to happen, but because they didn't, they immediately got in each other's business, so it actually makes sense. Yeah, there's a there's a nice shot in one of it where I, I don't know if it was DDP, I think it was actually Nash or Hole saying it to DDP where they're like, "LOL, thought you were dead," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, full circle," because then that's what Nash got.
1: Uh, my favorite part of that segment is uh, they're like hey watch your match at the pay-per-view saw Raven kick under the diamond cutter you useless piece of shit
0: and then DDP's like yeah well when I banged him a second time it worked <laughs> and I was like ooh DDP loves banging <laughs> he loves to bang I also liked that in that segment they were like yeah, you know when you're going in you're the outside or you're inside and I was like ah uh-huh, that's the names so they're tag teams Liam
2: Hmm. You can stay one
0: step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags.
1: Uh, this January 7th show ended with Jarrett and Nash having a shouting match.
0: And then a, ma- a mysterious man under a table.
1: <laughs> which went absolutely nowhere. January 14th, the only real build here was Jeff Hammond did a sit-down interview with DDP Monty and Nash, which I was enjoying until Jeff Jarrett showed up.
0: <laughs> I like that he just was there. Mm. It was a little a little Jeff Jarrett jump scare.
1: He just appeared as the other people were talking.
0: It's insane how our podcast works. We talk about things and then the real life happens at the same time. We're like a month and a half into Jeff Jarrett as an AEW TV regular.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you feel? He's not hitting enough people with guitars. He did hit, who did he hit with a guitar this week, Max Caster? Yes. I was most upset with that segment where they did the weird thing where the producer cut him off. And then didn't get hit by mm. a guitar. I was like, what's
0: the point of that? Yeah, yeah like I, I get the idea that like he's gonna be like this unhinged guy that like the comedy can't control. But like he should be hitting people with guitars while he's doing that. Yeah,
1: like uh, that whole segment I thought was set up that like, you know, he his promo's going long, producer tells him to wrap it up, hits producer with guitar, but he just kind of chased the producer, it's like, no, hit him with a guitar.
2: Yeah.
0: But overall I think so far it's been a pretty a pretty good success. I hope
1: they put the tag belts on him.
0: Yeah, that would rule, wouldn't it? Jeff Jarrett, AEW Tag Team Champion. It is the one
1: thing he never did in TNA. He was ne- well. I suppose he wasn't X Division Champion either, but he was never really a tag team guy in TNA either.
0: I I, I like the whole. I wish they would just call Planet Jarrett, mm. but I get that they don't want to do that because Jay Lethal is supposed to be like the biggest guy in it. I Come guess. On. But I I do, I do wish it was Planet Jarrett. It so. Should just
1: be Planet Jarrett.
0: <laughs> that should be the stable that all the like X TNA guys go in. <laughs> It should be like just keep bringing them in one by one, like like the, the guns come in and do like a one-off again like they did last time, they should just be in the Planet Jarrett stable.
1: Their backstage interview should be exclusively conducted by Goldilocks.
0: Oh that would ru- oh Scott they they demand that Scott Hudson is the <laughs> one that interviews them.
1: I think Tony would love that too.
0: That would rule. I would be a big fan of that. Let's let um let's let's clip this and ship it to Tony. Clip it and ship it. He knows what to do. And I don't suppose you saw any of The Dark results today, Garrett?
1: Only the, like, the, the Billy Starks and Kenny Omega matches.
0: Well, Jeff Jarrett has returned to the Dark Zone.
1: Oh, well done. The The house that Jeff Jarrett built.
0: Yes, he 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 was on these dark tapings. So that, I thought that was very like a fun moment.
1: And returning to soundstage twenty-one. It's actually not twenty-one. I think it's eighteen or nineteen. It's nineteen.
0: It's nineteen. I think. But like, it's it's it is very fun that he's there. Because like, I like that all the ex teenage guys like want to do at least one of those tapings,
1: just for the nostalgia trip.
0: Yeah, because like the Bucks did it too, where they're like, we want to do one of these tapings because we have like all this nostalgia for the time there. It's fun. They should. They should make Okada do one when next Forbidden Door cycle. <laughs> S- send Send Joe down there. <laughs> Maybe that's where they film Ring of Honor. <laughs> it might be. I wouldn't be surprised. In the Honor Zone.
1: So DDP said in this Jeff Hammond interview that he wants to add his name to the NWA title lineage. Then DDP and Nash laughed at the AA ball player line, which did upset
0: me. Well, they haven't watched the show. I don't know.
1: Nash then said he's here for the money before Jared interrupted, and they had a pull apart between Nash and security, which. And well, now Jared was there too, I guess. <laughs> like, my big issue here is, like, they're building to Nash and Jared, I think quite consciously, that that's the match they want people to think is going to happen at the pay-per-view, because, again, they don't have faith in Monty. And I'm like, what are you doing?
0: Why don't you have faith in Monty? Well,. Don't worry, they'll do the right thing at the pay-per-view. Monty will go over, we'll have him as the new champion heading into the to the new year. So, it's fine. It's just a little misdirect.
1: Final resolution, 2005, mm-hmm. January 16th, live on pay-per-view. The best show in company history. May well be. Obviously ends in the way that you want. Jared opens the show with the same interview he's done every time with franchise.
0: Yeah, why do they do this?
1: I don't know. Jared has to get himself in the show at all times.
0: And then I thought they turned it into a four-way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you saw a graphic where they said, like, Monty versus DDP versus Nash, and then the winner will face Jarrett. They brought Jarrett in after, and you're like, oh!
0: <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? We're just doing this?
1: <laughs> so we did have the triple threat match between Monty Brown, Diamond Dallas Page, and Kevin Nash for number one contendership. Rules were elimination, but pinfall submission and over-the-top rope elimination.
0: I think it was alright.
1: The over-the-top role part was mostly to eliminate Nash without pinning Nash. It, it like the, the DDP was at least pinned by Monty.
0: I don't even think that was like that's a, a bad decision either. No, it makes sense. I'm, I'm really looking forward to Monty Brown versus Kevin Nash.
1: <laughs> Nash earlier in the show uh, approached DDP and was like, "Hey, man, you know what? How we could get away with doing minimum work here if we, <laughs> if we double teamed Monty and eliminated him, and then we could have ourselves a little like." Two, three-minute rest, and then we should go on and have a, a gentleman's contest to determine who would become number one contender. DP was skeptical of Kevin Nash's suggestion.
0: He's like, oh, trusting Kevin Nash, that'll be the day.
1: So they do this match where where Nash kind of stands in the corner as DDP is attacking Monty. Anytime Monty gets uh, anything on DDP, Nash kind of intervenes. And then the second DDP turns his back on Nash, Nash charges him. But DDP, ever the smarter man, ducks, jumps Nash over the rope. So Nash tried to betray DDP at the first chance, but DDP was at least smart enough to see it coming. He banged him. He did bang him. Uh, DDP then banged Monty Brown, hit the diamond cutter. <laughs> Nash pulled <laughs> DDP off the pin, uh, beat him up a little, threw him back in the ring, back onto the pin, but Monty did kick out. And then the finish, which is fantastic. So DDP hit the ropes, and he was trying to uh, hit a diamond cutter coming off the ropes, but Monty shoved him to continue his momentum to the other side of the ring. Monty hit the ropes, pounced him. Diamond cutter straight into the pounce. Fantastic finish. And Monty... Is your number one contender, the alpha male Monty Brown, will challenge
0: Jeff Jarrett for the second time in the main event of this pay per view? Yep, that finish screams to me a DDP finish. Mm. You know he's going for the running RKO, and oh. then- <laughs> oh. <laughs> Monty Brown comes in with a pounce. You know, and that's just just classic DDP.
1: You're yeah. like these people in the impact zone hmm. who, when DDP went for the RKO... Orca- or oh no. <laughs> 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 fucking armed yeah. when DDP went for the diamond cutter those geeks started chanting "Orko" and I wanted to beat them up <laughs> you have to beat yourself up now I do I do that all the time though uh, Dallas Page's neck seems to be in good shape he was forced to retire from WWE due to a neck injury but he hasn't been complaining of any soreness after working recent matches he does only work once a month
0: when you said Dallas Page I, I thought you meant Lance Archer and Page for a second there.
1: <laughs> Dallas Page is actually Hangman Page, Page and Lance Archer's uh, tag team name
0: Oh, that'd be great
1: so apparently ddp is not suffering much these days that's good it's all that yoga the main event for <laughs> the nwa world heavyweight championship
0: monty brown wins in 15 minutes crowd goes nuts we have the new crowning of a of a young champion
1: jeff jarrett defeated the alpha male monty brown to retain the nwa world heavyweight championship
0: I go, You did the wrong. You read it wrong. It's it's the other way around.
1: No, no it's not. Monty lost.
0: <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, that's <laughs> that's ridiculous. Why would Monty Brown lose?
1: It makes very little sense, Liam. Why Monty Brown would lose in this particular moment to end this particular title reign, as if like the TNA buy rates would fall through the floor if Monty <laughs> Brown was headlining instead of Jeff Jarrett. And all I'll I, I'll I'll never understand. Like. Monty Brown was in two Super Bowls. If Like, you, you brought in all these celebrities. But he's only a double-A ball player. They brought in all these celebrities to try and get the mildest of, of, like, press hit. Could you imagine the press hit you would get from Monty winning the NWA title? This
0: Two-time Super Bowl champion Monty Brown wins NWA title at, at TNA's Final Resolution pay-per-view. Pretty easy. It
1: would be a mainstream media story that this former football player won, and like, fair enough, he lost both those Super Bowls, and I don't think he even played in them very much.
0: But he's a guy who was on two Super Bowl b- making teams. Hey, slow news day. You need on, a, on any sports show in the country, you're getting on. Yeah, it would. It would make news. And
1: you're desperate for attention, and this Jarrett Rain is dead in the water. There's not a single, I don't think, a single person buying these shows every month to watch Jeff Jarrett's title defense.
0: Nobody. But unfortunately, there is a single person who gets to make some of these decisions.
1: Well, like, the problem is Dusty's not a Monty guy either, apparently. <sighs>
0: That's silly. Um, okay, so like this is the worst booking decision in company history to this point. Maybe even in history? Yeah,
1: this is the wrongest decision in TNA history. I, I am very confident saying that.
0: I can't say the wrongest decision. The wrongest booking decision. Well, yeah. There was a little Spike TV Vince Russo thing that happens a little later on, but this is the worst booking decision. In terms
1: of, yes, the actual television shows, this is the wrongest creative choice they have ever made.
0: And... Like, honest, it's a thing that kills a dude's career. Like, you know, like, like he he's still around here and he's still, like, is a guy for a couple of years and he gets the WWE run. But, like, you feel as if he, like, was made here. It could have been a, a launch of a whole separate thing.
1: Yeah, I don't think Monty comes in as ECW nerd if he's NWA champion.
0: Yeah. It's going down, 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 down.
1: He did have that great theme, though. Didn't they not even let him do the pounce for a
0: while? He, he did the Alpha Bomb, if I remember correctly. Mm, he had like a submission as well, didn't he? I believe so. I, my most of my Monty Brown, so, well, sorry, what was his name in?
1: Marcus Corval.
0: Marcus Corval, which is actually a pretty good name, to be fair. Um, most of my memories of him were in like SmackDown vs. Raw two thousand and eight. Mm. So, which I played as him a shit ton because he had a banging theme.
1: They should have added the ooh ah 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 to that theme.
0: Oh, you're going down, down, down just call me smooth uh, just call me pals <laughs> this is a very depressing decision mm-hmm. it killed one paying uh, subscriber as <laughs> Rich Krejci never returned to the company from this moment forward it's uh, it's bad, it, I'm sure it turned off a lot of people
1: and we we talked about this and we'll talk about the matches themselves in a minute but like, it came off the back to back matches of AMW versus Team Canada which is one of the best matches in company history and Styles, Saban, PD, and Ultimate X, which is another of the best matches in company history. And, like, you could have had that real swell of momentum where you have those two just incredible kick-ass matches and then you have Monty winning the belt for the feel-good title change of the babyface finally beating Jared after... Like, jared has been champion for six months at this stage. Since June 2nd, he's been champion since he won King of the Mountain. And this is the best match of that reign... Yeah, I think this, that's the saddest thing about this is that this match is good. And again, it goes back to the the Monty isn't ready thing. And it's like he just gave Jarrett the best match of his reign.
0: Yeah, it's 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 all very upsetting. Like
1: I, I, the only way that you, you you can make this call is if you work yourself into a shoot, thinking your homegrown guys aren't stars, which I think is ultimately what happened. And even if you want to make the case to me that like you you want to get the Nash and DDP title matches out of Jarrett. Then do them! Do the Nash title match, do the DDP title match, and then have Monty do the Monty match. Don't do the Monty match first, then have Monty win the belt in April or in May. Like, I, I, I can't fathom what they're doing here other than they're, they're, they're two big marks for stars elsewhere and not concerned enough with making their own stars. And I said, Monty is a fucking professional
0: footballer who made Super Bowls! He's not a nobody! <laughs> one of the things that hits best when watching wrestling is a great pro wrestling hat trick of segments slash matches. Mm -hmm. When you have that like block of a show that is like an old time great thing, nothing quite hits better than that. And having Monty Brown winning this would have been the perfect cap.
1: And it would have sent them off with so much momentum, and it would have been the right call, and the fans were ready for it, and the fans wanted it.
0: And to make it worse, this match was structured in a way that made you think Monty Brown was winning.
1: Yeah, so Monty shoved Jarrett into the ref, Jarrett then hit Monty with the guitar, but Monty kicked out. Jarrett hit Monty with the belt, but Monty kicked out. Monty ducked the pounce, uh, but then Monty connected with the referee instead. Great bump by Rudy for the pounce, by the way. He just went flying. Jarrett then, classic callback to the Ron Killings match where he had uh, guitars hidden everywhere. He pulled the guitar from under the steps, a second guitar...
0: It was like a sort of guitar, too. It was like a little stubby one. It was great. A little
1: baby guitar. He has to find, like, like smaller guitars that he can hide under the steps. His regular-sized guitars clearly won't fit. Uh, Monty got the guitar. He nailed Jarrett with it. Second referee came out, but Jarrett kicked out. Monty went for the pounce. Jarrett hit him with the, the remains of the guitar. Hit three strokes and a low blow to retain the NWA world title.
0: So... We were talking about this during the watch along. Mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett definitely thinks he got this guy over with this way the match is structured, right?
1: Yeah, and like the thing is, it, it's ultimately a Dusty Rhodes call that Jarrett retains. I'm sure there's politicking going on. I'm sure there's more behind the scenes than just that. But like D- Dusty's the booker, and he booked Jarrett to retain. But when when they brought this up on Jarrett's podcast, Jarrett still defended it. So it's not like Jarrett's a guy who's like, oh, God, we really bottled it then. I really should have lost the belt. Like, Jarrett is like, oh, he came up with seven different excuses for why Monty shouldn't have won the belt. So clearly, he's in support of this decision, too. It wasn't the thing he's where he was like, we really need to drop the belt tonight. Come on, it's the perfect moment. It's like, nah, he wanted to retain as well.
0: The most egregious thing to me is that he went back to his hotel he ate his well done steak and milk and he was like he was like I did a, I did a great job today. Yeah, we I really got that kid over.
1: We made this guy. Yeah. I think there's a worse Monty booking decision to come.
0: Ooh. When he looks at another NDR title match? No,
1: you can look forward to that one in March. I think they, they even bottled it even further with him. But we will get to that when we get to that. There is as I said, it's it's the, the, the worst creative decision in TNA history. There there is no single result that is more wrong in TNA history than this. Monty should have won the belt. There's no if, buts, or maybes about it. He should have won the belt. Yeah. It's it's just so it's so deflating. It's just that moment where it's like they had it. ...sitting there on a plate. Monty had momentum, had the fans behind him. It was an organic moment, it built organically. You did this with a homegrown guy who has mainstream appeal, who looks like a star, talks like a star... ...and just gave Jeff Jarrett his best title match of his reign, so it goddamn works like a star. There's no reason you shouldn't have pulled the trigger here. Absolutely none. Jarrett, six months into a reign, people are already sick of. And we'll look forward to this when we talk about it in February... But like the crowd actively turned on Jared at this stage, and, and just cannot tolerate the man on a level beyond. God, heat. shit. And it's it's so stupid. It's so, and it, it's not like one of the cases where, with hindsight, you can say they were wrong because in the moment you could say they were wrong.
0: Well, that's it's a thing that turned off a lot of people. So clearly, it was in the wrong.
1: Should have pulled the trigger on the alpha male Monty Brown.
0: But, uh, you know, if you want to live in, again, you know, those multiversal glasses I was talking about, Um, if you want to live in that moment, just really look at the poster that we put up this week and just pretend.
1: Yeah, just just look at our show poster and be like,
0: oh, look, it happened. Yeah, just uh, buy the poster that isn't for sale. <laughs> put it up on your wall and be like, I remember when that happened.
1: Pretend that that was, in fact, a moment in history. Well, Berenstein bears it.
0: <laughs> if we all just pretend that Monty Brown won in this match... Mm-hmm. It will have happened because reality, perception is reality. So if we all just say that Monty Brown beat Jeff Jarrett, it happened.
1: Unfortunately, we do have to watch more content with Jeff Jarrett as the champion. But they did they did a weird. Oh, sorry. Okay. So Monty won the belt. And then in a yes. dark match at TV, Jarrett won it back.
0: Monty won the belt. And then they did a tournament in Brazil, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And Jeff Jarrett won that tournament and had the belt back. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I remember that. I remember reading that in the Observer. Observer. That's what it's called.
1: That brings us over to the X Division where the main build for the month was around Ultimate X in which PD Williams would defend the X Division title against two unspecified opponents and Dusty was like, I booked a bunch of matches daddy and I'm going to be keeping close eye on all these people in their Ultimate X qualifiers which aren't qualifiers except the one at the end which is a qualifier.
0: I, I I did not pay attention to like, any of the setup to this. I was just like, look at a bunch of cool X-Division matches.
1: Yeah, I think AJ has like sneakily one of his best months because he's just having five-minute TV matches against good wrestlers.
0: Yeah, that helps.
1: December 10, Christopher Daniels defeats Mikey Bats.
0: Mikey Bats comes out to Chris Saban's music. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very funny because Chris Saban's music goes, Hail Sabin. <laughs> Hell Sabin. So it's not even like subtle.
1: Mightine does explain, Liam, if you're listening on commentary, <sighs> that this match was meant to be Saban versus Daniels, but Sabin injured his back at the pay-per-view. Now you might ask me a fair question. Why does that mean they play Chris Sabin's music still? There's not a good answer to that question.
0: <laughs> but they just thought they looked similar enough.
1: Nobody will notice if we send Mikey Bats out there instead.
0: They should have done that with some of the Austin Aries moments. Been like, all right, Mike, make bats go out there. <laughs> uh,
1: I don't think bats had a particularly good showing here. It is an interesting change, I think, across the board on Impact this month, where most of the matches are actually matches.
0: Yes, there's, um, it's not not a lot of squashes. Except for one really good one.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of matches that maybe should be squashes, like, I think this match goes about five minutes and it probably should go about two. But I, I, I on the whole, appreciate the fact that most of the matches on this show now are, are feel like actual real wrestling matches as opposed to we just want to get these guys in and out to do a story thing or whatever.
0: Well, let me, let me throw a little logic at you. Mm-hmm. Christopher Daniels did just have a crazy cage match.
1: <laughs> That's true. And I, I appreciate how, like, the first thing you see after the pay-per-view, you know, there, there's a little Mike Dene plug in the pay-per-view. They pushed that pay-per-view so hard, by the way, on the show. They're like, it's the best pay-per-view in history. Don West was like, I'm arranging with my friends and JB to have a replay viewing party with my friends. They showed a bunch of packages. I want to
0: go to the JB and Don West uh, replay viewing party.
1: They should have done that. I'd imagine, like, a bunch of fans would have enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, he could have done that. They should do Mystery Science Theater. Wait, no, we do that. Don't do that. <laughs> mm,
1: but I do appreciate that the very first thing you see after they lose the, the losing team disbands match is Daniel's coming out by himself.
0: Yeah, I thought that was some great A piece of looking. And I love that he looks completely battle-worn.
1: Yeah, and all of them do. Same with AMW. They have a match against Cesaro. Oh, on the AMW
0: job. look fucked up.
1: Yeah, they're limping. They're bandaged up. They, they really do sell that cage match. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I I thought Mikey Bats looked out of his depth here and with Daniels. Uh fine match Daniels wins with the Angels Wings and then drops with the last rights for good measure after the match.
0: Yeah, um I don't know, Daniels has a bit of a weird month, but I thought uh this was fine.
1: Yeah, even that little touch that like is it was the same with Skipper in a tag match we'll talk about in a sec but both daniel's and skipper showed like real visible frustration and anger over the fact that they were broken up like here he hit him with the last rights after the match in the the six man tag that skipper's in he like starts wailing on people really angrily and out of control again just selling the idea that these two guys are real mad that their tag team broke up
0: they didn't just come out and be like hey let's go singles career Woo. yeah
1: they're not just moving on
0: yeah Just a reminder, they were going to break up AMW.
1: They, well, like seven different times they thought about it, so.
0: Yeah, fucking insane, stupid shit.
1: Uh, December 24th, Impact next exhibition segment, it's AJ Styles versus Johnny Devine.
0: Um, I like Johnny Devine. I really like Johnny Devine.
1: He hit a real cool float over reverse DDT in the corner where he he went to do the standard float over and he caught him with a reverse DDT on the way down. It's like, that's a real cool move.
0: I really like Johnny Devine, man. I think he's good. I like his big, I'm um, stabbed in the tummy scar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, I think he's a lot of fun. He's a, And he's a little like Madman too, which I appreciate. I like his, his touches and, I like his vibe in the Team Canada promo as well. Mm,
1: this is where they announced that Dusty is watching these X Division matches extra close to determine who will be in the Ultimate X match against P. D. Williams. I, I don't love when they do build Ultimate X like that, where they're just like, we're doing an Ultimate X for the sake of it. Who's going to be in it? I prefer it to be like, when Ultimate X is announced, it feels like a special moment, but at least we're getting some good X-Division matches on TV.
0: I think that's always been the bane of the X-Division, when it's just, here's some people throw them in a multi-man for the title at the pay-per-view. Mm. That's 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 always a sign that things aren't good.
1: <laughs> They're not thinking about it this month. Yeah. Uh, Styles hit the his springboard reverse DDT like halfway across the ring. It's crazy. Yeah, so Styles floats over out of Arana into the Styles Clash for the win. Styles beats Johnny Divine.
0: Yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm a Johnny Devon guy. Move over, Eric Watts. There's a there's a new guy in town, <laughs> and his name is A-One. <laughs> that was a good callback. You see, yeah, I'm pre- I'm pretty good at it. I'm good with this stuff.
1: December thirty-one Impact opened with a six-man tag. It was AJ Styles, Sonny Siaki, and Johnny B. Bad versus the natural Xenix Kipper. If you're like... Real weird that they put AJ in this match. It was meant to be Jeff Hardy, but this was the one they sent him home from.
0: Mm, okay. I did think this was a weird team all round.
1: The team of AJ Styles, Sonny Siaki, and Johnny B. Bad?
0: I, I, I'm i I'm really not happy about Sonny Siaki and Johnny B. Bad.
1: <laughs> I think they had a pre-show match on the pay-per-view, and I believe, Liam, that's the end of Johnny B. Bad.
0: Good. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not enjoy his presence on this show. Why why not? What do you, like, really, what do you have against Mark Miro? I don't know, man. It's just, he's, you know what he is? He kind of just represents this idea that, like, we need all these, like, old school guys to be in here, and they need to be, like, because they're the ones that are, like, relevant and whatever, and I just don't like it when there's AJ Styles in literally the same match as him.
1: (laughs) You really resented this man's undercard tag team appearances.
0: I really did not enjoy it. I, I guess in a John B. Bad defense too. They would start teaming him with Sonny Siaki, so they really were like, "Let's kill any interest Liam can have in this."
1: Yeah, this guy is a nerd. We know it, and we're going to book him like it.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I did not care to see him wrestle. I'm afraid.
1: So there is some 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 storytelling this month. There is a, a match between Johnny B. Bad uh, and Sonny Siaki and the Naturals where Johnny B-Bad goes for the top rope Hurricane Rana, which is his finish. Uh, One of the Naturals grabs the other of the Naturals. B-Bad crashes and burns. He be bad at Hurricane Ranas, apparently. (laughs) And allowing the Naturals to pick up the win. So the finish of this match is the Naturals try the same thing again, but Siaki stops them, but this time Johnny B-Bad does get the win. Wow, These are the the long-term stories you get with Johnny B-Bad's TNA run.
0: Poor the Naturals.
1: They're real geeks at the moment, aren't they?
0: Like, they had a real solid run as, like, un- like, heel dipshit champions for a while there, and now they're, like, they barely show up.
1: And, like, they do get their win back, but it's a dark match on the pay per view, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I bet that match was pretty, like, okay with that hot crowd. Mm. That pre show crowd.
1: Styles had a dive here on Skipper where it's like, dude, you're in a six man tag team match with Johnny B. Bad. Why are you killing yourself at the guardrail with this flip dive?
0: Because he's AJ fucking Styles.
1: Do the crossbody. Everyone knows it's like the slingshot crossbody. Do the house show dive.
0: Yeah, there's a reason they call it the house show dive.
1: Uh, and yeah I did like this This match was where Skipper was like really hyper aggressive he was wailing on I think it was Siaki at one stage wailing on Styles frustrated with his tag team partners which is a little like callback <laughs> to the fact that like obviously Triple X and the Naturals feuded so they don't get along in the first place I, I, I did really like that they sold the idea that Skipper and Daniels are really frustrated with the fact that their tag team is broken up
0: yeah it's a very good touch uh,
1: Christopher Daniels faced Michael Shane on this show
0: I do not remember a lot of, <laughs> of that. I do remember that like There was a lot of bullshit in it, Mm -hmm. and I feel like that would have worked well if Michael Shane won, because it would sell that Daniels is out here by himself and he's not used to that, Mm -hmm. so he has no one watching his back and like covering for him with all this interference, but he just kind of overcomes it anyway and wins. He
1: just wins, yeah. So Kaz grabs Daniels' leg at ringside and the referee ejected him. Daniels went for an O'Connor roll. Tracy distracted the ref. Shane reversed the pin, but Tracy still had the ref distracted, while Shane had the pin. Shane reprimanded Tracy, knocked the hat off her head, but then Daniels rolled up Shane for the win.
0: Why wasn't Daniels in the Ultimate X?
1: Because they had put Sabin in the Ultimate X. To be fair, if you were like, would the match have been better with Daniels or Sabin? I think ultimately the match would have been better with Saban.
0: like It felt like he got way more focused on Saban did yeah, this month it felt
1: like the story this month was building to Daniels in that Ultimate X match and they seemed to just, to just go with Saban which to be fair it turned out pretty well but you're right that the, the booking direction very much seemed like Daniels and then they pivoted
0: odd I'm guessing, like, like, maybe they were building him up in case Saban wasn't healthy by the end of the month.
1: And they, they are building to Daniels next month, so maybe that's their, they're playing the longer game, but I don't know. It just, is,
0: yeah, it was a little out of place.
1: The, the, the weird thing here as well, like, the Shane, the finish, Shane being, like, mad at Tracy, you know, getting into it with Tracy, and that's never followed up, followed up on either, so.
0: Well, that's just kind of what, are you could excuse that as that just being Michael Shane's character. <laughs> that's true, he does snap on people. He snaps on Tracy in particular. Then they like they were then they were all, they were good again for a second.
1: So this January 7th Impact opened with a real good little match between AJ Styles and Chris Candido.
0: I thought Candido looked awesome. Here. Oh, he was like a, like like a wily like vet mean guy technical wrestler who was just kind of like bullying AJ around. I thought that was really good.
1: He was so good. There was like a bunch of little things he did in this match. Like Styles hit the house show dive and he he hit like, he did like the most insane get tangled in the guardrail cell of it you could have possibly do. It was, it,
0: was, it was so over the top.
1: Yeah. And like there was a moment where he hit like a power slam on AJ and he, he was, the next spot was like go up the top, be thrown off top with like the press slam off the top but Candido like hit the power slam and then organically allowed himself to fall backwards so that his momentum carried himself outside of the ring so that he could get up top and continue the spot or like instead of like hitting the move and then climbing to the top rope he created that little layer that little extra touch that made sense for why his next move would be a top rope move in a way that like that's that's like the little touches that separate good wrestlers from great wrestlers that little extra layer that little extra level of detail of here's why I'm doing the thing I'm doing the moment I'm doing the thing I'm doing that a lot of wrestlers don't think about it's just like let's just do the cool move and I'm okay with that but the wrestlers who do have that extra little touch that extra little bit they'd be like this is why this makes sense those are the better wrestlers
0: yeah they put they put that little uh that little extra layer on top of things which is funny because I feel like the bucks are like that but they get their uh, they get the reputation of the former mm but i think they've they 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 are definitely a a, group, a crew that are like we will have that extra layer of how things are explained and how our crazy shit that doesn't that shouldn't make sense does actually make sense.
1: Yeah, and this is Candido's TNA debut of course and he he feels like he's working for a job. Yeah. Uh, they announced at this stage that Styles has one of the spots at U- in Ultimate X, and Daniels will face Saban next week for the other spot. And Daniels was on commentary. A lot of Daniels on commentary this month. I thought it was pretty good.
0: They're testing him out.
1: Yeah, Styles wins with the Styles Clash. Real, real good. It's, like, it's a five-minute TV match. There's always a ceiling on five-minute TV matches. But the real good little five-minute TV match, in the same way Styles had a real good little five-minute TV match against Giant Divine as well.
0: He's uh, on a fun little TV run here. Yeah.
1: Daniels remains on commentary for the next match, which is P.D. Williams versus Andy Douglas. Eh. You gave this like 2.75. You like this match. <laughs> I, I, mean... I say 2.75. <laughs> I give it 2.25, <laughs> which is a whole huge difference.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, you know, by. Regular wrestling standards. (laughs) It was was alright.
1: Please tell me why this was a normal, decent, okay, forgettable midcard match as opposed to a below average midcard match according to my rating.
0: (laughs) Uh, Petey Williams is putting it together.
1: Uh, I did appreciate they did like the classic. A, a thing I always, always enjoy in heel versus heel matches, where they both try to cheat.
0: Yeah, that, I was just about to mention it. I really liked the heel versus heel opening stuff too,
1: where they do like the double eye poke spot. They're all trying to grab tights. Uh, there's a real good kid cash Austin Aries version of that in 2011, which you can look forward to in a very long time. But they, they, they like do a whole match built around that, where they're trying to out cheat each other, and I, I love that stuff with heels.
0: Yeah, they should do that stuff more often. That's like when you watch the, like, uh, in the best of the Super Juniors, uh, it's often you'll get like a random Suzuki-gun-Suzuki-gun match, mm. and it'll be, it'll be like tai Chi versus Taka or something, and they, they just cheat their way through the whole thing. So Damore pulled
1: Stevens off the apron, which allowed Pete to roll up uh, Andy Douglas and grab the tights for the win.
0: At the better heel. Yeah.
1: Daniels was also still on commentary for the next match, Bobby Roode versus Chris Sabin.
0: I don't remember much about this one.
1: It's it's a weird choice that, as we were talking about, like, these shows were filmed back-to-back, the, the 7th and, and 14th episodes of Impact, so, like, the, they went into these shows with two episodes of Impact planned. So they pinned Sabin here, fair enough, with interference from Daniels, to set up Saban then beating Daniels the following week to qualify for Ultimate X. I'm like, just just don't have Sabin lose? Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed not to have Saban lose uh today informs us primetime and jeff hardy will be at final resolution which is my favorite thing they do it's, it's like the wrestlers we have booked and are under contract will be at the pay-per-view we're not going to tell you what they're doing but they'll be at, they'll they'll be there
0: because we don't know yeah, that
1: really realistically is the reason <laughs> that they're announcing it that way it's like well jeff was gonna face abyss but he'll be there we swear <laughs> Uh, they do announce Daniels will face Saban next week to, to earn the third spot in Ultimate X. Uh, Saban was on a roll, he was running wild. but then Daniels tried to use a chair. Saban stomped the chair onto Daniels' fingers, and in a real cool spot, Rude northern lariated Saban, and then Saban fell face-first onto the chair for the win, so Rude beat Saban. They repeated in the AMW Team Canada the match as well, but I I think the setup for that was was real nifty, that the, the, the northern lariated him, and he just fell face-first on the chair that was lying on the mat.
0: Much like Petey, Bobby Roode is starting to put it together too.
1: Yeah, these Team Canada boys. And we'll talk about Eric Young as well in the pay-per-view.
0: Oh, there we go. There's a bunch of Eric Young stuff on the pay-per-view.
1: And then main event of the January 14th Go Home Show. It was Chris Sabin versus Christopher Daniels. Winner gets an Ultimate X. Special 15-minute time limit for this match too. But for once, they actually used most of the time. Ooh. This went like 12. Ooh. Also, they had a really good little TV match. Ooh. It might well be the best match in the history of the Impact television show so far. Ooh. There's a couple matches in the first show that give it a run for its money, and then maybe the Jarrett and Monty match, but I don't think, like, you gave this three and a half stars, I gave it three, two, five.
0: By the time they got there, it had felt like one of those Dynamite matches that you're like, oh, man, that was really good. You know, like, it stood out on a show, like, that. this would have stood out on a show that was, like, all good stuff too. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's not just good for the promotion that it's in.
1: Yeah, so uh, Daniels went for the Angel's Wings. And, and a fun thing on commentary the week before where were Mike Taney was talking about how, you know, oh, Chris Sabin has a counter for the Canadian Destroyer. And then Daniels was like, let's see, does he have a counter for the Angel's Wings? Does he have the counter for the Last Rights? And he beat Daniels here by reversing the Angel's Wings into a cradle. So the, tying that little commentary line into the finish of this match was a real smart little touch, I thought.
0: I also like that Sabin is the guy who, like, learns how to beat other people's shit. Yeah,
1: he counters finishes. That's Sabin's gimmick at the moment. Yeah. So the ultimate next match at the pay per view will be P.D. Williams versus AJ Styles versus Chris Sabin.
0: Yeah, I bet that'll be all right.
1: Uh, Styles also has a squash match against Cassidy Riley on the show. Also, just a lovely little TV match.
0: This AJ guy.
1: You could just put him in there with anybody and give him five minutes, and you'll be like, ah, yeah, I enjoyed this. It's good pro wrestling. So that brings us to Final Resolution, January 16th, live on pay per view. AJ Styles defeats Chris Sabin and Pete Williams to become the new X Division champion in an Ultimate X match.
0: I mean, this is real good, isn't it?
1: It is. I think still to this day the best Ultimate X match.
0: Ooh, it's definitely the best one so far. Oh, far
1: and away. I don't think any of the others come close to touching this one. Crowd are going absolutely bonkers for absolutely everything. They do just a bunch of wild shit. The the peak of which. Is AJ's hanging from the, the the cables, just climbing along. Chris Aben springboards from the apron, drop kicks AJ. AJ does a full like 360 flip in the air and lands on his back. You're looking like he nearly died, Then he does the great like sit- up glassy-eyed stare into the distance before he falls back down. and it's like one of the craziest moves you will ever see in Ultimate
0: X. This is Peak AJ being a crazy gummy man who can't get hurt.
1: Yeah, it's like I I mentioned this on the watch along, but I cannot even like think about how you think about doing that. Like most people will say, Alright, I'll do a dropkick and you'll fall off the cables, and you'll just take a regular bump, you know, you'll you'll let go of the cables and you'll fall to the mat. That is how most normal people, most rational people, would do that spot. And AJ's like, what if you dropkick me? And I pendulum backwards so that I can do a full flip in the air and not land on my head somehow, and make it look like the most insane move in the history of wrestling, even though it's just a drop kick off the cables. And that's that's apparently AJ's mentality these days to make absolutely everything look like the most insane move it can possibly look like.
0: Yeah, we we were talking about it during the watch along that it like it feels like the only other guy who was like in that kind of mindset was like very early Will Osprey. Mm. Because he was, like, in that same of, like, every tiny thing is I'm going to make it look as sick and as insane as possible. And it made you think of, like, the comparisons between those two are so apt. Because, like, they both had like, this this growing up phase, you know what I mean? Where they become, like, these fully fleshed out pro wrestlers. And they also have, like, these very early stages where they're, like, we are just crazy athletic people who can do things with our bodies that shouldn't be able to be done by anyone. And it also makes you very, like sad I think that we never got like a Will Ospreay ultimate next match at the time because I feel like he's the only other guy like AJ who can really like imagine him in that environment like AJ in this environment is different from even someone like a super athletic like a Chris Sabin or a Petey Williams having AJ in this environment is so over the top and brings like a whole new level of danger and athleticism that you you, you just don't see from people and I think is the only other person who could have even encapsulated that to a like a fraction of the extent you know
1: what's funny yeah we got a will osprey king of the mountain but we didn't get a will osprey ultimate x i do remember the king of the mountain like will getting king of the mountain never mind ultimate x
0: maybe one day who knows he's i, I don't even i don't know if i want will osprey in ultimate x now
1: i think i still think he'd do some uh, wild shit
0: yeah but i like it has to be 2013 will osprey who just knows flips mm. That's 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 the error of Will Osprey that needs to be in there. It needs to be the Will Ospreay Mark Andrews Del feud error. Yeah. That's the Will Ospreay that needs to be in Ultimate
1: X. Good one, Will Ospreay against Mark Andrews in that era of DNA. Could
0: do, do um yeah, do do, do, do those three. <laughs> and put them in Ultimate X and it would have been perfect.
1: Uh, even like the Canadian destroyer he took in this match was like it's the best looking Canadian destroyer of all time.
0: I loved it because it looked like a pile driver. Yeah, a
1: lot of like modern Canadian destroyers, and even like a lot of the better ones PD does. A lot of guys do the thing where they might flip up to their feet, or they might do like an elaborate bump. It feels
0: like more of a momentum thing.
1: Yeah, whereas this was he just stuck him with it. He just hit him with a flip pile driver, and it looked like he died. And it's I don't think there's ever been a better looking Canadian destroyer either done by PD or anybody else.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a very good, very pretty move. And AJ dies on it, so it's great. But also, he dies on it, but it's also super safe. Yeah, if
1: you look very closely, his head comes fucking nowhere near that mat.
0: Yeah. He just, like, he tilts perfectly on it. He
1: just sells it in a way, which is, that's how wrestling is supposed to work. I'm sorry to expose the business. But he sells it in a way that makes it look like he absolutely got killed. And it's probably one of the safer Canadian destroyers you've ever seen in your life.
0: It's very exciting.
1: So Damore immediately tries to interfere in this match, Mike Posey ejects him, and Damore throws a sensational tantrum, he's jumping up and down, they actually cut to a great shot where they're showing Damore throw the tantrum through the tunnel, so you just see him from behind, like, jumping up and down, stomping, kicking the tunnel, throwing his jacket down the tunnel. And you
0: know what that is? That's pro wrestling instincts. Mm. Because there was no guarantee that the camera was on him in that moment. Yeah. But he was doing it because he's a fucking genius at pro wrestling.
1: And it's one of those things where, like, so often you might get a guy who gets caught. You know, he's walking through the tunnel and he doesn't realize, like, he's still on camera. Where, like, Demore is walking through the tunnel and he's li- literally, like, kicking the edge of the tunnel, that he starts screaming at random people as he walks through the tunnel. The man is fully committed to his bit.
0: I wish he had a soul kicking the tunnel. That's my one note.
1: <laughs> oh, he hurt his foot?
0: Yeah, I wish he went, like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> So
1: that it, it's just a regular three-way match. Petey ran at Sabin off AJ's shoulders while PD was hanging from Ultimate X.
0: Cool move. It's, it's just stupid, insane bullshit. I love it. The
1: one spot that didn't quite come off is PD was dangling upside down from the Ultimate X. And AJ went for a springboard flying forearm from the apron to PD dangling from the Ultimate X. And I think Petey in the moment realized, I can't take a bump like this. Or I'll fall on my head and die.
0: Or I will scorpion myself as I hit the, the ring.
1: Yeah. So in the very, very last second, I think in order to try and sell the move without dying, PD pulled himself up a little so that AJ basically completely missed.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I also think maybe it was just a bad camera angle that didn't help as well mm. because I think it looked like, to me, I I saw it as like he kind of like he hit him in the face and knocked him back. Yeah. But I think the the specific camera angle that they used in that moment the hard cam made it kinda of look like he just glanced and we got him with it. So I think if that if if it was a floor cam for that it would look better. Yeah, so then PG just falls down. Uh, Saban hits a
1: super frankensteiner while hanging from Ultimate X, which is a great. You've got to be hitting from Don West, which might be added to the
0: intro. Well, it's, it's either that one or the one in the tag match, because that's like, the cleanest one I've ever heard. Mm,
1: it, AJ and Saban did the springboard dropkick, which, if you've never seen it, it's 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 insane. It's not quite skipper cage walk insane, but it's just one of those things is like, you're just a crazy man. You're a crazy insane person who could have died.
0: Yeah, and somehow survived.
1: They incorporate psychology into this Ultimate X, Liam,
0: who, who thunk it?
1: So AJ and PD are both climbing the truss, and PD grabs AJ's arm, pulls the arm through, and then AJ falls and dangles by the arm for a while. So the story is that AJ only has one arm, pulls Saban off of Ultimate X with one arm, and then hits a one arm Styles Clash, which is fucking badass.
0: I love Styles Clash variants. Mm. Like, that's one of my favorite things in wrestling. Like, it was him and Suzuki, where Suzuki had him in, like, the triangle. Mm-hmm. And he picked him up out of the triangle and hit the, the Clash while he was still holding onto the arm.
1: Which is a lot like I did it here, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah. But he, he was like he was still in the armbar while he did it. It was some crazy stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, so AJ hit, hits that stars Clash. He goes to climb, but his arm gives out on him. Then PD hits that Canadian Destroyer, which, again, looks insane. It's the best-looking Canadian Destroyer of all time. Saban and PD climb from either side... They unhook the belt, they're fighting over the belt, because the rules are you unhook the belt, the person who gets down to the mat with the belt is the person who wins the belt in Ultimate X. Styles springboards in from the apron, knocks the belt out of Sabin and Petey's hands, and picks it up off the mat. AJ Styles wins the X Division title in Ultimate X. Great finish, again incorporates psychology in Ultimate X match, where the dude couldn't climb, so he found a way to win without being able to climb. Uh, it's it's the best all of the next match it's far like there's a bunch of insane shit can't stress how much the crowd are losing their mind at this match <laughs> they're they're going absolutely bonkers like there's even a spot where Saz hits the reverse DDT while PD holds Saban in a reverse DDT so he reverse DDTs both of them and the crowd they've never seen a cooler move in their life they're going absolutely insane
0: <laughs> they this crowd had a real run of it, and you know when Monty won in the main event, it was just the perfect cap off to that to that night for them.
1: Yeah. So Styles is your New X Division champion, and what I do think still stands as the best Ultimate X match of all time. So if you look at the Final Resolution 2005 card, and you wonder where did that Skipper against Sanjay match come from, the answer is that's the match they put on when they cancelled the Miz and Hardy.
0: And it is surprisingly very very good I mean maybe not surprisingly but you kind of expect just like a match should see an impact and they go out there and deliver a pay-per-view effort yeah
1: you expect like the decent three star undercard matches you get with a lot of TNA undercard matches in these days sometimes less than three stars and they go out there and they kind of kill it they go out there and just kind of rock the place and like for the crowd are absolutely insane like we'll talk about the three live crew match in a minute and this is the most I've ever enjoyed three live crew I think because this crowd are bonkers for everything but yeah, Skipper mm. and Sandra just come out there, and they just kick a bunch of ass,
0: and it rules? Of course. Um, and it's good for Skipper, too. Yeah. Skipper really needs, like, something. Daniels is always going to have, like, the charisma, and he's going to get bigger opportunities at this point, but Skipper really needed a little fucking oomph to him. And
1: apparently coming out of the triple X breakup, like, they're like, we have plans for Daniels. Not really for Skipper.
0: I mean, you, you could kind of see it, but, like, Skipper took, like, three episodes of Impact before he started showing up again and the first thing you saw after the pay-per-view was dangerous. Yeah,
1: the only thing Skipper really does on the TVs is we talked about the six-man tag and he also has a squash against David Young. So he's only on two episodes in very small doses, not building toward anything in particular and here he just goes out there with Sanjay and they just have a great match they just have a real great match like I was three and three quarter on this it's like shockingly good when you look at the lineup and you're like what are the good matches on this card again as you said you, you, it's not that you don't expect it from Skipper particularly Sanjay but you kind of didn't and they went out there and rocked it so good job to them yeah that takes us over to the tag team. Before we do the good tag team stuff, let's do the bad tag team stuff.
0: Uh, would you call it bad? No,
1: it was fine, but it barely existed.
0: I, You told me that there was like a week of build to this and I was
1: shocked, so... There was. There was that one segment where Jeff Hammond was working out in the ring with 3LK.
0: <laughs> I thought that doesn't count as a real build. I was so confused by that. I was like, who is this random fucking nerd <laughs> hanging out with 3LK? I was like... What fucking kind of like is this? Is this Billy Gunn? Is he here for the four LK run? What's going on?
1: Yeah, so they just they they show a, a thing where before the show, Jeff Hammond is just he's just working out. He's doing some some running some spots with the three left crew, and then Shane and Kazarian come up and just start mocking him and start like Don West characterizes it on commentary later. He's like he started saying, "There's no left turns here," mocking him for NASCAR. It's like <laughs> owned. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the only build you do get to the Shazarian and Daniels against three live crew match on the pay per view,
0: which is actually good.
1: Yeah, like uh, we were mentioning the watch along. There's two minutes of Conan chain wrestling at the start of this match, where like he comes in there crowd or hot. He does a bunch of really good looking chain wrestling. It's really smooth. It's really like like crisp. And if you just watch those two minutes of Conan, you would think he is in fact the best wrestler in this company.
0: Yeah, he's. Because the thing about Conan too is he has all this fucking charisma about him mm-hmm. as well. So it's like, you really... If, if It's like a whole era of these dudes where you're like, you have all the charisma in the fucking world, but you just don't care about work rate because you've come up in an era or you've been in companies at their peaks where like work rate is not a priority. But if you just... Mm-hmm. Had both, you'd be fucking all time great. Or a little bit
1: of Conan at the stage he is in his, his physical decline. He's he's out of his prime.
0: I was using Conan as a platform for more of a general point, mm. but I, I I understand.
1: So yeah, you do get the, the catchphrase guys with their three life crew, and they're they're super over here, and like this is what they should be doing. Really good, fast, energetic eight minute matches. That's all three life crews should ever, ever, ever be doing. I shouldn't hear them talk. Or unless they're doing their catchphrases, I'll allow them to do the Conan and BG catchphrase. Ron doesn't get a catchphrase, which is a little upsetting. The other two hit their catchphrases, but poor Ron gets a nothing.
0: What would what would Ron's catchphrase be?
1: This mother is a badge. What's up? Oh yes, he doesn't get that until 2006. So
0: maybe the most famous of all the catchphrases. Wrap mm. right, Actually, actually, that's pretty. It's probably pretty fucking even all around, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and people might not know, a TNA catchphrase before a WWE catchphrase.
0: Isn't it a TNA song?
1: It is. He debuts the song in TNA. There you go. He's one of the very rare people to take their TNA theme song to WWE. He's just like Cody Rhodes.
0: And Mickey James.
1: Yeah, she can't too.
0: I'm surprised that that's even happened three times, to be honest. Mm. When has there been other instances of people bringing outside themes and using them in WWE? There can't be a lot.
1: Yeah, WWE are very, very particular about what they own. Which I guess makes sense when you think about it, but...
0: WCW themes that made it over, I guess? There weren't even a
1: ton of those. Like, Billy Kidman's at the start, but they changed it.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Wait, no, was his W theme the rapey one or the WCW one?
1: WCW one was the rapey one. Oh, no.
0: Like, Goldberg? Did he, did he have a WCW theme? Was his they the same?
1: His was remixed, but I think it's more or less the same song. They changed things. Yeah, NWO was a big one. Yes, and Hogan did have Voodoo Child in both companies for a while. Yes. Yeah, a lot of the WCW ones are ch- Like Ray never had his WCW theme, Jericho never had his WCW theme, the 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 the, the Radicals never of course never had their WCW themes. All those people came in. Chronic! Chronic had their WCW chronic, theme.
0: Chronic. Chronic. Oh Garrett, do you love Chronic? Uh
1: I don't mind Chronic. Oh.
0: Well then hope you're looking forward to WWA.
1: <laughs> oh good.
0: Well you'll get to see. Like a 15-minute chronic match.
1: I'm excited. Good.
0: I'm glad. Hey, Garrett. Yes? You like Alan Funk? Uh,
1: that's Bruce, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I want to see him do a 20-minute Hulk Hogan gimmick.
1: I want to see Bruce at all times.
0: I don't think you'd.
1: <laughs> Look forward to that at Christmas. Uh, It was fun to see Daniels and Kazarian on a team together. That's a fun little foreshadowing toward uh, Bat Influence and SDU. Ah, uh,
0: Bat Influence, of course. The goatest of the goat themes.
1: mm uh, Michael Shane, original <laughs> SCU member We've,
0: We already tried to sell that
1: uh, There's like the, the three steps to SCU, there, there's this one-off tag team with Shazarian, there's then Ego, the extraordinary gentleman's organisation with Bobby Roode, good stable short-lived, didn't have enough long, long enough of a run
0: was, was, Did Bobby leave at that point? Was that what shut that down? I remember it at the time
1: uh, Dinosaur Kazarian left
0: Ah uh, yeah, and then he did Dirty Heels yeah, Was that he, before? And
1: then Roode moved on to Dirty Heels with Ares Well, no, he would have done done it beforehand as well. So it was Dirty Heels, then Ego, then back to Dirty Heels.
0: I liked Dirty Heels.
1: They were a good team. They had some good matches. Yeah,
0: I I remember it was sort of towards... (laughs) This is some real third hour shit right now. Mm. Let's just talk about TNA memories. I remember towards my end of interest in Impact once, I think, with a lot of people, the Aces and Aids run Mm. killed... Uh, my weekly viewership, but uh, I really did enjoy those bad influence, ego, dirty heels runs.
1: Good teams, good wrestlers doing good stuff. Yeah,
0: I think my the last thing I watched, like, made sure to watch, was like the AJ face turn.
1: Yeah, heading into Bamflore twenty thirteen.
0: Yeah, which is an, also an all time moment that the crowd does not pop nearly good enough for.
1: Or the evil ways into get ready to fly. Yes.
0: That crowd kind of is mild for that, and I just want to go in there and like edit a fucking Road Warriors pop over (laughs) it, because it's a perfectly built angle that just doesn't get the hype that it should have.
1: That transition rules as well. Yeah. Uh, but Tree Life Crew won. They hit their their assisted leg lariat thing they do where BG and Conan lift the opponent up and, and Ron hits a leg lariat on Shane for the win.
0: Uh, jokes on you, you won't be able to clip that for the YouTube because there's a big 10-minute interlude in the middle of
1: it. Honestly, if you looked at the title for the NYC against <laughs>
0: How uh, we talk about anything except the match, yeah.
1: yeah. I enjoyed that title. It's like we talk about literally anything but this match.
0: I think we just started talking about IMDb's.
1: Yeah, we we went off on a Trinity tangent, and then an American sports tangent, and then came back around the end.
0: I'm all, I'm always down to go on a Trinity tangent, though. She's great.
1: You know what? You mentioned it? Let's go on a Trinity tangent, then.
0: Um, I'm, I'm, you know what? Let's knock out some of these best of the rest. I'd like to actually end on something great, so maybe we can end on the Team Canada match.
1: December 17th, Impact, Dusty Rhodes is in his office. His office is a pickup truck backstage, which I do appreciate.
0: I love his line about, you know, where I come from, this is where work gets done. Because it's kind of true as someone who lived in rural country towns.
1: Wow, you're like all these city folk, they don't get nothing done. Whereas like oh, around the pickup truck, everything gets done in our rural areas.
0: It's not wrong.
1: I'll be working on the pickup truck all could day long.
0: I've seen contracts been signed in the back of a pickup truck
1: before.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: Everyone knows if you own a pickup truck, you'll have a job for life. <laughs> you can move shit. Everybody needs things moved, and nobody has the capacity to move things. It's a fact of life. Not wrong. So Dusty's in his office, pickup truck backstage. Uh, Tracy yes. shows up. Boy, does she! And she offers her. Secretarial services to the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Boy does she. She then proceeds to trip and fall right into his lap.
0: Boy does she.
1: And he he's like, oh, go answer that phone call. And Dusty stares at her butt as he she does. Boy does he. So a reminder, just in case you don't remember, that the booker of this show Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) is the American Dream Dusty Rhodes.
0: Oh, that's why he's now the sexiest piece of meat on the show. <laughs> so he is now booked
1: himself to be in a love triangle between Tracy and Trinity as they horn on him at all times.
0: I don't know. They play it off, like, in good nature, I suppose. They seem to, like, be enjoying the segments. Because they're doing some pretty, like, stupid comedy shit, which is fun.
1: December thirty-one. You do get the Tracy blowing up with with Michael Shane, which I thought might be a write off, so that you can go stick with this Dusty stuff. But that doesn't seem to be the case.
0: Yeah, it's weird that like she's doing both of these things because like what she's doing with Dusty could be perceived mm. as a babyface esque thing, right? Like especially for the time and the tone of the show. But when she's with the Shazarian act, obviously she's healing that shit up. Yeah. So earlier on
1: that show, Dusty handed Tracy some papers. Then Trinity showed up and she's like, I know what you're doing here. And Tracy's like, I have no idea what you mean. I just want to help the American dream. Yes. She's like, You're kissing Dusty's ass. So they're feuding over Dusty Roads.
0: <laughs> okay, uh is this the last thing before the actual show? Like the paper?
1: No, there's more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I, 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 my my only thing I have to say is about the pay-per-view stuff, so...
1: There's a segment on the January 7th impact where Tracy welcomes Trinity and Johnny Fairplay to Dusty's office. Again, pickup truck. Anytime we say Dusty's office, it's a truck. Uh, Trinity sits on a rope, thinks it's a snake, freaks out. You know, they city folk. So, Dusty has left behind a survivor-like note that declares some kind of vague clue (laughs) that they need to follow (laughs) and solve, and immediately Johnny Fairplay and Trinity declare an alliance and steal the clue.
0: which, again, you know, Tracy is the face.
1: And then Go Home Show, January 14th, Trinity and Johnny Fairplay were looking for the clue. Tracy frowned it and declared that the game will begin at final resolution. Two will stay, but one
0: will go. (laughs) I wonder who that one is going to be.
1: Do you think there's part of Dusty who's like, Let's put fair play in this, so they can't accuse me of just having women horn
0: over me. No. <laughs> I don't think that was ever a, consider- a consideration. I think they just wanted to get rid of fair play.
1: This was the write-off for Johnny Fairplay in his weird rule or uh, uh, weird weird DNA run. Garrett. Yes.
0: Is this the first ever Feast or Fired?
1: I <laughs> guess it is, but it's it's built around a survivor game.
0: <laughs> it is it is the, the beta for Feast or Fired.
1: So, final resolution, we had a show-running angle.
0: Boy, did it run along the show.
1: (laughs) Dusty was in his truck with Trinity and Tracy. They hit on him. Fair play's there, too. Dusty reinforced that one will leave, and he wants them to find a clue and bring it back to him. And then he says, the clue will be as clear as the hat on your head. Oh,
0: what could he mean by that?
1: What could he mean by that? He could mean anything. Mm. You know when Survivor was, like, peak of its popularity? Which you would have been like two yes. years old, so you wouldn't.
0: You, you wouldn't really. I, I remember it vividly.
1: Uh, when I was in primary school, we used to actually do this. We used to do our own like uh, during lunch in school and yard. We used to do our own like uh, survivor games where we build puzzles and solve alliances, that create alliances and vote each other out. Used to do that in school. Did you win? I don't think I ever won. I'm not. I, I'm neither smart enough to win by on merit, nor social enough to win via like scheming. <laughs> so I was never good enough to win Survivor. Mm. So this would probably like I would have been to ago by this. So I, 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 we would have already done this. They're clearly aping my childhood for this pay per view skit. I
0: can understand why you fell in love with this company, huh?
1: <laughs> I do. I do love Survivor. To be fair, it's a great show. Aired on T.G. Catter over here, Asquilga as well. So if you'd like a little Irish culture, you can watch Survivor. <laughs> uh, Fairplay found the clue. He was in Dusty's office sitting in his chair. He saw the hat. He put the hat on. Not because he thought he realized Dusty's clue suggested that he should look in the hat. He's like, Dusty's hat, I should wear it. But when he wore it, he found the clue underneath the hat. It just said, clue, in large block letters.
0: Yeah, that that looks like a clue. If you're imagining a clue, it's what a clue is.
1: So if it looks like a clue, sounds like a clue, and says clue in large block letters on it.
0: It's probably a clue. Uh,
1: Tracy hit on a guy backstage looking for clues. Trinity came up, said Dusty needed her. Trinity then hit on the same guy looking for clues, but left, left frustrated when he, she realized he didn't have any.
0: <laughs> the guy thought he was the, the hottest guy of all time.
1: Yeah, Trinity and Tracy being like, hey man, how are you doing? And then he knocked over some, some building materials. Tools. That you find in the pickup truck, I guess. In your rural town? Uh, I know about plenty of tools. You are well aware of tools. Fairplay was dancing to Dusty with the clue. I work with one. <laughs> I, I, I just, I just, I, you can't, you're not allowed. I'm
0: so funny.
1: Fairplay was dancing to Dusty with the clue. Trinity and Tracy then stopped him and beat the shit out of him and then took the clue from him, but then okay. tore it in half. This
0: is my favorite part of the entire show. Mm hmm when they both go up and give the clue and Dusty congratulates them and they have this brief moment of sisterhood. Yeah. Where they look at each other and they do a little jump out of excitement and they go, oh no, we don't like each other. Yeah. That is, it's so adorable. <laughs> I love these two dorks and I wish they were friends.
1: It's the long-term story here where they eventually come together and dominate TNA.
0: There's Knockouts champions.
1: Yes, the the, the first Knockouts tag team champions as everybody expects. Of course. So they did bring the clue to Dusty, Dusty said that they survived, and now they should go both find teams from outside TNA, and whoever brings Dusty the best team will get to become his personal secretary.
0: Now you went, ooh when you remembered who this team was. Oh,
1: two of the teams.
0: (laughs) Oh no, I have zero clue.
1: You don't actually find out until, I think it's a Destination X build, I don't think they even do that in February.
0: Can you give me a clue?
1: Ah, no. (laughs) Oh, For the sake of myself. And a very good bit. They then cut to Fairplay, who was like desperately crawling like fifty yards away, trying to get the Dusty as they faded to black. Mm. Which I believe is the end of Johnny Fairplay in TNA. Good.
0: Okay. <laughs> I did the <laughs> fucking cowboy pop <Bebop> intro <laughs> for the, the segment introduction.
1: Johnny Fairplay deserves it. It's fine. Hey Garrett, mm-hmm.
0: do you remember when? Yes, Johnny Fairplay fucking got murdered by AJ Styles' powerbomb. Oh, he
1: killed him. and He powerbombed him right on that microphone too, just to double down, because not only did he absolutely spike him with that powerbomb, he also landed on a microphone, so
0: he died. Do you remember when, this is a joint do you remember, do you remember when he and Roddy Piper had those weird segments?
1: Yeah, where they were doing the whole a Reality Star thing and Piper's like, I don't want to work with you, go away. Do
0: you remember when he showed up and on the, the terrible, awful, worst pro wrestling show of all time best damn pro wrestling show ever which is a very inconceivable name for those shows and they did the interaction with that fucking dork
1: no i don't remember at all oh cool
0: good um i don't remember anything else that he did
1: brian Erlacher press slammed him i
0: remember hey gary do you remember brian Erlacher press slammed him
1: yeah it was a good spot he did a good press slam he did some good show uh, clotheslines on the red shirt security Uh, that's it (laughs) Do you remember when I sent that great tweet that that it's Don uh, Don Callis and Kenny Omega when he was standing next to to to, to Johnny Fairplay because he looks like Kenny Omega kind of because they're both blonde.
0: They do. Hey Garrett. Yeah. Do you remember when he replied to a tweet?
1: Oh yeah, friend of the
0: show, Johnny Fairplay. <laughs> yes. He seems he seems to be doing well.
1: Well, this is the end. Desperately crawling toward the American Dream. I think he does some house shows and stuff. And for all I know, he'll probably pop up in like one angle now, and I'm like, "Fuck!" But either way, we've done we've done our 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 eulogy of Johnny Fairplay's TNA career.
0: I think he wasn't always good, wasn't always bad, but had some fun moments. And I don't, I, I'm not angry that he was there.
1: You don't hold ill will toward Johnny Fairplay.
0: I do not. Hey, Garrett, do you remember when the Miz and him like were on the same show?
1: Oh yeah, and they, they wanted to get the Miz to wrestle Johnny Fairplay. Yeah.
0: Good good stuff. They were both on they were they were on Joe Rogan's thing. Do you remember
1: when Johnny Fairplay pretended his grandma died in Survivor? Yeah, that rules. That's
0: by far the best thing he's ever done.
1: Alright, let's lean on over to Watson Raven.
0: <laughs>
1: Again, there's so many like this is the end of this person's run. This is the end of Eric Watson TNA.
0: Oh my god, I have to prepare a very good do you remember?
1: <laughs> This is like the do you remember the show.
0: Yeah. Garrett.
1: No, we do the segment first. Then we talk about the end.
0: Oh, okay. Hey, well, okay. Run through it. Let's go.
1: December 10th impact. Raven walked up to Watts. He hugged him. He's like, "Why?" He Watts had a bunch of bad names for DDP. Uh, whereas <laughs> Raven just called him Yoga Man, which is a better name. I like that. It's, Yoga Man can be said with some respect. But also some disdain. Yeah. Raven third the pot. Watts said he's gonna own DDP. Before that franchise asked DDP about the Watts thing, Raven walked up. Raven said that DDP doesn't know about the Watts and the thing. And Raven was very smug about this. Like, you don't know about Watts and the thing! Oh, how
0: do you not know about Watts and the thing? It's so stupid because it's not good manipulation. <laughs> it's just him being like, oh, look at you, idiot. You don't know anything.
1: To be fair, DDP doesn't fall for it. And Eric Watts does. And I'll believe that Eric Watts would fall for the lamest manipulation. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) I've watched enough Eric Watts and Goldilocks to know that Eric Watts will fall for anything.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: December 17th, we were meant to get an Eric Watts and Scott Matthews match. Mm. As Watts was making Mm. his entrance, DDP hit Matthews with the diamond cutter and stood waiting for Watts. Watts feigned getting in the ring, but then backed away and ran. He banged him. He did bang Scotty Matthews.
0: DDP banged Scotty Matthews heard it here first.
1: To be fair, this, this entire story is about uh, potential banging, so...
0: <laughs> That's about the thing, Garrett.
1: December 24, DDP ran into Watts backstage. DDP said Watts would never understand what getting a title shot feels like. Raven strolls in and stokes the scent between them again.
0: It's pretty mean. Yeah, it's not very nice. It's also your friend. And you're like, you'll never know what a title shot's like. Well, to be fair, he did attack him at the pay-per-view. <laughs> Well, he's meant to be, he's free, he's meant to be not being, this This isn't meant to be working on I mean, him, he's just being mean to be mean, and I don't like it. Watts literally came in and choke slammed him. <laughs> oh, Watts does that to a lot of people, alright? It's his sign of friendship, it's his love language. I, be- I could believe that that could be some weird shit that him and Goldilocks are into. Uh, December 31, DDP comes to the ring. Say weird, I'm not kink-shaming Goldilocks <laughs> and Eric Watts. The very real couple that existed for real.
1: DDP explains that there's two reasons he came to DNA the chance to win the NWA title and to have fun. And there was never <laughs> a time when he had more fun than having a beer with his pal Eric. And then he's like, What? You were not
0: talking about Bischoff. He's like,
1: What? <laughs> not Bischoff. <laughs> uh,
0: me and Bischoff shared something else.
1: He wants to know what the deal is. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that hanging. Raven's Druids attack DDP. <laughs>
0: taking my
1: headphones off (laughs) DDP made a comeback to reveal one of them was Watts the other was Raven DDP hit Watts with a diamond cutter Raven accuses DDP of being a bad friend for hitting Watts with the diamond cutter (laughs) yeah which I thought was a good bit it's like attack him DDP retaliates and then you're like
0: what a terrible friend (laughs) that that was like the one good bit of manipulation (laughs) he
1: ever did and it says DDP ruined Watts privately and now publicly and DDP is gonna pay
0: What's already been ruined before in TNA canon. Yeah,
1: he's been broke. It's not a good run for him here. Or
0: is it a good run? We will see that later.
1: <laughs> mm, so January 7th, we finally understand what they're talking about. DDP confronts Raven. DDP, he says that he knows that Raven called Watts' wife. The on screen character Georgie, his shoot wife, who we have seen on television. Shoot wife. <laughs> Telling her that Watts has been screwing around on the road and then blaming DDP for it. Raven says he's got Watts wrapped around his finger. Wait, neck.
0: shut up. <laughs> she knows this. He was fucking Goldilocks on TV for a year.
1: <laughs> but now they're back together, Liam. You saw it happen. You saw them, them reunite over a shared hatred of Goldilocks now instead of a love. Hmm. And I believe we established in canon that uh, in TNA story, his worked wife, which is a shoot wife, but the worked story of a shoot wife is that, that they got together after the Goldilocks relationship broke down.
0: No, because she called him like, uh, whatever. They just got care. married very quickly. I don't care. I miss Goldilocks.
1: Raven was like, he, I've got Watts wrapped around my finger. And then he's like, Watts is standing right behind me, isn't he? And Watts was standing right behind him, headbutted Raven, brawled into the building, dropped hold on a chair, slam.
0: You know what? Until this point, this is the best headbutt angle in Tina history. (laughs) Let me think. Has there been another one? Mm. There's not a lot of
1: headbutts in this company. There
0: should be more. Mm. That there'll be a very famous one eventually.
1: So after Watts beat up Raven, him and DDP made amends. They hugged. They were happy. Great. (laughs) You sound very excited about this story. Three
0: hours, 23 minutes.
1: Watts arrives to the next show, January 14th, but Raven hits him with a trash can and says he still has Watts wrapped around his finger, which leads us to Final Resolution, in which Eric Watts faces Raven (gasps) in a pay-per-view match.
0: Why is there so many notes on this? Oh,
1: there's some weird shit about Eric Watts we'll get into. (laughs) Alright. So, Watts took the, I think, funniest inside-out clothesline bump I've ever seen in my life
0: it might be an old time reaction from us on the on the watch along as well, because <laughs> we both burst out. We think we were talking about something else completely, <laughs> and we both burst out laughing. I, I'm pretty sure
1: it, it comes in the middle of us trying to convince ourselves that Eric Watts isn't bad at wrestling, because I'm putting over his reverse <laughs> drop kick, and then immediately he does that inside out clothesline bump.
0: It is 100% me going like, uh, listen, he's not great, and you're going, no, no, he has some cool things, and then, oh,
1: <laughs> uh, He did get injured early in the match, to be fair to him, but that doesn't help.
0: No. And then Watts wins, which is A, very weird that Watts is beating Raven. Mm,
1: he hits a choke slam that looks very bad, and then hits another one and wins. And
0: then there's, like, a very weird segment now <laughs> after it.
1: Yeah, so Raven gets on the microphone, and he's like, I'm so sorry, Watts, I, 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 I hate DDP, he fucking sucks. But I
0: apologise to you, I, I did <laughs> Because, like, he he almost stumbles into saying it by accident, and he corrects himself, because he goes like, I've always respected you, Eric, and I've always respected... Well, I've never had any respect for DDP.
1: <laughs> Man, fueled by spite. And then and Watts is like, oh, alright, and starts turning around, and for some reason starts standing on the stage. <laughs> it <laughs> makes... No
0: fucking sense why he would climb onto this precarious bit of the stage. (laughs) It's like a foot and a half a gap between that and where he's (laughs) standing. He only got on it to fall off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he stepped over onto it and Raymond hit him with a trash can. And then he looked to take the bump and then turned around and realized the bump was in the other direction and fell in the opposite direction <laughs> through a table off the stage.
0: It looked very dangerous. And then there's a oh, there's a table there. You don't even see it. So we took a table bump for nothing. You could have just put, like, a thing for him to fall into and not get hurt.
1: And pulled it away by the time the camera gets there? Yeah. That is the end of Eric Watson and TNA. There's a very strange note about this match. Do we want to do that first, or do you want to do the... Let's do this first and then the Watson retrospective. <laughs>
0: Well, oh, on a positive note.
1: <laughs> Eric Watts' father, Bill Watts, has a website which reported last week that Eric attempted suicide. A friend of Watts says that Watts did not attempt suicide, and Watts himself denied it. Instead, a friend of Watts says that Watts was having marital problems, and in a call for attention, dramatized a suicide attempt by taking a couple more pills than he should have, and then got on the phone to a friend. Says one TNA wrestler, Eric is nice. I wish he was a prick because he's nothing special in the ring. Raven is his friend. He doesn't know how bad Eric is. I like the way they threw that into mm-hmm. this piece about Eric Watts seemingly have some kind of, at least some degree of mental breakdown. Yeah. I love Peter B. torch. Watts suffered what was said to be a legitimate shoulder separation early in his match against Raven at final resolution. He didn't wrestle two nights later at the impact tapings. He doesn't wrestle on any impact tapings. But his shoulder was heavily taped.
0: Mm. Like, listen, uh, could you imagine being Bill Watts' kid?
1: Yeah, and like he doesn't have a good relationship with his dad.
0: To be fair, no one has a good relationship with Bill Watts. Notorious, like, old-time, insane person. Mm.
1: And, and what, what sounds like what happened here is Bill Watts wrote a letter to a few friends looking for advice on how to handle this situation about a, at least some degree of a cry for attention from Eric. Maybe not a full-on suicide attempt, but feigning a suicide attempt is nonetheless some kind of call-out for help. And uh, that letter leaked out in some way, and he he didn't want it to leak out, but it did and Watt's denied ever trying to commit suicide and it It seems a very strange uh, very personal situation that should never spill out onto the internet and then the like t n a thought about whether or not they should even go ahead with the paper match they did in the end, and then even like people were doubting his like Dave has a whole paragraph here about whether or not his shoulder was actually separated. he goes into like the mm-hmm. game theory of like he didn't he didn't realize the match was going badly and then faked a shoulder injury because he hurt the shoulder at the start of the match it's like you really you really do not want to give this man the benefit of the doubt do you dave yeah. but it's a it's a very strange situation Apparently his marriage with his wife Georgie wasn't going so well, which is again art imitating life. Given the entire story was that his marriage with his wife Georgie isn't going so well.
0: Sorry, I'm just reading some of the other stuff.
1: Yeah, there's there's a bunch more details if you want to look at the show notes. We covered like the 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 high level stuff of it. There's a lot more like uh, in depth details in the show notes from the Observer, at dot
0: There's a weird like note where Bill was talking about how like Eric has a rationale that he needs pain pills to wrestle, and that if you can't wrestle without pain pills, you need to get out of wrestling.
1: <laughs> which I think is a fair stand. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. That's...
1: Especially if you're like, no offense to Eric Watts. Actually, a little offense to Eric Watts. But if you're like... You know, way to punch down. Yeah, but if you're like, I really need pain pills to get through this and have these matches. It's like, pal, that's not worth it.
0: Maybe just get out of the business. Yeah, it's
1: not worth it in the best of scenarios. It's definitely not worth it for mid-card TV matches against Raven. No. But now we can celebrate the big moments of Eric Watts' career.
0: Garrett. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Eric Watts and Jeff Jarrett's on again, off again friendship?
1: Yeah, their their frenemy relationship, their feud that turned into friendship, but Watts was like, I'm your friend, and Jarrett's like, I hate you, I don't want to be your friend, and Watts was like, Please let me be your friend, and then I'll beat you up instead.
0: Do you remember when Eric Watts was hanging out with all those celebrities?
1: Oh yeah, there was like, a like decent caliber of celebrity too. The man is he's he's
0: in the know. It was a fun segment. Garrett. Mm. Do you remember the Failsun World Order? Uh,
1: Oh, that's like the the biggest missed opportunity here, because they debuted that stable of David Flair, Eric Watts, and Brian Lawler as like a sub-stable of sex. And Mm. it lasted like two weeks and everyone spun off doing their own thing. And I was really disappointed because I loved the stable of Failsuns.
0: Garrett, do you remember Mm. when Eric Watts was feuding with Abyss and Kid Cash? Yeah, that's when we realized he was a good tag team wrestler. And he had and he was a, a hell of a run-in guy. Come in and hit a couple big moves.
1: He is not a guy who can carry a match. He does not understand wrestling. No. But he's a guy who can give a hot tag to. He'll do a cool power move and then do his cool springboard reverse dropkick, which I, I love for reasons beyond comprehension. And... He'll have a, he'll be good in a tag match. He's a good tag wrestler. Well done, Eric Watts. That's what we've. Re- that's like the real takeaway, aside from the memes and the nonsense. That Eric Watts, sneakily good little tag wrestler. Mm.
0: Garrett, mm-hmm. do you remember when Eric Watts was the DOA?
1: You know what? When I was thinking about the moments of Eric Watts' run, that didn't even come to my
0: mind. <laughs> so no, mm. <laughs> Garrett, <do> you remember <laughs> that was when like he was seven months. With red shirt security. He was in charge of the company <laughs> for like seven months. Yeah. Yeah, Garrett, do you remember four and a quarter star match Don <laughs> Callis versus Eric Watts?
1: You love that match more than you love any match. That match is so much
0: fun. Uh, I guess we should we should hit it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Eric Watts and Goldilocks? What a relationship!
1: From the moment of the turn, from the the start of their relationship, which was entirely like we hate each other from the very beginning
0: to the yeah, we hate each other to the development of an early relationship, to the development of uh, like, a three-way relationship <laughs> with Tracy or Trinity. I forget which it was one it Trinity, was. It I was believe, Trinity, I believe, yeah. Yeah, which was dropped very quickly, to the development of them both being insane, but on the same page, mm-hmm. and then eventually the, sh- the rift in between them, when then, of course, Goldilocks has all been that money later on. It's just, it's a hell of a run, isn't it?
1: That's a one-year angle, by the way. They told that story over the space of like a full year, maybe a little longer.
0: And it was perfect. Mm -hmm. Garrett, do you remember Victory Road 2004?
1: Yes, Eric Watts was in a tag team match.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just thought I'd mention it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Garrett, do you remember what Eric Watts did with The Thing? (laughs) You haven't heard about The Thing? You don't remember The Thing?
1: He did go out on a low. To make you feel worse about, or I guess less worse, about the fact that he's leaving. That's like, oh, he's bad in the end.
0: I'm okay. He, he had, you know what's funny? Mm-hmm. I was going to say he had like that classic, what would you call it, charting of like coming in low, digging down, then shooting way up, and then going back down again on the way out. But honestly, I think it was kind of just up, 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 down. <laughs> Because I loved the the introduction when he was just weird, stalker, Jeff Jarrett friend. Mm, that was the best moments of your life. And then when... No, the best moments of my life are the Goldilocks, Goldilocks angles. Mm, Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Garrett, I have one last. Do you remember? Shoot. Garrett, do you remember when Eric Watts interviewed Raven in Raven's Sex Dungeon? <laughs> oh,
1: yes. <laughs> and they were, like, feuding for ages before that. <sighs> hey, we're just having a chat.
0: <sighs> Eric Watts... We wish you the best. What a run! What's a run? What's a run? <laughs> it's a good question. I'm very sad. Just talk about Dustin Rhodes. <laughs> Let us go to the
1: nepotism corner of the show. Dustin Rhodes makes his return to TNA, not his debut. If you'd remember, he debuted in that random match against Jarrett a while back. So, December seventeenth, Dustin Rhodes made his return to TNA as he faced. A man we will have to also eulogize, Johnny
0: Swinger. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> There's a lot of people leaving on this episode of the show, Liam. This is really the end of the era. <laughs>
1: you've committed to this bit too much, and now you've had to do four of them in one show.
0: Don't worry. I the I, I, I thing is actually the fifth. <laughs> It's alright. I've developed a strategy for it now. So
1: let's talk about this match first. First Dustin back in TNA. How do you feel about that?
0: You see, you'd think I'd be negative on it, mm. because I'm negative about most things. You're true. But I'm actually positive about it, because I think there's no harm in having a name-value guy hanging out in the mid card. Mm. Adds a bit of star power to some matches. He's a decent worker. I'm fine with the with Dustin Rhodes being here. Could have been a wonderful leader for the failson World Order. Oh, yeah. Arguably too good to be a son. There is periods of his career where he's been a Failson. Yes. If um, Black Rain was leading it, it would be perfect.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I like, as you said, I think a problem with the undercards they have is that they don't have the roster depth for three-hour pay-per-views. And Dustin is a guy you can throw in an undercard match and he'll give you a nice little match, which is ultimately what happens with this feud with Kikashi. ends it ends up in... Here, he defeats Swinger. Uh, Swinger spits in Dustin's face and Don West is has never been madder about anything in his life. He should have come to expect it, though. He is outraged at this behavior from Swinger. Uh, Dustin wins with the lifting reverse DDT.
0: Yeah.
1: And that is until... Uh, televised I think 2013 he does some of the one night only's the end of Johnny Swinger in TNA actually no uh, the the Hardcore Justice show he does that too but the end of Johnny Swinger in TNA for a good while Liam talk about Johnny
0: Swinger Garrett <laughs> do you remember right. the Swingman and Simon
1: Diamond surprisingly good tag team great feud with America's Most Wanted I,
0: I, I would 100% agree that some of those uh, AMW matches were like legitimately the best matches on the card
1: like, shockingly good. Not, not, not that not, that feels a little disparaging to Swinger and Simon Diamond to be like they had good matches, they surprising he matches with the best item in the country.
0: Here's what I think we're not like, clarifying. They had, like, seven tag matches together. Mm. They, like, I'm looking at the page now. They had, like, seven tag matches <laughs> with AMW over 2003.
1: They had like brawls and strap matches, and many of them were very, very, very good. And then
0: they did the the, the six man tag with Dust and uh, Dusty Rose as oh, well. That
1: match rocked too. Yeah, I forgot about that match. That match ruled.
0: I think I think legitimately, uh, two thousand three was our most competitive year for year end awards. I feel, mm-hmm. and I think this tag feud actually ranked in our awards. It was like in our thirds or seconds. Yeah, because they they were and they, I think they were ended up being our third best tag team. I think they were mine. I think uh, maybe it was the disciples but I remember being like, they had a shockingly good 2003.
1: Yeah, and it was a, a thorough mistake to break them up.
0: 100%. I guess we should briefly talk about, do you remember <laughs> Simon Diamond, Johnny Swinger, and Glenn Gilberti? Uh,
1: Yeah, they did good bits where Disco was stupid, and then they'd call him stupid. I enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> that, that, that did happen a lot, yes. Mm. I guess we should talk about it. Garrett! Do you remember when Johnny Swinger and Simon Diamond broke up?
1: When he ripped the Simon Diamond robe? Yeah. And then had a series of underwhelming matches? They had a lot of matches. They only had two, I think. Two singles.
0: They, were, Yeah, but there was a lot of tags.
1: Yeah, and I don't think people gave a single solitary shit about Simon Diamond as a babyface. Or sorry, Pat Kenny. And that was, I think, the core problem of that. That no one cared about Pat Kenny as a babyface.
0: Garrett. Yes. Kidney. That's my name. Do you remember when Simon Diamond... Dressed up as a hula girl?
1: It was Johnny Swinger, but that's neither here nor there. Fucking
0: sorry, I'm having a... Stuff's bad, man. It's almost what I, It is one am. Do you remember when Johnny Swinger dressed up as a hula girl? I
1: do. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a bit. That that Birdie freaked out because he hated dressing as a leprechaun. And then Johnny Swinger was like... Because he's racist. Yeah, he hates the Irish. It's a fact. And then Johnny Swinger was like, this hula outfit makes me look jacked. I'm going to just down, bounce my pecs the entire time.
0: <laughs> But the the one silver lining of the Johnny Swinger leaving us here today is that we will see him eventually in perhaps his most Swinger is his most Swingerest of all.
1: Yeah, we'll have to wait till 2019 for the true return of the Swingman, Daddy. Dustin randomly runs into Kid Cash on the December 24th show, and Kid Cash is just real mean for no reason.
0: Kid Cash, I don't know what's going on with his look here. Uh-huh. <laughs> He, he's a little first of all he looks like a little manlet but second I'm sorry guy. that's offensive to you I didn't mean to be offensive to
1: Andy you Andy Short people thank you very but, much but
0: well it's just because he's next to Dustin and Dustin looks like literally two kid caches stacked on top of each other <laughs> also he looks exactly like that that sleazy rock star guy who did like the dating show who? Brett Michaels oh yeah I get it yeah I see that he looks exactly like <laughs>
1: Brett Michaels he does have sleazy Brett Michaels vibes not to Brett Michaels isn't a little sleazy in the first place. I was gonna say, like,
0: he's he's in a bit of both. Who is Brett Michaels from?
1: Yeah, he was in a band.
0: Yeah, he was in the band Poison. Mm-hmm. What's happening in uh, Brett Michaels' life?
1: I don't know. I don't keep up with Brett Michaels' life. He's
0: uh, the, in December of 2022. That's this month, mm-hmm. game, Brett Michaels announced the 2023 Partygrass World Tour, which will perform between July 13th and August 6th. Along with Michaels, the tour will include Jefferson Starship. And Night Ranger, with appearances by Steve O'Gurry and Mark McGrath. You gonna go? Let me see if there's tickets (laughs) available.
1: So Cash is being very mean to Dusty. He calls him fat. He's like, your dad's fat. He's fat. (laughs) I do appreciate that Kid Cash, the character, immediately meets a man and starts mocking his father.
0: That, it, it fits him.
1: And he has had issues with Kit Cash in the past. Dusty and Kit Cash have feuded, so it makes sense.
0: Ultimate fan package for this is a $1,100. All
1: right, all the fans that want to go to that, if you give us $1,000, we'll give you that you've got to be getting the ultimate fan package, which is just us... Uh, taking your body. yeah you get
0: to be in the call but you don't get to speak
1: you get get to sit here and listen to us talk
0: which means you get to see all the the backstage information that we drop and then edit off the podcast
1: all the the takes that are too hot for tv
0: too hot for vow podcasting network
1: december 31 dustin rhodes faces marco cordova in a squash match so this
0: partygrass world tour
1: (laughs) Rhodes wins with a lifting dt
0: doesn't no, I, I have something to say, here.
1: <laughs> Please tell me about the Mardi Gras World well, Tour. Sorry,
0: the Party Gras party
1: World Tour. Uh,
0: doesn't seem to be leaving the United States. That's disgusting. It's not a world tour.
1: Well, that's a very American-centric approach, isn't it? That's fucking bullshit.
0: Also, Brett Michaels looks insane now. The World Tour of America. <laughs> I gotta send you a photo of Brett Michaels real quick. It looks like he's got one of those AI art the bots to make him to draw brett michaels mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know how to do this i'm too tired how does this work save image where did you go oh, it's a web fucking-
1: <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the suffering of webP files the the least necessary thing that exists
0: i hate it so goddamn much you yeah, how many times I have to go to the, this goddamn conversion website to turn him into PNGs? Can't
1: you just change the extension? I don't know.
0: Maybe. I'm too dumb. If you...
1: If you yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. He doesn't look real. His face. It looks AI upscaled.
0: <laughs> That's what I said. It looks like it's got like some weird AI thing. And he looks nothing like this in any of his like candid photos of these fans, either. What has happened to him?
1: Also, the fact that... like. His forehead seems humongous when you think about how big that bandana is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about that. He looks like he's a cherry about to pop. He looks like he's the leader from The Incredible Hulk. See, look, he does. See, look, he looks, that's what he looks like there. Looks like James Storm. No, he looks like Johnny B. Bad. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: Johnny B. Bad. December 31, Dustin Rhodes, Marco, Marco? Polo. Mark Merrow. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodes, lifting DDT It's called the Lone Star State of Mind I, I... <laughs> Cash jumped him out of the bell Dustin started making a comeback Cash bailed You okay, buddy? Yeah, sure you doing alright?
0: Yeah, I'm crying
1: Main event of the, of the January 7th episode <gasps> Dustin Rhodes and Jeff Hardy face Kid Cash in Dallas I,
0: uh, Dallas showed up It's his only
1: appearance this month
0: it feels very sad that Dallas is only just guy when Kid Cash needs a tag partner to take a fall at the moment.
1: Yep. <laughs> That's it. Jeff Hardy pins Dallas with the Swanton.
0: I love Dallas.
1: January 14th, Dustin beats Chris Candido. Yeah. Pay-per-view, final resolution, January 16th, it's Dustin Rhodes versus Kid Cash. It's a surprisingly good match. It was a very professional wrestling match.
0: Except that one time that they botched the, like, low kick. But even
1: then, it's like he pivoted and he went straight into it, kicking him with a knee. So even then, it it looked it just looked like Dustin dodged the move and Cash went for a different one. Even though it was very obvious he just wanted to drop to hold him. Mm. It's, just, it's two guys who are pros going out there having a very professional, if not all that exciting at times, professional wrestling match. Where it's like, Cash feigned an injury, Dustin fell for it, Cash attacked the leg work the leg for the entire match does one of my little favorite things where he gets a frog splash specifically on the leg i like high flying moves at specific body parts i'll always pop for that and it's it's nothing special in any way whatsoever But there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It is the Dave Meltzer two pros working on a different level, except it actually applies because he applied that to like a a two and three quarter star match that was well wrestled. Which is what this was, a two and three quarter star match that was well wrestled. Hmm.
0: I want to keep delaying this show Mm -hmm. because I think it would be funny. If you missed the World Cup, because <laughs> because of this.
1: You would have to go another 51 minutes, which I think would cause you more pain than me. Test me. All right, tell me all about who won the awards. On the January 7th episode of Impact, they showed the the best of awards. They told us who won the awards multiple times. They had two video packs. They ran down half the awards in one and half the awards in the other. And they aired four of those in the show. Now you might be asking, Garrett, of course... They aired each of the video packages twice. No, they didn't. They aired one of them three Mm. times and one of them once. Because this company makes no sense.
0: And not to mention the fact that each of these little segments are like two minutes long each. Yeah,
1: it's a full JB and franchise standing in front of the set, breaking down the winners, doing a little bit of banter about each. And
0: also, every fucking episode of TV had like both of these. No, it was only this episode. No, 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 no. This was nauseating. I had to see this shit over and over again, and I had to see Jeff Jarrett talking about how he wants to learn to play guitar better for his goddamn New Year's goddamn resolution, and I'm fucking sick of it. They only
1: aired these video. they they only aired the awards packages in this episode. They aired four of them, but... I disagree. I take extensive notes. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the awards, Liam. Who won?
0: AJ Styles won X Division Star. Mm-hmm. The Cage Walk one most memorable moment of the year. Of course. Triple X versus AMW as match of the year. I assume they don't mean the Victory Road one.
1: No, it's the Cage match. <laughs> or It's <laughs> one of the random best of three series they have.
0: <laughs> Mr. TNA, which I guess is just wrestler of the year. Yeah. Is AJ Styles. Will we have the same one? Fucking so wait and find out. Never know. And Canadian Destroyer is finished of the year because Petey Williams is an amazing athlete with with an unstoppable weapon named the Canadian Destroyer. (laughs) Tracy won Knockout of the Mm -hmm. Year. Which, by the way, Knockout? Is that the first time they used
1: Knockout? I believe that's the first time they actually used the word Knockout, yeah. Would you
0: believe the Canadian Destroyer won Finisher of the Year?
1: Yeah, I I was putting them in one category, but then didn't.
0: Hector Garza won One to Watch in 2005. He didn't
1: have a single match in TNA in 2005.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, um... In a complete robbery, you know a m w one tag team.
1: stealing it from kid cash and Dallas. of course, Delo Brown and Apollo,
0: of course, oh fuck you for reminding me of that <laughs> uh yeah uh i I wonder if ours will be any different because ours matter more, obviously of because it's two people voting instead of six these are fan voted, but sure that's what I meant. oh owned.
1: Tnchat. patreon.com slash kidding me. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing our awards too. I
0: know, maybe we should do fan voted awards. No, and it's just this. It's just the same awards that they did <laughs> <laughs> when they did the. They announced like the the participants for the tag team of the year, they just kept going on and on and on. There was like 20 tag teams.
1: It's like that package earlier in the year, Liam, that told you how good the tag team division was. They were just reinforcing
0: it. Yeah. No, Sawa and the other guy were wrong. Miyamoto. There you go.
1: That does bring us to the last thing we're going to talk about for this episode. It is... AMW and Team Canada for the NWA World Tag Team titles. December 10, AMW faced Shazarian. Coming off the back of the Turning Point match, they were like the walking dead.
0: Yeah, it, it was kind of awesome, though, because they were completely beaten down. They were destroyed. They they looked awful, and I loved it. It kind of buries the hell out of Shazarian, but I guess that's not really a focus at this point.
1: No, they are very much the furthest town the pecking order they have ever been. After being like relatively featured acts, I wouldn't quite say pushed act all the time, but they were a featured act for a good while. They're, they don't seem to be in Dusty's good graces.
0: No. That's because he's stealing Tracy from them.
1: That's true. He's jealous. I really liked this match. I thought it was a really well-worked match where AMW were on the back foot the whole time because they were coming right off of that cage match. And that's good storytelling that these guys are selling their big match they had because they bled buckets and they're taped up the wazoo and Shane and Kazarian dominate them, but then they come back and win with the death sentence on Kaz.
0: My, I think one of my favorite things is the little roll through James Storm does after the death sentence. Yeah, yeah. I love it so much, and I love that it was all wonky and shit because he's all beaten up in this one. It was great. They're
1: very good at professional wrestling, aren't they?
0: Yeah, we have a little note here that after the cage match at Turning Point... Chris Harris asked someone to call his wife to tell him that he was okay. AJ Styles held the cell phone up to his ear as Harris assured her he was fine.
1: Either way, it's like Harris is the one in great danger there. What about, like, Skipper? He he walked the cage.
0: I mean, I'm sure they all called their loved ones and were like, <laughs> we're not dead. We we're, were doing okay. Yeah. That's one of those, like, you have to wonder, like, is that one of those ones where you're like, don't let the family watch this one?
1: <laughs> yeah, especially if you have, like, kids to see, uh, and young kids, impressionable kids who might not get that, like... Daddy's bleeding and may, might die on pay-per-view.
0: Like the, the Mick Foley one. Mm,
1: oh, God, if you ever watch Beyond the Mat, that's a horrifying scene that will scour itself into your brain as you see Mick Foley taking those chair shots from the rock, the unprotected, straight-to-the-skull chair shots, and then they cut straight to Mick Foley's daughter just crying her eyes out at her dad. like <laughs> Having that kind of pain and suffering, they actually like leave the building. It's, it's it's a distressing scene. If you've never seen Beyond the Mad, it's one of the like best wrestling documentaries. And
0: I'm just sitting there watching it like, yeah, wrestling fucking rule.
1: <laughs> Yeah, you make that kid cry. You you give yeah. that kid trauma.
0: That's fucking awesome. That was the moment that she knew that like eventually she was going to grow up and marry a clown. <laughs> it all went wrong. <laughs> that's what see see, that's what um be, be nice to your daughters. Don't let them watch you get bludgeoned with a steel chair.
1: That is what sets you on the Frank the Clown path. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Main event of the December 24th Impact, Team Canada faced America's Most Wanted in what might be called a world title eliminator these days. Basically, if AMW won, they'd Mm. get the tag title shot at the pay-per-view. AMW did win. They got the tag title shot at the pay-per-view.
0: AMW are so fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) Garrett, I hate to say it, but they might be like... In my top five tag teams of all time. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, we've gotten them. That's all. That was the entire point of this podcast, the AMW propaganda machine.
0: We'd like to apologize for the ending of the podcast. The, the purpose has been reached. <laughs> There's no point to continuing. <laughs> we on. have
1: successfully spread all the AMW propaganda we can spread, and that's all we needed to do.
0: I, I, I would have to sit down and think to think of tag teams that I think are better. Mm-hmm. The only problem is. Their entire career is in TNA. Yeah,
1: and especially, it's, it's a bigger problem that their entire career, especially a lot of their best stuff, is in the era of TNA that nobody watched. So it's not even like the the on-spike TV in front of a million and a half people. It's on FSN yeah. in front of 150,000.
0: If I could go back to the start of this podcast where I said I like to be a money more, I would slap myself in the face. <laughs>
1: That's all that matters, though. We won you over. What do you think of the finish of this one, where they, they did the thing where Young and Storm battled for a momentum of a roll-up, Damore tilted it in favour of Young, and then Harris ran in, tilted it back in the favour of Storm, got the roll-up, earned the tactile shot.
0: I love it, because I, I think it's that's like hokey, territory-style stuff. Mm. And these these are hokey territory style tag teams. Yeah, it's a
1: finish right out of the territories, isn't it? Which
0: again is further proves your point that like AMW are so much better at this shtick than FTR.
1: They're so much better, and like FTR are a great tag team.
0: Yeah, again, one of the greatest of all time, and they're but they're they're a great tag team who work more of a modern high spot style that like, but their high spots are replaced with territory spots, which is like very cool, and it's something that no one else has done. But I think it's like, it would be disingenuous to say that they work the actual style better than AMW, unless they're doing something like the fucking Briscoe's stuff, which has been like pure territory style stuff.
1: Mm. They they just don't do throwback stuff like that. They don't. That's not how they work. And anytime they really lean into that, they become really boring, (laughs) as opposed to when they do like the just modern indie stuff, really. And they rock.
0: Yeah. Uh, which is great like again i I, i've always thought like this is the funny thing is like the thing that people think the bucks do ftr do, and and people think what ftr do the bucks do Mm. like the bucks work that territory style like uh heat comeback style tag match more than ftr do and i i would kill for an amw bucks match in their prime or
1: just do it in 2023
0: baby all right let's do it That's, that is that is the main event of the first. You've got to be wrestling me. <laughs> You've got to be wrestling me.
1: <laughs> uh, there wasn't a ton of more build to this match. I know there was a pre-tape somewhere where AMW just did your standard, we're going to win the belts promo. Well,
0: Garrett, who gives a fuck? <laughs> because they go out there yeah, and fucking kill it.
1: And then the go-home show had Eric Young against James Storm.
0: I... Really liked that match.
1: Good wrestlers. This is their, their first singles match together, right? Uh,
0: yeah, that's what made me like it, I think. I was watching this and I was like, these are two guys that will eventually become main event stars in this company.
1: Like, this will be the match that will happen when James Storm has his 1,000th match in this company. Yeah,
0: I thought about that too. And this also reminded me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a bit more of a James Storm guy than I am an Eric Young guy, mm. but I was watching this and I was like, man, Storm... I can just see it now, you know? I can see it. I can see what Storm becomes Mm -hmm. here. And uh, I'm very excited about seeing all this develop from now on. I think ultimately the reason Storm
1: became the guy over Harris is because Storm had that fire more than Harris did. Like that fire in his belly when he's doing his big baby face comebacks. you feel it from Storm more than you feel it from Harris.
0: Harris also peaked earlier. Yeah,
1: but also Harris looks the part. If you combine Storm and Harris into one person, perfect wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess was why they made such a good tag team.
0: They were the the sum of each other's parts. Mm. I'm not sure that made sense, but it's 1.30.
1: <laughs> Rude and Harris were thrown out. They were at ringside, but DeMore was allowed to remain because he's a manager and he has his manager's license, which is great. DeMore held on the ropes as Storm went for a Frankensteiner. Ref is bumped, and Young pins Storm after a hockey stick shot.
0: Which is another interesting thing that Young got the win here, mm. considering what we go on to learn about his position currently in the company and we head into the tag team title match at the pay-per-view, which is a very interesting and, uh, I think adds a lot to the match too when you know about it.
1: Yeah. I think the the finish of this is more just the case of the team that's winning at the pay-per-view loses and the go-home show, the classic like wrestling staple rather than like an endorsement of Eric Young.
0: But you could have just done it with like Bobby Roode, I guess, if you were really that worried about keeping a guy strong, you Mm -hmm. know what
1: I mean? So on final resolution for the world tag team titles, America's most wanted defeated Team Canada beca- to become the new NWA World Tag Team Champions. Reverting us, by the way, to the default setting of AMW stars and Jared as champions.
0: So we have AJ, AMW, and Monty Brown as champions. <laughs> yes, of course.
1: All the homegrown guys.
0: Yep. It is a toss-up between two matches, but this may be my favorite match in company history. Yeah.
1: The thing about this match is that it sits in the shadow of the cage match, which is much more famous for a very good reason. The cage match rocks. Yes. But this match is what really said, cemented AMW's role as, like, not just a good team, not just a great team, but, like, a real, honest-to-goodness, all-time great team. When they have, like, the back-to-back pay-per-view matches of the cage match blow-off, and then they come out here, and nobody really remembers this match, which always annoys me. But they have this kick-ass, ultra-heated, southern-style tag match against Team Canada, where everything hits, everything is perfect, and you have the the little sub-story that I, I, I talked about on, on the watch-along, that... Uh, apparently it kind of leaked out it was word in the locker room that Eric Young was not long for TNA that that uh, you know under the new regime under Dusty it wasn't particularly impressed in Eric Young and that they were moving on perhaps with a new version of Team Canada maybe with Johnny Devine it seems uh, afterward
0: especially with the recent reintroduction of Johnny Devine and he's like little uh, focus on him with the AJ match and with the promo
1: yeah so the, 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 the word in the locker room was that Eric Young would soon be let go so these four guys went out there with the conscious effort of making eric young look as good as humanly possible
0: and they it fucking works uh oh. Young kills it in this match. This is, like, one of the best performances I've ever seen from him. And, like, not to be, like, held up... And, like, it worked in a really smart way, too, because AMW don't look bad at all in it, either. They still look like this fucking world-beater all-time great tag team while they're making Eric Young look like a fucking madman. And Rude is still hanging in this match the entire time, too. It's really a fucking excellent tag team effort from all angles, from the, the work stuff to the shoot stuff to everything in between. It's a perfect... I really I really fucking love this match. And I really love how insane Eric Young is in this match. He is taking these crazy bumps. My God, don't fire Eric is, is a real thing because this guy is out there killing it. I, I love this match. And it continues this hell of a run of AMW where I think in like, you know, since that the first cage match, the second cage match and this match now, that's like four, sorry, that's three, four and a half star matches from me. Like these guys are on a crazy run. Yeah,
1: and, like, you you touched on the kind of performance this was from Eric Young, because you would think if you're, like, head on the chopping block, go out there and make you, they'd, like, build the match around Eric Young looking good, in the sense that, like, he'd do cool moves, or he'd, he'd, like, have, like, the dominant portion of the match, and that's not what they
0: did, it's that old adage, and I think this is probably why it appealed to Dusty, of sell,
1: sell, sell. Yeah, he went out there and took crazy bumps and made the baby faces look incredible and had like, a knot the size of Mars on his forehead. <laughs> like...
0: oh. And then I did that and was still taking these insane bumps. And like we were talking about with this mix of shoot and this mix of... um. Work stuff. Uh, they also find out like they, they they think they have 15, and they get told they get another six minutes on it too. So then, like four minutes of this is called on the fly.
1: Yeah, because as they're going through the curtain, they're told like Monty and and DDP went short, so they they need to go 21 instead of 15. They end up going 19 in the end. But yeah, they they have that extra layer of, of these are guys like like they're not the experienced shore hands. They're they're the young blood of the company being told uh, last minute add some like five minutes to your match. Go 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 and they they nail it it's it's a borderline perfect tag team match there's like near falls in this match that the crowd like there's there's one in particular where where a m w hit the powerplex on Bobby Roode. which calls back to the fact that that's how they beat triple X and they're also using triple x's finisher still.
0: Well, X don't it They anymore. don't.
1: And the crowd lose their absolute shit when Bobby Roode kicks out. And it's one of those, because like, the, the shocked faces at kickouts has become such a cliche because I think people do it after every move instead of doing it after they've earned it. And
0: they do it on stuff like,
1: duh. Yeah, whereas here, where it's like the crowd 100% bought that as the finish. 100% they thought the match was over. So that's when the shocked faces make sense. Not just when you do a finisher kick out.
0: I'm 100% I'm not, ne- I'm not opposed to shocked faces. Mm. I'm opposed to them being used. You got to earn it. Like anything in wrestling, you have to earn it. And um, like, honestly, the, the final run of this felt like a fucking new Japan, IWGP <laughs> title match. Like with just like chaining into big spots, big kick out crowds going nuts the whole time. It's, it's fucking awesome. And this is one of those, I, would you say that this is maybe even a bigger secret hit than even Hoovy and Sabin? Oh, for sure. N- I've heard of the Hoovy and Saban match.
1: Nobody remembers this. Nobody remembers this match, and it fucking rocks.
0: I, I it would even go as far to say, as like this is a must-watch match from anyone listening to the podcast. If if you've gone, if you've made it into our stupid fucking for you three and a half hour, for us fourth hour content, <laughs> I really i really hope that you'll heed our word and our advice on this one please go watch this match it's a great performance it's further proof that amw are one of the best tag teams of all time and eric young goes out there and works his fucking ass off it's excellent and plus it's really fucking cool to see bobby rude and james storm working across from each other in a big match like this yeah there's
1: also the fun touch of like they hit that powerplex on rude and the powerplex is the same move as the dwi it's Yeah. The the suplex powerbomb that uh, the beer money do go on using so they use the move on Rude. So it's a fun little future throw forward I guess
0: rather than throw back. Uh, I wonder if they even remember that they did that in this match. Oh
1: absolutely not. Like
0: they probably I I, I assume like when they decided to do it they're like oh let's do the triple X move. But like the the little like thread there too that they hit it on each other in this is pretty fucking pretty excellent.
1: And there's so many like small little details in this match because Storm kills Rude with a super kick at one stage, goes for the pin, and then Scott Demore pulls the referee out of the ring. And like nine times out of ten, that's it. Like they don't explain why the referee didn't just call for the bell. But here, if you look closely, when when Rudy Charles is pulled out of the ring, he gets it back up to his feet. He realizes he's between Chris Harris and Scott Demore. And he doesn't realize what happened. So, like, they they weave in the the amount of plausible deniability needed to not cause the DQ. And it's such a small, tiny detail that most people don't do. Most people don't go to that extra little length. It's the same Chris Candido thing. It's like, those are the little things that add layers to these matches that's not just doing moves and doing kickouts. And when you look at, like, the all of the the Team Canada matches for, for six months or whatever have all been Scott Demore interference, hockey stick, Team Canada win, lol. And the reason they do that is so you can build to a match like this where they handcuff Demore to the Ultimate X structure, which is there for the entire event, and Demore's freaking out and he
0: can't interfere. He's so good, too. Like, I feel like... That's someone who gets lost in the history of wrestling managers a bit because he kind of like just has this character in this run. But. Scott Demore is so fucking good. Yeah, there's
1: back-to-back sensational performances here from Demore because he's in this match tied to, to the Ultimate X structure. I still think they should have left him tied there for the Ultimate X match. That would have been a very good. I, match. That
0: would have been great, but then we wouldn't have got the great thing of him leaving.
1: Yeah. So you also in the very next match, Demore's out there with PD and they eject him and he has the tremendous hissy fit. But like the moment when he realizes he's tied to, or, or handcuffed to Ultimate X and he can't escape and like he starts wailing. And they cut to him for a bunch of the near falls and like you could see his heart beating out of his chest and he's like living and dying by every move
0: sweat pouring down his forehead because these guys might, w- might lose their tag titles
1: and like Divine comes out he hits Storm with a hockey stick drapes EY over Storm Storm kicks out place goes nuts then they kicked out of the power plaques. Place went nuts again. Divine brought a chair to the ring. They did the same like Northern Lariat onto the chair onto Harris, but Harris got his leg on the ropes. And then Divine was like super smug. They, they did a version of the Scott Hall thing where, where someone put his hand on his shoulder. He thought it was a, a member of AMW. It turns out it was Eric Young trying to get the chair, but he waffled Eric Young in the head. Harris rolled him up. Their outside interference backfired for once, and AMW win the World Tag Team titles. And even Divine, when you pay attention to him on the floor, they even even like he even waits like a good 10-15 seconds before he even realizes what's happened like he celebrates thinking his team just won and then he turns around and he's like fuck
0: yeah i think it's interesting about this finish year too is that you could see where they might be setting up the young split from team canada mm. because you have the him losing the fall after with the divine miscue and i also think uh something that could have been telling for that as well is part of scott demore's character that we've seen throughout the years when Team Canada is doing well. He's all, like, part of the team. And it's all cheery, But when they start to falter, he becomes very strict. Mm. That's just part of Scott DeBoer's character as the, as the coach. And having both Rude and Young lose the tag belts and Petey lose his X Division title on this show, you could totally see the, an impact uh, coming up where, like, Scott's like, Eric, you're the weak link, and they all fucking beat him up and shit can him out, right? Mm. Like, there's there's all these things in play. And that's actually one thing I'm very excited about as we head into the next month is seeing how Scott Demore and Team Canada bounce back from this sort of like crushing defeat at this pay per view?
1: Yeah, because they were talking at the start of the month, being like, "We have these titles. What if we also come for the NWA it's time titles? To, it's time to hunt for the for the main belts. It's time to win all the belts, and now they have none of the belts. Yeah,
0: they they need Christian Cage to be their their uh, ace." Yeah,
1: sensational match, again if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube, also the entire payview is on YouTube, so you can watch the entire payview or just the match itself, uh, fantastic match just everything you could ever want from an AMW Team Canada match the peak of Team Canada is a stable I think, the The peak of AMW is a tag team without gimmicks, the Stiles and Daniels matches are also very good, They're, those are up there but th- this might be the peak of AMW as a team without like a, a cage match around them
0: this is just a straight tag
1: Yeah, sensational, just sensational stuff and you saw like little glimpses of, of this formula that amw would do where they would do like a lot of the plunder and yeah. near falls and interference and kickouts you saw a lot of that with diamond swinger you saw a bit of it with the new church as well but it fucking
0: works <laughs> yeah well like it felt like they were like putting it in their wheelhouse for when they needed to bring it out in a big spot and it's the classic not all interference is bad no i, I you know mate, i'm a massive proponent of interference when it's good mm. i probably have a more of a tolerance for interference than most people but, like when it hits, it it hits so well. I was literally before while we were talking about this match and we were recounting it in my head. I started like daydreaming about Bucks and AMW. <laughs> like I was, I I, I I literally was envisioning the spot where like Matt Jackson is caught in between Storm and Harris and like like they're looming over him and he's backing off, and then Nick flies in and catches him. I I was I was imagining the match. That's the a literal day- dream match. <laughs> God, it would be so good. They're oh, so good. They're the best team. I love them so much. <sighs> Put them in the Observer Hall of Fame. Damn
1: right. That's the the ones they'll, they'll never get in. It's sad.
0: No, but they ha- they have like. Like, they have a, they have an in-ring case, but only for, like, a couple, like, a, a, not a couple of years, but you know what I mean, like, a, a short-run in-ring in one company where they weren't a top-back in a company that wasn't drawing or making money. Unfortunately, that's not a killer case. They don't even get on the ballot with that kind of case, unfortunately. I was, yeah, I was gonna ask you, um, did beer money often, like, bust out the the death sentence? Once, to beat Chris Harris. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised they never like busted it out against like the machine guns or something.
1: Yeah, I think the only time they ever did it was Sacrifice 2011 when they did it on Chris Harris to beat Chris Harris and mad I
0: love that because that kind of shows some respect. Yeah, <laughs> like like uh, Storms like I value this and I don't need to muddy it. So
1: you can look forward to that again. More teases and nobody in this match leaves, so you don't have to do a retrospective.
0: <laughs> no, thank God. I, I, we almost would have had to do the Eric Young <laughs> goodbye. Mm. So that
1: is Final Resolution 2005, that is January 2005 from um, DNA. We'll be back in about a month-ish, start of January, give or take. We'll be back with the Against All Odds episode.
0: But you got a billion other things in the meantime, so you'll be you'll have enough to tide yourself
1: Yeah, in. so our special World Wrestling All-Stars Days of Thunder crossover will be coming your way around Christmas. We're recording that soon enough as well, so...
0: In six hours. Yeah, Liam gets
1: that gets the go to bed after we recorded for currently four hours sixteen minutes and, and then get straight up and record for Days of Thunder. I'm sure he's very excited.
0: I haven't even finished the show. <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> well, I didn't think I was gonna I was gonna do it in this last hour and a half because I assumed it'd be done by yeah, midnight. I
1: didn't think we would quite go four hours, but uh, yeah, we'll be back at the start of January with the Against All Odds episode. Uh, over the next couple of weeks we'll also have our 2014 A draft, our 2014A Awards, and of course, as we mentioned, Rain Takers covering rest. Castle Kingdom from 2013 coming up in the next couple of weeks. Patreon.com/slash/gettingmeTNHI.com, where you can also find our watch along of Final Resolution 2005, which we just covered in depth. But if you'd like to watch along with us, and as mentioned, the show itself is on YouTube, so you can
0: watch along for nothing. I was going to say, I think um, that's also one of our best watch alongs too, because it was very like. There's some times with a lot of these shows, especially in the the early eras, where um it uh, the flow was lost mm. and attention was lost. But for the most part on this one, we we kept on task. I say we, it's me. (laughs) Um, Kept on task and we actually kind of just got into in-depth discussion about the show, about the state of the company and about people on it. So I think it's a really fun watch along this time. I would also say um, in lead up for the second uh, WWE show with Days of Thunder, go go listen to the first one. It's a very good show and we had a lot of fun there. So get familiarized. Don't worry, all the bits that we did on that will be forgotten, except, that I think, Angry Road Dog. Angry
1: Road Dog is the defining bit. That's in the Days of Thunder feed, by the way, rather than ours, if you'd like to find it.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed how you were like, nah, yeah, go another 50, 50 minutes. I'm like, I'm almost there. <laughs> I can vamp for 20 more minutes, and you'll miss the start of the World Cup. Follow
1: us on Twitter, at TNA History Pod. Follow me on Twitter, at Gareth Kidney. Follow Liam on Twitter, at TheGleetMuda. Subscribe to us on YouTube, but you've got to be kidding me to hear clips from the show. We're also on TikTok, at TNA History, with 17,000 followers.
0: <laughs> yeah uh, we do uh we do the tiktok dances
1: sure uh, that's our all our social media has said sometime early january for the against all odds episode thanks for listening and monty should have won
0: monty should have won do the damn thing Ugh. i don't have anything else to say amw one of the best tag teams of all time if you disagree fuck yourself We're on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapCXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about
1: cheese. Hopefully see you there.